Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am your host, Todd Dandruff Wittellis. This is being recorded live and broadcast live on September 2nd, 2023. The time right now, 4.02 p.m. Not a.m., p.m. Yeah, this show is actually on when the United States is awake. I know you're amazed. Every time zone. Every time zone's awake. This is not an odd hour. It's an odd hour for this show, but it's not an odd hour for the rest of society. So I had a choice between doing an overnight show last night or doing this afternoon evening show today, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it at a time that some people can finally listen live and actually be able to make and actually be able to play in the free roll, which has started three minutes ago. But don't panic. You can still get in. You have 22 minutes left of late registration. It is a $50 free roll thanks to Online Veteran. He's been around a long time. I actually played with him on True Poker in 2001, and I just saw him again this year. In fact, I even went to go have a meal with him. So thank you to Online Veteran for the $50 for today's free roll. And that'll be on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. As usual, it started at 4 o'clock. You have until 425 to get in with late registration. And it's 25 for first, 15 for second, and 10 for third. And we do seem to have the poker room fixed. So that message you were getting last time, which unfortunately happened during our big free roll, where we were having our Robert Gray Memorial, very bad timing, but that seems to be fixed. So you shouldn't be getting that message anymore about the connection not being secure or any nonsense about that. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number that you can call or text. If you call during the show, please only call when we are in between segments or winding down a segment. Otherwise, I probably won't take the call, but you can text me at any time, 775-372-8355, and I will read it on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. But if you're listening when we're not live, don't sweat that either, because you can text me anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 775-372-8355. By the way, one more word about the free roll. Make sure you understand the rules for qualifying for the free money. Going to Poker Fraudler free roll rules page, which is pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. We also have a Mount Charleston number to call the show. Mount Charleston is a mountain near Las Vegas, and it's actually inaccessible at the moment, I believe, due to the very heavy rains that have come down in the Las Vegas area. But nevertheless, the line still works. It's an old 70s rotary phone. It has survived the rains. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line, which forwards to me wherever I go. Don't text that number, but you can call it. It's a separate line into the show. The call to listen line is very simple. It's a number you can just call up and listen to the show. I will not hear you. No matter what you say, I will never hear you on the call to listen line. But it's a way to listen. It does not require a smartphone, a data plan, a computer, the internet. And if you have a very, very bad connection wherever you are, it's a great thing to use because it does not require a very good connection. You can have like zero bars and still use it. And guess what? Unlike other streaming media, it'll never buffer and never freeze. 
That phone number is 518-931-1189. 518-931-1189. And it is free to anybody who can call the U.S. for free. Unless you have T-Mobile, then it'll charge you one cent per minute. And I don't guarantee that it won't charge you if you have another company, but I don't think any others do. If you want to chat during the live show, we do have a chat room. I don't really chat in there because I'm doing the show. There's too many things for me to do at once. But you can chat with the other people there, or you can just make comments, and I will see them and probably eventually comment on them if I think there's a comment I want to make. If you're not listening live, then don't bother because there won't be anybody in there. Here is the agenda, and we will get going. The main topic that we're going to do today is about Rob Mercer. If you haven't heard about Rob Mercer, you're going to learn all about him during this show. I talked about him briefly back in February, and I talked about him positively back in February. And then I really had no interaction with him until, well, I didn't have interaction with him at all, actually, since then, but I had no reason to really talk about him until now. But there's kind of a big controversy about Rob Mercer. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about the situation. There's a lot of misunderstanding about my involvement or lack thereof in the situation. So I'm going to clear all of this up. And I'm going to tell you the whole story. So don't worry if you have no idea what I'm talking about. I will start from the beginning and explain it all and make sure that by the end of the segment, you understand completely as I usually do on this show. So that is going to be our main topic. We will also possibly have an interview with one of Rob Mercer's victims, Cody Daniels, and I'll explain who he is when we get to that segment. But he is a disabled person who seems to have been victimized by Rob Mercer, who was pretending to be a terminal cancer patient. So pretty bad stuff. Cody said he'll come on, except uh, due to his condition, he sometimes doesn't feel well. Like yesterday, he felt really lousy and would not have been able to come on. So today, hopefully he can. And if he can, we will have him on. Either way, I'm going to talk about what happened to him. Then an important development has occurred in Las Vegas and all of Nevada involving the law, which has to do with bans from casinos. So if you've ever been banned from a casino, you're going to want to listen to this. And it has gotten very little coverage. It's not anywhere in the mainstream news. It's not anywhere in the Las Vegas news. It's not even part of many blogs or podcasts or forums. It's being very lightly discussed. We're not the first ones to discuss it, but there's been very little discussion, and I definitely want people to know about a very important change regarding bans from casinos. And it's a positive change for the players, including me. Sean Deeb took to Twitter and was very, very angry. He was big mad because a prospective maid quoted him $80 an hour, and he said he was going to, quote, lose his shit, but his wife stopped him. So we're going to talk about why Sean is so mad about that rate, and we will analyze whether he's right or wrong. And I'm going to do it fairly. I'm not going to do it with a bias against him, even though I don't care for him very much. Then another controversy on Hustler Casino Live. This time, somebody accidentally called the river with six high, believing that they had a lot better than six high. They misread their hand. So then the question became, if somebody accidentally calls a large river bet in No Limit Hold'em, 
when they have a hand that clearly is never going to win and clearly never going to call like six high, should you give back any money to that person? So I will discuss that. Jungle Man sent somebody a nude picture. And I'm not even saying he might have or I heard he did. He did it. I know he did it. I'll tell you why. But that would not be a topic. I mean, who cares if Jungle Man wants to send nudes out to people? The problem is someone got a hold of that picture who then was blackmailing him over it. So I'll tell you about that story, which is not covered anywhere else except for Poker Fraud Alert. Jason Mercier, who I played with briefly at the WSOP main event. We both cashed, though I did get deeper than he did. He took kind of a brutal beat to go out, though. But anyway, Jason Mercier claims on Twitter that accused high-stakes scammer Sean Perry, who we've discussed on the show before, son of Ralph Perry, has made good on his debts, which might exceed seven figures. But Daniel Coleman, one of Perry's victims, disagrees and says this is not settled. Then a situation at New York, New York, has led to a lawsuit about a bat. Not a baseball bat. An actual bat. You know, the creature. A bat was in a hotel room in New York, New York, and a guest actually killed the bat. And now there's a lawsuit over it. And not on behalf of the bat. It's not a wrongful death suit by the bat's family. So I'm going to tell you about that lawsuit, and that will be the end of our show for the evening. Let's see if we can get Trey Ruski on here. He tried to join us before. We were having some connection issues. Trey Ruski, hello. What's happening, Truff? Welcome to radio. It's probably amazing to you that we're not on just as you're going to sleep or just as you're waking up. Right, exactly. I was just about to go to the early bird special. <laughs> but now since we're <laughs> radio starting, I'll, I'll, I'll delay it. Boy, you're getting old. <laughs> okay, well, we may have another co-host, in fact. Uh, Cal Watt is actually at dinner because it's three hours later where he is. But he said when dinner's over, he will try to come on. So hopefully we'll have him as well. Awesome. So anyway, Rob Mercer is going to be our first topic, and we're going to talk about him right now. Rob Mercer showed himself. I'd never heard of him before, and I don't think anyone else had. He's been in poker, but just as kind of like a casual player. He describes himself as like a semi-pro player, but nobody had heard of him. But he appeared in February, pretty close to the beginning of the whole Jamie LaFay GoFundMe controversy. He just popped up. And initially, my reaction to him was positive, though at first kind of cautiously positive. But he made a rather interesting claim about himself that, if true, you had to feel very bad for the guy. So if you recall, Jamie LeFay in February started up a GoFundMe. She said that she had cancer. She said that due to the surgeries that she would be having, that she'd be, quote, unable to work for the next six months, and work meaning play poker, which, of course, would have to be assuming she's a winning player, which is in doubt, but let's, let's not get into all that again. But anyway, she was claiming that she's a winning poker player, that that's the way she supports herself. She's unable to do it for the next six months because of the cancer surgeries, and she wanted $50,000 for it. And she actually got like 16000 before I even became aware of this. Like very fast, she got like 16000 But then a lot of things started coming out about her. Number one, she had a controversial past, which I already knew about some of it, but I learned a lot more. 
Number two, when I looked at her GoFundMe, I instantly noticed some things that were verifiably false. Not the cancer necessarily. I'm not saying that I felt the cancer was fake, though I didn't know whether it was real or fake. It could have been either one or exaggerated or whatever, but I did catch some things on there that were verifiably false. And I called them out, and then she responded, and from that, I learned even more. And there were very, very clearly some lies in her GoFundMe. And I felt, hey, look, this person is not that well-known to the community. I mean, she's semi-known to some people on Twitter who follow her, but she's not, like, really well-known, hadn't been around for that long, and... I thought to myself, you know, this person's asking for 50K and they've already gotten a third of it. And yet the GoFundMe has verifiable lies on it. And so when someone's asking the community for money, especially not someone who's really well established in the community, and they're lying while they're asking about it, even if they're not major lies, if they're telling any lies, that's a huge red flag. And you have to wonder, well, what else are they lying about that we can't verify? So that was my point. Unfortunately, as I'm sure you all know by now, This kicked off a major shitstorm for various reasons. Number one, because it was kind of an interesting story. Number two, because Jamie was fighting back very hard on this one. And number three, she had a number of idiots who were just blindly believing her for one of various reasons. Some were dudes who were attracted to her and were trying to uh, impress her. Some were women who just always take the sides of other women against men and assume this is a sexism thing. Some were just trolls. Some were people who just love to be contrarian. I mean, there were people who just came out of nowhere. Most of them were not well known. A few of them were, but most of them I'd never heard of before. And they had like 20 followers. But boy, they were attacking with such vitriol and such dedication that I just had this barrage of Twitter attacks against me from very, very angry people. And I started to understand why. Because cancer is a very, very common killer in the Western world. It's almost the leading cause of death. It's just a tiny bit behind heart disease. But those are the big two. So just about everybody has a relative that has died of cancer, or maybe a close friend or spouse or former partner that died of cancer, and you remember how you felt when that person was deteriorating and then eventually passing away of cancer, or maybe you even have a relative or a friend or a partner who currently has cancer, and you're watching the whole thing take its toll, and you feel awful watching it, and then you see some jerk on Twitter attacking a cancer patient, and your initial response is just, wow, I got to go after this guy. How dare he attack a cancer patient? And that's exactly what scammers count on. That's exactly why scammers do it, because people know somebody who has cancer, just about everybody knows somebody who has or had cancer, and it strikes up a very emotional response in everybody, and this makes them open up their wallets, and they've got the bonus that if anybody casts doubt upon it, that you can attack them and make them look very bad, even if they're right. So I was dealing with a lot of that for about, six weeks or more, going back and forth, back and forth with Jamie. And the funny thing was a lot of people quietly agreed with me, but they were afraid to say anything because they did not want to get the whole shit that I was getting. Now, there were some others who were speaking out. Slay Dog, we had him on the show, Luke Vrabel, a guy who goes by Cookie Monster. He was vocal about it. Another guy who 
who's named Billy. And, you know, I didn't know Cookie Monster or Billy before this. I had no idea they existed before this whole thing. Slay, I knew, and we once had him on this show. But the truth is we didn't get along that great. We weren't enemies, but we didn't get along that great. In fact, he even blocked me and muted me for some period of time. Mostly over, like, political stuff. But I, he wasn't, like, a good buddy of mine either. I, I like him a lot better now. And I met him at the World Series. And, you know, we now we get along very well. But these were not, like buddies of mine that jumped in my corner. These were just people who felt the same way I did. So we covered this extensively on this show, and eventually I just got worn out. First of all, my message got out. You know, like People understood. Even if they didn't agree with me, they understood. So there wasn't much more to say. There's no way to ever end this argument unless finally someone steps back. Now, by stepping back, I don't mean saying I was wrong, because I was not wrong. So I never apologized. I never said, hey, I was wrong. I never said, oops, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I never said anything like that. I just said, you know, I'm done. I'm done, and Jamie and I are, are just going to make a truce and stop talking about this, which, by the way, she broke multiple times, and I kind of just looked past it and then uh, kind of given up on the whole truce thing. But, you know, do I want another protracted Twitter battle with Jamie? No. And we'll talk about that. She's popping off again recently on Twitter, but that, that truce is kind of done because she broke it a million times and I'm tired of it. But anyway, I kind of just backed away from the whole thing because I got the message out. And you know what? The GoFundMe died. The GoFundMe, it may still be there, but it's, it basically stopped making money. So that was my goal was for people to make an informed decision. And the whole way I said, if you want to donate, go ahead. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to attack you. If you want to donate to her, go right ahead and donate to her. I just want you to see everything. I just want everybody to understand everything see where she was lying, see where she was telling the truth, see where it's hard to tell, then make your judgment about her based upon all the information that I'm putting out. And at that point, if you think she still deserves a donation, by all means, donate. If you don't, then don't. That's all I was doing. I never tried to take it down. Only time I complained to GoFundMe was when it was being used to attack me. That I, I told GoFundMe, in fact, I'm not looking to have this taken down. I'm looking to have the stuff about me taken down because GoFundMe is not a platform to troll people. And it's not. And it's against their rules. So that's what they did. They made her take that part down and they left the rest up. And that's because I'm not looking to stop people from being able to give if they want to give. That's, that's what I said at the time. That's what I still say. And I'll tell you this before we get back to Rob Mercer. I do believe she has cancer. I just believe she has a manageable form of cancer. She herself has said she's had it for 20 years, and I think I believe her. So there are a lot of different forms of cancer, ranging from the very minor all the way up to the extremely deadly. The worst form you can get is pancreatic, where you're almost surely screwed. Tiny percentage of people get past it, but almost everybody else dies pretty quickly. But there's a lot in between. And Jamie's, from what I can see, I'm not a doctor, but from what I can see from my research on the type of cancer she has is that it's something that as long as you actively manage it and have the necessary surgeries to clear it out, then your chance of dying from it is very low, especially at her age. Once you're elderly, then it's a different story, but she's not elderly. She's 43. So almost nobody her age dies of that type of cancer unless they're not managing it. And she is managing it. That's why she gets the surgery. She goes in to get this taken care of, which is the right thing. But that also means that it's not as dire as she likes to portray. However, at the same time, she does have cancer and she does have a lot of hardship from it. However, 
there's also a lot of issues she has that are separate from the cancer. It's not only good people who get cancer. It's not only nice people who get cancer. Sometimes people who are not so nice get cancer. Not so honest get cancer. So you have to look at that and say, okay, well, she has cancer. She's had it for 20 years. She's managed it for 20 years. She's healthy enough to go to the win and play 1-3 for a week back in May. You know, should I donate to her or maybe to somebody else? So these are the decisions one has to make. But this is not a Jamie segment. I just wanted to reintroduce all that because it connects to the stuff with Rob Mercer. So Rob Mercer appeared in February, and Rob Mercer very quickly jumped on the thing with Jamie. Here is his first tweet on the matter. Now, this is not his first tweet ever. It was posted as his first tweet ever. That's not true. He's actually tweeted all the way back to 2022. But this is his first tweet on this subject, about three days into the Jamie LeFay controversy. Yo, Alan, I have cancer too, and mine is actually terminal. Alan was to Alan Kessler, who was promoting Jamie LeFay's GoFundMe before he knew more of the story. I have six months to a year left. How much do you think I can pull together from the community to live my dream? Or does this only work for women? So I read this and I thought, hmm, you know, the guy kind of does have a point that I think a lot of people were opening up their wallets for Jamie because she was an attractive female. And would a dude like Rob Mercer, who has cancer that he's claiming is terminal, would he get the same type of response? Would he get the same 16K or more very quickly that Jamie got? Or was she getting it from a combination of people who gave it to her who just wanted to support other women, females, or from dudes that liked her? Would a dude with cancer get the same type of treatment? That's a good question. But I also wasn't loving the tone that seemed to be almost entitled, like, how much do you think I can pull together from the community to live my dream? So was he really just showing up and saying, hey, Alan, why are you promoting Jamie's GoFundMe? When my cancer's worse, do you think the community will give me money to play poker, or does this only work for women? So I wasn't sure what he was doing there. Now, this could have been sarcastic, too. It could have been like he wasn't really asking for money, but was just sarcastically saying that, like, oh, yeah, how much do you think they're going to give me? So I wasn't sure yet. I'm like, oh, no, is this guy here to stick his hand out? And if he is sticking his hand out, how do we know he has cancer? That was my thought. I didn't say it, but that was my thought when I read that. But I wanted to see what he would say upon follow-up. And I did interact with him some. I didn't just ignore this. I did respond to him. I didn't say, hey, prove you have cancer, because he wasn't asking for anything yet. But I was you know, just kind of uh, following up with him and going back and forth, and as were a few other people. One of the people who was interacting with him goes by Snoop Dogg, and he's at Punting Stacks, exactly as it sounds on Twitter. Punting Stacks, Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg is a Northern California poker player. He's not very well known. In the Twitter spaces in 2023, he's become well known because he's on those all the time. But outside of Twitter spaces, most people don't really know Snoop Dogg. But Snoop Dogg, being a Northern California player noticed that Rob Mercer was a Northern California player. He didn't know him, but uh, he took more of an interest in him because they were from the same area. And Snoop Dogg said to him, hey, how would you like me to put you in some events around here? 
And Rob's like, oh, no, thanks a lot, brother, but I'm going to have to turn that down. I have to politely decline, but I'll be glad to go get a beer with you or something like that. So when Snoop Dogg offered to put him in a few events, Rob turned it down. When a few others offered to put him in events, he turned it down. He repeatedly told people, thanks, but no thanks. I appreciate the generosity, but I'm not looking for charity. I don't want to be put in anything. So at that point... I thought very highly of Rob Mercer, and that kind of calmed my skepticism of his first tweet. His first tweet was kind of like, hey, where's my money? But I couldn't tell if it was serious. But then when he was actually turning down real money that was being offered to him to play in these events, I thought, okay, well, here he has real offers from legitimate people, and he's saying no thanks. So I thought, okay, so he really is out here just to express his displeasure with Jamie hitting up the community for money and getting a lot of it just because she's an attractive female. That basically seemed to be his criticism. And his criticism seemed to be, hey, I have terminal cancer. Jamie doesn't have terminal cancer. She may have cancer, but she doesn't have terminal cancer like I do, said Rob Mercer. And I'm not even asking for anything. Look at me. People are actually trying to give me money to go play, and I'm not taking it because I don't think that's something that should be done. I'm paraphrasing here because his Twitter is now gone, which we'll get to. But a lot of people really thought highly of him for that reason. So he wasn't out here to stick his hand out. In fact, it was the opposite. People tried to hand him money and he had his hands in his pockets and said, no thanks. So I thought, all right, wow, I respect this guy. Here he's got six months to 12 months to live. He could go play poker on somebody else's dime who feel bad for him and he's saying no thanks, even while he's watching somebody who's not nearly in bad a shape as him, and Jamie, get all of this money sent to her on GoFundMe. So, people thought highly of Rob, and he would interact with people on Twitter. He wasn't like a major figure on poker Twitter, but he was kind of tweeting here and there. Then he started going on Twitter spaces occasionally, and I kind of stopped paying attention to him, especially after the whole Jamie LaFay thing died down, and we made our truce, and... You know, I didn't really have much of a reason to observe Rob Mercer anymore other than kind of just notice that he was in spaces, but he wasn't really doing or saying anything that was of note. Well, that all changed in mid-June. Now, before we get to mid-June, I do want to mention one thing. Jamie LaFay was really the sole critic of Rob Mercer. However, Jamie was afraid to do this under her own account. So Jamie made burner accounts. She had tons of burner accounts during all this controversy that would support her. But one of her burner accounts, or maybe more than one, was attacking Rob Mercer and accusing him of faking the cancer. And people really got on her, because she's not very good at hiding her burner accounts. So it was obviously her, and people were saying, wow, Jamie, this is a new low. You're, at, you're attacking a terminal patient when you have cancer yourself? And now you're attacking a terminal patient who isn't even asking for anything? So... People were really going off on Jamie for the way she was treating Rob simply because he was criticizing her. And she was accusing him of faking, which is kind of ironic because that's what she was so angry at everybody else for, for interfering in her GoFundMe by raising questions. And by the way, while some others did, others questioned whether she had cancer or not. Others said she's faking. I never said she was faking. I said she might be because we don't know. Because I was able to prove she lied about other things. You lie about a few things, you may be lying about the cancer too. 
But I couldn't tell. It did seem like she was sick. It did seem like she was in the hospital for something. That stuff wasn't fake. And she did have some real-looking paperwork from UCLA Health. So I knew something was going on. So I thought there was a pretty decent chance she had cancer. I wasn't sure. Now, at this point, uh, I, I do believe she has cancer. But as I said, a, a treatable form. But anyway, still, for her to be attacking this guy... It seemed to be very bad form, bad taste, and a lot of people got on her and said it was a huge act of hypocrisy, even though she did it under burners, which she did under burners because she knew it would look bad. <laughs> as often as Jamie LeFay puts her foot in her mouth on her own Twitter and says outrageous and crazy things, she didn't want to go that far on her own Twitter. She made sure to make a burner for that one. Well, the funny thing is, and I'm sure you're pretty much uh, aware now where we're going with this. Jamie LaFay was actually right about Rob Mercer, or shall I say her burners were actually right about Rob Mercer. So, okay, Jamie, you got me on that one. You got all of us on that one, okay? I had a lot of criticism for you. I still do. But you actually called it with Rob Mercer, and you were the first one to do so. So congrats to you on that. Anyway, this all changed with Rob Mercer in mid-June. But you may ask, wait a minute, it's September 2nd. So how come... You have not said anything about this. If it all changed two and a half months ago, why didn't you talk about this during your shows earlier in the summer? Well, that is a source of some controversy, but I will explain it all. So Rob Mercer all of a sudden changed his tune in mid-June, and he started his own GoFundMe on June 17th, which of course changed everything. He had never provided any proof of this terminal cancer he claimed to have. He wasn't really known to anyone in poker prior to appearing in that Jamie thread in February and getting to know some people. I only gave him credit because he wasn't asking for anything. Something like, why would someone come out there and say they have terminal cancer and be lying about it if they're going to turn down stakes that are offered to them right then? But then on June 17th, he did the opposite of turn down stakes. He was asking to play the WSOP main event. So here is what he wrote on his GoFundMe. And the GoFundMe, by the way, is still up. It says, hey, everyone, my name is Rob. I'm a 37-year-old semi-professional poker player with terminal cancer. I found myself going back and forth wondering if I was ever going to do this because my pride means a lot to me, and I never like asking people for help, but my dream has always been to play the World Series of Poker main event. I've never really had the sustainable bankroll to outright buy into the main event, and I was conflicted whether I would ever play it in my lifetime. But in August of last year, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and I was told that my timetable wasn't very promising, anywhere from six months to 18 months, depending on how rapidly it progresses. I've been fighting hard for months now, and my body is definitely doing its best, but I can feel the sickness draining on me physically and mentally. By the way, I'm doing him a favor by pausing in between what should be sentences, but in reality, this is one big run-on sentence. <laughs> I think he went to the Sean Deeb School of Writing. I spend most days in bed now. I recently took a one-week trip to Vegas with my dad for the beginning of the WSOP, and I played a couple of events and managed three caches, but nothing major. But it did give me a shot of life back into me, and I felt like me again, even if just for a few hours here and there. 
And I definitely realized when I got home that if I didn't at least try to find a way to play the main once before I die, it will haunt me even in death. So now I'm here asking for help from the poker community, as well as just the general public to help me fulfill my wish. The main starts on July 5th, I believe. I'm, I'm hoping that we can raise the money to make this happen. If it doesn't, well, at least I know I didn't give up my dream and I did everything possible I could to get here. Again, like one long sentence. <laughs> Whatever anyone donates will be a blessing and appreciated wholeheartedly, and you're really helping prolong my life just by my sheer joy that poker brings me and keeps me motivated and driven to keep living and fighting. Thank you all, and God bless. I forgot to add a breakdown of where the funds will go. The entry fee for the main event is $10,000, and the extra $2,000, he was seeking twelve was to cover travel expenses, lodging, food, miscellaneous expenses. This is a far-fetched ask of people. I don't know, and I know I need to be realistic about expectations at this point. I have zero expectations of this happening. It definitely will be a blessing. If not, I understand. I'm good with it. Thank you all for your time to read a part of this story in this chapter of life. I did not like it. First of all, this week trip he took with his dad and played some events and supposedly cashed three times but yet he's claiming that he spends most days in bed. That doesn't even match up. (laughs) How do you play these long World Series events where you're there all day and all night and then got to come back the next day and then the next day if you make day three? Now, he didn't say he made day three, but he made at least day two in all these events. So he had these long, grueling days despite normally not being able to get out of bed much? I mean, it's possible, but that, that was already a little suspect to me. But was more, more suspect to me was the fact that he had such a change of heart. It went from, no, don't put me in these $300 buy-in events in Northern California because I don't want anything from anybody. I don't think others should have to put me in. I'm not here for anything. I don't want anything from you guys to, hey, guys, can I have 12 k please to play the main event and travel to Vegas? That's a pretty big leap in four months. Also, he never proved anything about having terminal cancer. Now, if someone claims that and they're not asking for anything as a result of having cancer, then you don't really care. You don't really need to question it. But when they're using this now as a premise to get 12K in donations, well, now you have to question it. So I saw this at the time, and people were retweeting it, and people were promoting it. And I thought, well, shit, what do I do now? Because I took such a harsh beating on Twitter from crazy people, crazy people. Some were simps that liked Jamie. Some were radical feminists that thought this was a matter of sexism, of the evil white middle-aged straight male attacking a poor female cancer patient. Some were people who had relatives or friends that had died of cancer or were dying of cancer and thought I was a disgusting person And when I was attacking Jamie for the lies that I could verify that she told on her GoFundMe, they basically saw me as attacking their family member. Even though I wasn't, it was like in their mind they pictured it and they would get hopping mad. So I had very, very angry people attacking me. It was extremely stressful. And I'm someone who's very okay with controversy on Twitter. I'll throw myself into controversy. I'll throw myself into controversy on my forum and on other forums. And it doesn't faze me. I've been doing this for decades. But this was something else. The level of anger and dedication that some of these people had to attacking me was like nothing I've seen before. 
So I thought, well, shit, if I call this out, I'm going to be known as Dandruff Attacker of Cancer Patients. Really, that's what I would look like. Because I had no proof that Rob was lying. I had no evidence that Rob was lying. I had no evidence he was telling the truth, but I had no evidence he was lying. And unlike Jamie, he didn't have a shady and questionable history prior to this. Remember, Jamie had various things that were in her past, some of it very recent, that also called people to question her, including me. For example, she's banned from the ARIA for some kind of weird issue that occurred there where she basically flipped out in the room and claimed some dude was sexually harassing her and she claimed she was banned for speaking up about it, which of course would never happen. So there has to be more to the story. So she is banned from the ARIA and she was viciously attacking Sean McCormack, the then director of the ARIA poker room for banning her just over and over and over, just writing crazy things about him. She had apparently faked a suicide in January after losing on Hustler Casino Live. She had people from where she used to live in Spokane saying all these bad things about what happened over there. I can't verify any of that because I don't really know these people very well, but several of them came forward. So at the very least, she had a spotty record as far as uh, someone who was a good and honest person. But Rob didn't have that. He was just an unknown. He didn't have a good rep. He didn't have a bad rep. He had no rep. So this is a guy with no rep who seemed to be an okay guy for the last four months, said he had terminal cancer the whole way, was turning down stakes, and then all of a sudden wants stakes. Well, I mean, it's suspicious, but what can I say? I don't have any evidence. Now, had the Jamie thing not happened, I would have said something. I wouldn't have said, hey, you're a scammer. But I would have said, okay, you know, now that you're asking the community for money, uh, you do have to show some proof to somebody so we can see you really have cancer because none of us know you. Like, if somebody who's well-known in the community says they have cancer and then they ask for money, as long as it's a person who does not have a reputation for causing trouble, for lying, for scamming, whatever, then you can just believe them. You can take it at face value saying, okay, well, this person's been in the community for 15 years. They've never lied or caused drama once, and now they're saying they have cancer. Well, we'll believe it. Like, take uh, Eric Froelich. He doesn't have cancer, but he had that heart problem where he had to have surgery. And he survived the surgery. It was a major surgery, though. But it's not like anyone was saying, oh, I wonder if Eric Froelich is lying about this. But why would he? You know, Eric Froelich's been around for 20 years, and he's never lied or really caused any drama. So, like, why would anyone think he's lying about the heart condition? So, of course, he wasn't lying. And he wasn't asking for money. But if, if he was, I would never think, oh, I wonder if Eric Froelich's lying about the heart condition to get staked. Like, I would never think that because he's been around for so long. And he's never done that before. Never done anything anything at all along those lines. But someone who's an unknown, you don't know. There's a lot of people out there who will exploit and manipulate anything in order to get buy-ins. That's a sad fact about poker. So I thought that, but the problem was I couldn't be the one to say it because I already did it. I already used up my quota for 2023 of calling out cancer GoFundMes. I really did. Otherwise, can you imagine the way people would attack me? They'd say, oh my God, there he goes again. There he goes again. So first he attacks Jamie, who probably really has cancer, and now he's going off saying that this terminal cancer guy might be lying, even though he has no evidence to suggest that.
just because the guy decided that, yeah, he does actually want some steaks. Why does this Dan Druff always attack cancer patients? What's his problem? Does he like to pick on weak people? Does he like to pick on dying people? Does he like to pick on people who are much less fortunate than himself? Does he get a kick out of this? Is he a bully of cancer patients? What a freaking asshole. I mean, that's what people would think if I did this. Yeah, there'd be some who'd say, yeah, you know, Druff has a good point. The guy's never proven it. But, look, not only did this guy have no history of shadiness, he just had no history, but he was already being promoted by a lot of visible voices on Twitter, including Nick Vertucci. Nick didn't really know him, but there were already people coming forward saying, hey, donate to this guy, he's a good guy. So I'm, I'm going to crash the party and say, hey, hate to be the only one to say this, but uh, I think Rob is lying about having cancer. Well, by the way, someone did say this. Remember Eden Rocks? We had him on the show. Eden Rocks said something about it, and boy, did he get attacked. In fact, this caused a major rift between him and Nick Vertucci, who had gotten along up till then. Boy, everyone got all over Eden Rocks for this. I didn't because... You know, I I thought maybe uh, this is correct. But I just couldn't get involved in this. And it wasn't because Rob is a dude and Jamie is a woman. It's not that. Otherwise, I couldn't have this show. Because what is the gender of the typical person I call out on this show for being a scammer or acting shady or acting inappropriate in poker and gambling? It's almost always men. Just about 100% of the time, it's either men or companies. Very infrequently women, because there just are not many women in the community. So if I took this attitude of, well, if it's a guy, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, because I'm a sexist and I always want to give the benefit of the doubt to dudes, well, then we would have no show. Because then I could never talk about anybody because I would just be assuming that every dude is innocent. But I don't assume that. When I am reading about or becoming aware of or told about someone that is acting shady or might be scamming or even about a company that might be acting shady, might be scamming. I just look at the facts. I say, give me all the facts. I want to look at the facts from every angle, from the angle of maybe they're innocent all the way to the angle of maybe they're guilty. And I try to take it all in and I try to make my best guess. And I'm not always right. I'm usually right. But, you know, once in a while I'm wrong but I try to go by whatever is out there to draw conclusions. And sometimes I'll draw a very strong conclusion, say it's highly unlikely I'm wrong. Sometimes I'll say, well, I might be right here. I'm leaning this way, but I'm not 100% sure. But I'll tell you what never enters into it. The person's sex, the person's sexual preference, the person's race, the person's age, none of this stuff. The person's politics, not that either. Nothing about them that has nothing to do with the situation enters my mind. I really don't care if it's a male or female. In fact, I prefer it's a male because then I won't get the allegations of sexism when I call it out. I'm actually happy these days when I see it's being done by a straight white male. So this way, nobody can attack me for some kind of perceived bigotry because I'm calling that person out. Now, Rob Mercer, as far as I know, is a straight white male. He is definitely a white male. I assume he's straight especially when you hear what he wrote later, which uh, is a bit comical, which I'll tell you a bit later. But uh, 
I did not want to say it because he was supposedly a terminal cancer patient, and I just had gone through a very, very, very stressful six, seven weeks of people just brutally attacking me because I dared to call out and question someone who said they had cancer and wanted money for it. And by the way, I have never called out someone who's just saying they have cancer on Twitter but isn't asking for money. Because then I don't care. Let them say it. Even if they're lying, who gives a crap? Because they're not asking for anything. But when you're asking for something, then it becomes a problem. So Jamie was asking for something, and I called it out, and I really got a ton of shit for it, and then I I just couldn't do it with Rob after that. I just didn't want to take it. I didn't want to deal with this again. I didn't want this in my life. I'm not required to do this. And that's the problem, is that some idiots... And when I say idiots, I don't mean people who are actually stupid. I don't mean people who have low intelligence. There were some intelligent people who said this, but it was a stupid take. And that is, once I decide to call out one cancer patient on GoFundMe, that I must call out any supposed cancer patient asking for money. That I'm now compelled to do this for life. That now, since I called out Jamie, for the rest of time, until I'm put in the ground, I must attack every single person who puts up a GoFundMe and says they have cancer. Every single one of them I run into, I must now say something. And if I don't, I'm a terrible sexist and hypocrite. But that's not true. This isn't my job. No one's paying me for this. I don't have any reason I'm compelled to do this. This is something I do voluntarily as a service to the community. And I took such a beating for it last time, I didn't want to go through it again. After last time, I said, you know what? The next time a cancer thing comes up, male or female, I'm not getting involved. Unless I have the smoking gun proof, or very close to it, I'm not getting involved. If I just see some kind of shady looking things, but can't prove much beyond that, I'm not getting involved. So that's what I chose to do, not get involved. Did I retweet the GoFundMe request, like many people did in the community? No. Did I promote it? like Nick Vertucci and Snoop Dogg and various others in the community who were well-meaning, but did I do it? No. Why? Because I was suspicious. Did I mention it on this show? No. That's why you haven't heard of it on this show until right now. I just pretended like it wasn't happening. I didn't want to promote it. I didn't want anyone to become aware of it and donate to the guy. I also did not want to become the dude attacking the cancer patient again. So I said nothing. Well, he did raise what he was looking for. He raised $12,025 on his GoFundMe, but it didn't stop there. He got additional money from other people. It is now estimated that Rob Mercer was able to raise somewhere between thirty dollars and $40,000 through this whole I Have Terminal Cancer Sponsor Me Coming to the World Series campaign. The rest of it was sent to him off of GoFundMe, apparently. So did he play the main event? Well, it seems like it. The Las Vegas Review Journal actually did an article about him. It was an article actually about him and Cody Daniels, who was another person in poker that really wasn't well-known either, but had a different ailment. He didn't have cancer, but he had... I believe some sort of a major intestinal issue since he was a kid that has 
left him spending most of his life in and out of hospitals. So Nick Vertucci ran a drive to get people to raise money for both of them to go play the main event, which, again, that was nice of Nick. Whatever you think of Nick, this was nice and generous of him, and he did mean well here. Now, you can say maybe he was doing it to look good and get publicity for Hustler Casino Live and maybe improve his own reputation because he has a lot of critics and a lot of people who've questioned his past behavior before he was in poker and all that. So you can say that's why he was doing it, and you know maybe that was some of it. I don't know, but this act itself, he was trying to do good. Even if it came with some benefit to him as well, he was trying to raise money for two people that he honestly believed were uh, suffering from pretty bad uh, health situations. So this Las Vegas Review-Journal article profiled both Mercer and this Cody Daniels and how they both got money raised by the community to play the main event. It had a picture of Rob playing poker with a big smile on his face. He's wearing a mask, which, uh, by the way, the mask he's wearing is over his mouth and not his nose. (laughs) And and by the way, I heard he didn't have that mask on when he was playing in the pits. (laughs) So the mask was probably for show. But anyway, I don't know if they actually took this picture during the main event. I know the picture was taken during the World Series. I can see by the chips, but I can't see if it's the actual main event. There's no way to tell. But from my belief, I would say he probably did actually play the main event. I mean, someone took this picture. I'm guessing it probably was a Las Vegas Review-Journal photographer, unless they asked for permission to use this picture. And he said he busted day one. And when he busted day one, and I remember seeing this tweet, he went over a few of the hands and then was very depressed and was saying that he let everybody down, he feels so terrible, he really wanted to do well for everybody to put him in, and that he's just so sad he's out day one. Because main event day one, like 70% of the people make it through, so it's not a big deal to make it through day one. And he didn't come close to making it. When he posted some of the hands, Mike Matisau saw it and mocked him and was saying these hand histories are brutal. I forgot what he wrote, but he was basically criticizing the hand histories and I, I think criticizing the play. And then people are like, uh, Mike, do you know who this guy is? He's a terminal cancer patient. Why, why are you doing this? And then Mike ended up tweeting something that got even more criticism. He said, I just want to apologize for the tweet I put up. I had no idea he had terminal cancer. I pray for your recovery. <laughs> what? What? Mike. Mike. If he has terminal cancer, he can't recover. <laughs> There's no praying. That's what terminal means. It's done. So people gave him a hard time for that, too. Well, I guess good news for Mike Mattisau in a way, because it seems like Rob Mercer does not have terminal cancer. Seems like it was a scam. This didn't come out until recently. This didn't come out till. August 19th, and that's why uh, you didn't hear it on the last show. It would have been the lead story in the last show, but it wasn't because we had our last show ending on the very early hours of August 19th, and this was brought out by Snoop Dogg on August 19th near the end of the day at 11.25 p.m. Pacific Time. Snoop Dogg was one of the people who was instrumental in promoting Rob when he had that GoFundMe. 
Snoop Dogg had befriended him over those like four months ever since Snoop Dogg offered him that stake back in February and Rob turned it down. They had become friends. I don't think they met in person, but they had become online friends. And I believe it was Snoop Dogg who kind of referred him over to uh, Nick Vertucci. And then they ended up having that drive for both Rob and for Cody Daniels. So Snoop Dogg was very invested in this. Not so much financially, though. I think he gave some too. But more in that he was a big cheerleader of Rob Mercer's. He was a big promoter of Rob Mercer's. Now, I want to be clear. I don't believe that Snoop Dogg knew anything that anything was shady about Mercer. I believe Snoop Dogg was doing this because he wanted to do a nice thing. I'm not friends with Snoop Dogg. I'm not enemies with Snoop Dogg. We have DM'd occasionally. We're kind of like moderately friendly acquaintances is the way I would describe it. But from what I can see of him, he seems like a decent guy. He doesn't seem like someone who would scam. He doesn't seem like someone who would help someone scam. And it really does seem like he did this because he felt bad for Rob and wanted to help the guy out. But at the same time, Snoop Dogg's friends were messaging him and saying, hey, you know, this guy, Rob, that you've been pumping up and you've been encouraging people to donate to and people did donate to him. Well, some things aren't adding up with this guy. We're starting to really suspect that he doesn't have cancer, that he's making all this up. So Snoop Dogg started to quietly look into it behind the scenes as well. He didn't immediately jump up and post about this. He he was suspecting this in like late July, so the World Series was over by that point, and all the money was spent already. So the, there was no way to get that money back. It was gone. But he didn't want to, of course, jump out and accuse Rob yet. He was uh, doing some research behind the scenes, including talking to Rob directly and seeing if he could provide any proof but was trying to do it very gently so Rob wouldn't get offended. Because that's another thing. Like, if, if you're promoting someone who says they have terminal cancer, and then you start to have doubts, to come to them and say, hey, I just want to make sure you really have it, can be kind of insulting. But at the same time, it's kind of necessary when there's money involved. That's the truth. It's sad, but it's true. But let's rewind a little bit here before August 19th, when Snoop Dogg finally decided that he was uh, convinced that Rob Mercer was a scammer. There were some other things that were suspicious. First off, by this point, Rob Mercer and Nick Vertucci were no longer talking. Now, how is that? Why was Rob Mercer at odds with Nick Vertucci when Nick was the one who facilitated the publicity that got all those donations to him. It looks like Rob collected over 30K of donations that really was mostly possible because Nick Fertucci, who has a big platform, pushed this drive to have money donated to him. I don't believe Nick gave anything himself, but what Nick gave was his platform, which is very valuable. So some people said, oh, well, Nick didn't donate himself, so he didn't do anything. That's not true. Nick gave the platform. So I'm saying this in favor of Nick, by the way. It's not, not a criticism. I'm saying that People criticizing Nick for not donating and taking credit, it's bullshit because he donated his platform to have a drive for the guy. So given that Nick was generous and did that, why was Rob at odds with him? Well, Nick started to notice that Rob was an ingrate. Rob was acting like he deserved more. 
He claimed that Rob was unhappy with the room that they got him. I guess someone got him a, a comp room and he was complaining about it. It wasn't good enough for him. It just seemed to him that Rob was not grateful at all, that Rob just wanted more. Rob felt it was never enough. Rob just seemed to believe that he was entitled to all the best, which is weird. When you've got terminal cancer and you're like, hey, guys, you know, if you could just give me 12K to play and for some expenses, I, I'd be so grateful. But, you know, if it doesn't happen, that's cool. I understand. Just if it does, that's wonderful. It'll live out my dream and get to play the main event before I die to what? This room? This room's not good enough? What? Look at this room. This only has a mountain view. I want a strip view. And uh, this room isn't a suite. It's a regular room. And what about this this food? I don't have a food credit. How am I supposed to eat here? And uh, the, yeah, I don't know exactly what he said because I didn't hear it. And there's apparently no recording of the fight they had on Spaces. But that's what was relayed to me, that he was just basically being an ingrate. And Nick was like thinking, what the fuck? I did so much for this guy. Like, How can he complain like this? So at the time, Nick still didn't think he was a scammer. Nick said, and I, I heard this space, as they didn't record it, but I heard when Nick was talking about it after the fact in, in late August, Nick was saying that at the time he thought that Mercer was just an asshole and an ingrate. He thought he really had cancer, but then he didn't think he was a good person and regretted having helped him. Because again, it's not only good people who get cancer early in life. And that can be hard for someone to wrap their head around sometimes because when you get early life cancer, of course, people are going to feel sorry for you because that's a very bad fate and most people who get cancer are elderly. So someone gets cancer at a young age, you automatically feel sorry for them. And then when they turn out to be a shitty person, it's hard to wrap your head around like how you feel about them. Like, Do you hate the person, dislike them? Do you still feel bad for them? It can be tough, especially if the person hasn't directly done anything to you. But Nick definitely was regretting having helped him, cancer or not, and that made sense, given how Mercer was apparently acting like an ingrate. But then there was also the tweet about the porn star. That was the first sign that something might be wrong with Rob and his whole story. This was tweeted on July 20th. And fortunately, somebody captured this when it had just been made. So props to whoever captured this and realized that this would be something worth saving. Because Rob deleted his Twitter. So the only reason we have this tweet is because someone was smart enough to capture this at the time it was made. Like, really, right when it was made. You could see it hardly had any views. It had 34 views when it was captured. Rob wrote, if there's any consolation to basically going broke in Vegas, I head down to get food in Paris, and right by the pizza place, there's this 40-something hot blonde, and she says hello and starts a conversation with me, and I'm thinking, oh boy, another working girl drumming up business. I tell her I'm going to go play poker, and she says, why don't I come to her room and get naked and fuck her brains out? <laughs> And I say, how much? And she goes, I'm not an escort. I'm a porn star, and I'm horny, and you're cute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just hitting on you, he claims, she said. And then he finishes off with, good thing Southwest, referring to Southwest Airlines, allows last-minute flight changes. (laughs) Oh, boy. Now, is this possible? Is it possible that Rob Mercer is such a good-looking guy that 
a porn star just sees him sitting there and just can't help it. She she has to just hit on him and say, let's just go upstairs and fuck. Is that possible? Well, if you take a look at Rob Mercer, you'll have your answer. Rob Mercer is a fat guy. He is not the one that they're going to approach and say, I'm horny. Take me upstairs and fuck my brain down. Like, they're, they're not going to do this to good-looking guys. How often does this happen? How often do you think it happens that dudes just sitting there by themselves are approached by porn stars that want to go up and just have sex with no money exchanged? I'm not talking about if they've been talking or they're meeting at a club. Or, I'm just saying, like, a guy sitting in the casino, good-looking or not, and a porn star approaches him and says, let's just go up to the room and fuck. Like, does that ever happen where there's not money involved? Like, never. But it's especially not going to happen if you are a fat guy with a lot of missing teeth, which he is. He's missing a bunch of teeth, and he's fat. So he's definitely not going to be the dude that she picks out in the casino when she's, quote, horny. So this is a bizarre story, he told. Nobody believed it. Nobody believed it. And they're like, wait a minute, this is so weird. The terminal cancer guy is telling this story? And the problem is here, this goes beyond just some idiot on Twitter trying to brag about a porn star hitting on him and them going up to the room and him having to change his flight because they take so long having sex. (laughs) But this goes beyond just some idiot trying to brag about sex that he didn't really have. This is somebody who just got five figures because he claimed he had terminal cancer with no proof. So if he's lying about the porn star thing, which he probably was, then what else was he lying about? And that's really the same logic I used with Jamie. Jamie didn't claim to be having sex with anybody in a casino, but Jamie told some lies in her GoFundMe, and my immediate thought was, if she's lying here, which I could prove that she was lying about some things, what else might she be lying about? And even if she's not, does she really deserve the money if she's lying as part of the GoFundMe? So this isn't too different, except here he already had and blew all the money. So there was no decision as to whether or not to give him the money at this point. This was on July 20th. The World Series of Poker was over. And they may have had like one or two events left, but he was basically uh, about to go home. So for him, it was over. The main event was even over by that point. And he's leaving everybody with, hey, well, you know, one good thing happened here. I, I basically went broke in Vegas, he said, with other, other people's money, of course. But uh, yeah, some 40-something porn star approached him and told him he's cute, that she wants to go up and bang, and that uh, no money will exchange hands. She's just a porn star, is horny, and is hitting on him because he's cute. (laughs) And then he did it. By the way, this may have been inspired by a true story. This may have been inspired by a woman in her 40s who is a former porn star who tried to get business from him because she sees a fat guy near 40 years old maybe he was missing i don't know if he had the mask on or not but if he didn't she could see his missing teeth also and it's like hey i don't think this guy's getting laid very often so i bet he probably would uh be interested here and then she approached him and uh then after some small talk she revealed that it's going to cost him some money and he said no thanks and that was that or maybe maybe he did have sex with her because he paid her maybe that's where some of the money went So I think probably he didn't completely make this up. That was just my guess. But you know what? There are a lot of hookers walking around the casinos trying to drum up business, as he wrote. That part's true. I have them approaching me all the time because I'm walking around by myself. 
I'm in my early 50s. And they think, okay, well, I bet this guy has some money. And I bet this guy wants to have sex. And I don't see him with a woman here. Because when I'm in Vegas to gamble or to play at the World Series, I'm usually by myself. And so they think, okay, well, perfect prospective client. So they try to approach me. I just ignore them and keep walking, but I've had a lot of different girls try to approach me, including some at this past World Series. So do I believe it's possible that one did approach him and he did talk to her and she said she was a former porn star? Yeah, but I don't believe that she would do this for free or that she thought he was cute or that she did have sex with him for free. There's there's no chance that happened. So people were very suspicious. Some people who questioned this were blocked by him. Instead of him responding, he would just block them. There was one guy who even offered $10,000 to him, like a free roll, if he could prove it was true, and he just blocked that person. So it wasn't true. We know it wasn't true. But that was the moment that a number of people started to become suspicious. But again, guess why people didn't call out the cancer thing? Because nobody wants to do that. Because they saw what happened to me. They saw what happened to Slay Dog. They saw what happened to anyone else who got involved in this situation. They did not want to experience the wrath from the community. So they, they can laugh about the stupid porn star story, but they can't say, oh, I bet you're faking the cancer too, because then they're going to get attacked relentlessly by people. So people stayed quiet about the cancer thing, and a few commented on the porn star story, but most people didn't even want to comment on that. Most people just read it and like, oh boy, I wonder if there's something wrong here. Now, I did not see that porn star thing until when it was reposted after the whole scandal. So I did not have the thought process at the time of, oh, I wonder what this means. I just didn't see it. So now let's get to August 19th, when this whole thing really blew up. Snoop Dogg decided that what Mercer was telling him wasn't good enough, and he just was pretty convinced that it was a scam. August 19th, 2023, 11.25 p.m. Pacific. Truly hope I'm wrong about Rob Mercer scamming the entire community out of countless time, 30 to 40K, and many hours of tears and advice have been spent trying to help him. Feel personally responsible since I brought his story to the community. Feel sick about it all. And then he posted what Rob sent to him as proof. And he actually put proof in quotes to show that he didn't believe it was proof, Snoop Dogg. And it was from MyChart, which is a health management app that a lot of doctors use where you can access your records and communicate with the doctors. Uh, I, I bet a lot of you probably have MyChart. But anyway, the proof that was provided by Rob to Snoop Dogg before he was called out, this is when Snoop Dogg was asking Rob, hey, you know, can you give me some proof here? A lot of people are having their doubts. He sent a screenshot of him emailing a doctor. Hey, doctor, whatever, it was blocked out. I was hoping I could get a copy of my diagnosis emailed slash message to me. Thanks for all the help. God bless, Robert. That was the entire proof. Just him sending the doctor a message through my chart. (laughs) That's it. That was what he gave back to Snoop Dogg who was getting highly doubtful and very concerned. By the way, notice that he does not show a reply 
And also, someone figured out who the doctor was because he didn't completely cover the name, and people figured out from the area where the, you know, which doctor it is. And anyway, people got the name of the doctor, and it turns out the doctor is not an oncologist; he's a general practitioner. <laughs> guy's got terminal cancer he said he has stage four cancer and he doesn't have an oncologist his doctor is a general practitioner what so if the doctor were to respond like what your cancer diagnosis you don't have cancer well we don't get to see that because we don't get to see the response we just get to see what he's emailing him it'd be like if i was making the claim to everybody that my net worth was actually one hundred billion dollars. And you guys doubted that. And I say, here, let me prove this. Let me prove this. And I send an email to the CEO of Chase Bank to their real email address. And then I screenshot that and say, ah, there's the proof. I just emailed the CEO of Chase Bank to verify that I have a hundred billion dollars. You'd say, yeah, but he hasn't responded. Like, what? What is my emailing him? Say, hey, can you verify everybody have a hundred billion dollars? That that proves nothing. That's just showing you're asking the question. That's all he would give him. So it's Rob emailing his general practitioner to verify that he has cancer, and we don't get to see the response. That's all he'll give. So as you can imagine, the community overwhelmingly believed this was a scam. And they especially believed it because right then, right after Snoop Dogg called it out, Rob vanished from Twitter. He, he vanished super fast. I don't know how quickly, but same day he vanished. And that's not what innocent people do. Let's say for argument's sake that Rob Mercer really had terminal cancer and this was all a big misunderstanding. Well, he spent four months making friends, cultivating relationships, actually getting money from people who felt bad for him. And he's going to let all that fall by the wayside just because Snoop Dogg questions him on Twitter? Why wouldn't he respond saying, no, I really do have terminal cancer and here's the proof or I'm going to get the proof and post it by such and such date. So give me three days, I'll post it. Never said anything like that. Just deleted Twitter. Now I can tell you in my more than 20 years in the poker community, that I have never seen once that someone is accused of scamming and then they delete their account and give no response and it turns out they're innocent. I've never seen that happen once. Every single person I've seen up, in the, up till now that has deleted their account when accused of scamming, on Twitter, on forums, wherever, if someone just disappears when they're accused of scamming, so far, 100% of the time, they turned out to be a scammer. Because human nature is to defend yourself if you're being wrongly accused. Now, some people said, well, he's suffering from terminal cancer. Maybe he's too sick. Maybe he doesn't want to deal with all this. He doesn't want to deal with all the hate. He just can't have this stress in his life at this point. No. There's a few reasons that's BS. First of all, he had enough energy to come to Vegas to play the World Series, to bang a porn star. He had enough energy for all that, and then just weeks later, he doesn't have enough energy to clear his name when everybody thinks he's a scammer? And furthermore, 
if everybody does believe he's a scammer, it could cause stress for him down the road. People may bother his friends, his family, whatever. You know, like, uh, you, you don't want to go out with people believing that you fake terminal cancer to scam the community. That can have a lot of implications down the road, both legal and otherwise. So if that is the common belief about you, which it was and still is, then if you really had terminal cancer, then you come forward and give the proof. But instead, he deleted his account. So you know what that highly likely means. He first deleted his Twitter, and then a few days later, he deleted his Instagram. Eventually, he created another account. I don't know which account it is, but he communicated with somebody that Snoop Dogg knows, who then sent it to Snoop Dogg. And then Snoop Dogg posted the response. This was uh, two days later on the 21st. So for two days, we heard nothing from him. And then on the 21st of August, we got this rambling statement. Honestly, it's disgusting how everyone is calling me a scammer after everything. First and foremost, I am not a scammer. I do have cancer. I am telling you the true story of what happened. And you can do with it as you seem because you genu- I genuinely think you care about me and want to help. I got diagnosed last July. On that day, I walked out of the doctor's office with zero paperwork and zero talking to my cancer doctor outside of him wishing me well and saying I'm not doing any treatments and I will fight this on my own. From that day, I haven't talked to the doctor and I lost my insurance that that gave me access to that doctor because I couldn't work anymore. So I had to get on state insurance and they gave me a generic general practitioner who I never even have met to this day. When Ash Kardash, which is a, a woman on Twitter, asked for proof, I had no access contact my dad because he's losing his son after all this shit i am disgusted how all the people who told me they cared about me and had loved me turned on me at the drop of a dime because i only had a message to my new doctor and instantly i'm a scammer now that shit isn't right i told everyone i'm going to be off twitter and spaces after the blow-up fight with nick and argument with snoop i can only imagine how they're portraying me now and you know what i really don't care to be honest this is all but one big run-on sentence by the way I can't play poker anymore and won't be part of the community going forward, regardless because I don't have a lot of time left, but I want you to relay this to everyone who turned on me. When I die in the next two to three months, I want them to remember how they turned on me and let it eat away at them for how they did me in my last few months of life I have left. I appreciate everyone who donated and helped me live my dream and did it out of the kindness of their hearts and genuinely wanted to help. I'm not coming back on Twitter or social media going forward because I don't have the energy or life left in me to fight off everyone who thinks the worst of me now. End of story. Take care. And please don't message any of my friends going forward. None of them told me about it, but they've known I've had cancer since I posted about it last September, October on my Facebook. Take care of yourself. I wish the best. Okay. This is bullshit. This is is just bullshit. I'm sorry. So uh, let's get back to the beginning of this rambling statement. He somehow got diagnosed with cancer in July of 2022, but walked out with zero paperwork. How does that happen? You always get paperwork. So you, he, he walked out with zero paperwork when he was diagnosed with cancer? He didn't say terminal at that point, but he got zero paperwork at any point about his cancer. Then he hasn't talked to his doctor since then because he lost his insurance because he couldn't work anymore because of the cancer. And for whatever reason, he says he's not going to fight it. He said, I'm not doing any treatments. I'll fight this on my own. So that, that was the last thing he told the oncologist that he supposedly had. That he's, just, he's not, he's not going to 
trying to treat this. He's just going to fight it on his own, whatever that means. And uh, therefore has no further contact with the oncologist and has no paperwork. (laughs) And and can't get paperwork. Like, even if this really happened, he could go back to that doctor and say, hey, I need some proof of the cancer that I was diagnosed with in July 2022. But no, he doesn't address that either. Just, oh my God, how can you not believe me? How can you think I'm a scammer? All these people who said they cared about me, now they think I'm a scammer. They're accusing me of being a scammer. And, and, and they don't like the proof I sent. There's a message from my, from my chart. How could that not convince everybody? Why don't you go get the proof? You're telling me there's no paper trail of your cancer anywhere? And you chose not to fight it in your 30s? What? And then somehow state insurance, quote, gave you a general practitioner? That's not how it works either. That's not how it works. If you get on Medi-Cal, you might have to switch doctors, but Medi-Cal is not going to say, well, you have terminal cancer, but we're just going to give you a a GP. You you don't get to have an oncologist. Yeah, you've got late stage cancer, but tough luck. I mean, he had over a year to resolve this. This is July 2022, but he still just has a general practitioner and he won't provide any proof. He won't ask anyone to send him the proof that he saw for this. And by the way, how do they diagnose the terminal cancer? They can't just look at him at a checkup and say, oh, yep, you have a stage four uh, colon cancer is what he claimed to have. You can't just look at someone and say you have stage four colon cancer. It requires a lot of tests that would establish this. So there would be test results. There would be a huge paper trail that he could show. And that would be that. And he could even say, hey, I'll meet up with Snoop Dogg and show him all this stuff. And then Snoop Dogg can do whatever he wants with me to verify that these are authentic documents. We can go to the doctor ourselves, whatever it is. What do you need me to do, Snoop Dogg? I'll meet with you. We're both in the same area. We're both in Northern California. Let's meet together and get the documents. He doesn't offer any of this. He's just feigning outrage that people aren't believing him. It's crazy. So nobody liked this statement. Everybody thought it was crap. Everyone thought, you know, this this is a type of statement that just makes everything worse. And I said, when someone puts out a statement like this, this is really a spot where you just are better off saying nothing. He was really better off just disappearing. Why? Because there were at least a few people who thought, okay, maybe he's just too stressed out to respond to this because... He really has terminal cancer. It's taken such a toll on him. And the last thing he wants to do is fight with the internet about it. He figures people won't believe him anyway. So he says, screw it. Let them believe I was lying. I don't care anymore. That was some people's arguments in his favor. But come out and put this ridiculous story out there. (laughs) I mean, this doesn't make any sense. The whole thing makes no sense. But the reason he put it out there is because he had to manufacture a story that he thought in his mind could kind of explain everything, why he can't provide the paperwork, why there isn't a doctor that's an oncologist that he's currently seeing. Why is it a general practitioner that he emailed? Like, he has to take all the suspicious elements of this and try to answer this all in this one rambling message, and then he puts together a story which just is absurd and doesn't make any sense. So that just solidified people's belief that he was lying the whole way. 
one of the people who donated to Rob Mercer that came forward was Benjamin Lee, known as Blank Check Ben. He's been on Hustler Casino Live a lot of times. He's a really rich crypto guy. He claimed he gave over $13,000 to Rob Mercer. He said, I've been away and not in touch with poker stuff lately. I gave over $13,000 to Robert Mercer, some contributed by my friends. Also, we put him up in a hotel suite at Bellagio for 11 nights. Advice, suggestions. So he was quite unhappy about this and said he's never going to do this again. He was someone who was brought into this by Nick Vertucci because he's gotten to know Vertucci very well because he appears on Hustler Casino Live all the time. Interesting tweet was found in 2022 from Rob Mercer. This is not about cancer, but responding to Rampage, Ethan Yao, who is a streamer and someone who has been playing a lot of high-stakes poker. In June of 2022, when Rampage was calling out a different scammer, Grayson Goss, who we've talked about on this show, Rampage wrote, unfortunate to report I got scammed out of a measly $1,000. A reminder to never give lend people that you don't know money, no matter how they are or what the amount is so ridiculous. So then Rob responded, remember, this is in 2022. Yo, bro, can I borrow a measly 10K? I'll get it right back to you in two to four years. But if I win the main event, I'll be sure to ghost you completely. <laughs> Well, that is pretty accurate. <laughs> I mean, I think he's telling the truth. I think he's telling the truth that if uh, he got lent the 10K and staked in the main event by Rampage and he won it, he'd probably take the 10 million and run. For once, Rob Mercer told the truth. But interesting, he was already talking about uh, borrowing money back then. I, I think he was joking, but still, I think he had this on his mind. And, and, and same time frame. In fact, it was also June 17th. It was the year anniversary of when he started his GoFundMe. I just noticed that right now. Wow. So what might be happening with Rob is he might be looking at all these updates on Twitter of people playing the World Series and having fun and thinking, well, shit, I wish I could do this. I don't have any money, but I wish I could do this. And then in 2023, he decided to actually do it and did. Some other details that came out about Rob Mercer... These are unverified, but these were things that were told to me by people who tend to be reliable. Apparently, he was there with his dad. That part is verified. When he came out for the main event, he was with his dad. And at some point, his dad left. His dad left before he did. And someone noticed that he was arguing with his dad, and that he and his dad were not getting along, and that he even said that he and his dad were not getting along. Again, I didn't personally see any of this, but that's what I've uh, been told. And there was a theory that maybe his dad found out that he was getting this money and getting this suite of the Bellagio based upon a claim of terminal cancer, which of course his dad would know whether it's true or untrue. And if it was untrue, which it probably was, then you can imagine his dad probably wasn't happy about this. Now, there are some piece of shit dads that would be okay with this. And, you know, sometimes like father, like son, but there's also parents that would not be okay with this and would be very upset. I'm a father. My son is uh, still a minor, still quite some time from being able to gamble. But, you know, if he were an adult and then I found out that he was given a bunch of money by strangers 
because he claimed he had terminal cancer when he didn't, I would be very upset. And if he brought me on that trip with him and the newspapers doing interviews with him and all these people are fawning attention over him for the terminal cancer, I'd be really pissed off. My son would never do such a thing. I can already tell you that even at the young age he is now, but yeah, I'd be pissed off and I think there's a good chance his dad was too. So this whole thing was a mess, as you might imagine. Makes me wonder if anybody in poker has ever had cancer ever. (laughs) Now, there is, of course, an aftermath for this whole thing. Not just against Rob. It's pretty clear what everybody thinks about Rob. But there was an aftermath here, which you need to be aware of. Because that's a big part of the story, too. First of all, those who were promoting Rob were getting some shit for it. Nick Fertucci, Snoop Dogg, Ash Kardash, who again is a female on uh, Twitter who has been on Hustler Casino Live before. She's a young woman. She seems nice. I don't know her very well, but when I've interacted with her, she seems nice. But anyway, all these people who promoted Rob because they really believed he had terminal cancer and felt bad for him, they got a lot of shit for this. And I didn't really think that was fair. Because I think the worst you can say about these people is that they were a little bit gullible and didn't exercise the most cautious judgment. That they gave someone too much credit who was a stranger in the community. But they meant well. They were not accomplices. They weren't trying to assist a scammer. And they really believed what he had to say. They were trying to do something nice. They were trying to do something nice and raise money for someone they thought had terminal cancer. So yeah, they they made a mistake by not vetting this. And I guess there was some confusion about whether proof had been seen or not. And everybody thought everybody else had seen proof when they really hadn't. Like among this group, like they, they all kind of thought that the others had verified it and there was just some miscommunication. So, you know, it happened. It's not the best thing for poker, but it happened. But you can't look at these people badly. They were trying to do something nice. And then there was some backlash against me and against Slaydog. Now, what did we have to do with this? As I said, I ignored the whole thing. I didn't promote this. I didn't discuss it. I didn't retweet it. I didn't like it. I didn't do anything that would allow Rob to get additional exposure for this GoFundMe because I didn't like it. And Slaydog, he threw like one retweet out there and that was it. But he wasn't one of the figures promoting this. So why were we getting shit for this? Well, it was the whole hypocrisy angle. Oh, look how you called out Jamie. And oh, looks like Jamie really does have cancer. And then this guy was faking and you didn't call him out, you big sexist. And we kept saying over and over, we both took so much shit over the Jamie thing. We were done. We just didn't want to do it anymore. And I said to the people who were calling me a hypocrite, I said, guess whose fault it is that I didn't say anything when Rob Mercer put up his GoFundMe? It was your fault. It was you and people like you who made my life so miserable that you taught me one thing. Never express doubt about a cancer GoFundMe unless you have the smoking gun proof because people are going to make your life hell otherwise. That's what I learned from it. So you helped teach me that. Thank you. You made my life hell. So you taught me not to get involved in situations like this again. 
So that's why I didn't do it. Not because of sexism, but because you harassed me so much. And you know what? I was right. And they say, oh, no, you weren't right. Jamie had cancer. I didn't say she didn't have cancer. I said she was not being honest in her GoFundMe that there were lies that you could verify. And that I wanted people to be aware of this before they decide whether or not to donate. And they say, well, you didn't have to go on about this for six weeks. Well, yes, I did, because there were all kinds of lies being told back. She didn't just quietly accept this. She fought back very hard, as did all of her supporters that were trying to make it look like something it wasn't. We're trying to make it look like a, a sexist jerk was just attacking a cancer patient. And I had to explain why I was being skeptical. And it had nothing to do with sexism, and it had all to do with the lies I had seen there. It was a very complicated situation. But Slay and I took such shit over this that we didn't want to do it again. And we didn't discuss it with each other, by the way. It's not like I messaged Slay and said, hey, see this uh, Mercer guy? I think we uh, shouldn't call this out because we'll get shit. We independently both kind of took the same position. He retweeted it at first and then kind of thought better of it. Like, okay, well, I retweeted it, but I think this is where I'm going to stop. And I just thought, I'm just not touching this one. So, yeah, that was uh, pretty stupid that I was getting these allegations. And it was a little stressful again. It brought back all the memories and the stress from February and March. Not as bad. And I, I tried not to really let it get to me, but it was getting to me a little bit. I was, I was getting kind of stressed out. Because I'm like, oh, no, not this again. And then Jamie, she, of course, jumped on it. Because remember, she had attacked Rob on her burner accounts. And it turned out she was right that he was faking. And she took a lot of shit for it at the time. So then she did a victory lap and then started acting like she was the victim the whole way. Not just in the Rob thing, but like that she was wrongly accused, blah, blah, blah. And so we had to start to refight this all over again. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. Like I said, I'm not going through this whole thing again. <laughs> I gave her a few answers and they said, that's it, Jamie. You, know, you want to obsess over me, you can. But I'm, I'm not going to continue with this. I, I don't want to do it anymore. That's why I quit this whole thing back in March. And then another weird narrative sprung from this, which was unfairly positive toward me. So it's funny. First, I had the unfairly negative responses of people who were accusing me of hypocrisy and questioning my motivation with why I called out Jamie in the first place. And then we had some poker media that didn't do very good research. First of all, most of poker media didn't cover this. Poker News didn't cover it. Card Player didn't cover it. Uh, poker.org didn't cover it. Casino.org didn't cover it. So a lot of the usual poker media was ignoring this and still is. And that's why you should pay attention to Poker Fraud Alert because the very first article explaining this whole thing was on Poker Fraud Alert written by me. So I will delve into these stories. That's the other thing. I'm like... How am I some sexist who is trying to protect Rob Mercer when the only article right now on the web explaining this whole thing, and it's not at all flattering to Rob, it's very critical of Rob, is on my site written by me? <laughs> like, there's people going off about how awful I am because I won't go after Rob with this. I'm like, try using Google right now and take a look at who has the only article on the web right now. You're not going to find it on Poker News. You're going to find it on my site. So if I'm trying to protect him, why is the only article on the web by me? And since then, there are some other articles, and that's what I'm going to get to, that are portraying me as the guy who discovered this and blew this up. And that's not true. 
I'd love to take credit for it, but it's not true. I'm going to be honest with you. It, it was not me who discovered this or blew this up or investigated this. I did none of that because, remember, I just ignored it. It was Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg and his friends, I don't know which friends, but Snoop Dogg and his friends investigated this in the background, and on August 19th, they brought it forward. I happened to be looking at Twitter on August 19th, and I saw it very shortly after Snoop Dogg posted it, and then I posted a sarcastic tweet to Mike Matisau, joking about the fact that uh, he got a lot of shit for telling Rob Mercer first that uh, he doesn't want to see his hand histories and then second that he hopes he gets better from his terminal cancer. I said, good news, Mike. Looks like the dude was a scammer who didn't really have cancer. I suspected as such, but I couldn't say anything because I already used up my 2023 poker cancer call out quota earlier in the year, which is true. (laughs) Well, I posted this on August 20th at 12.08 a.m., which is only about... 40 minutes after Snoop Dogg revealed publicly that he thought that Rob Mercer was a scammer. So I jumped on this very quickly, and this tweet ended up going semi-viral. It has like 140,000 views as I'm recording this. So that was the tweet most people saw in the first place. Because as I said, Snoop Dogg is not a big name in poker. I'm a bigger name than Snoop Dogg is. And I'm not trying to brag here. I'm not a huge name myself. But I'm saying that he's really known only in the Twitter spaces and Northern California scenes, whereas I have more of a general following. So not only do I have more followers, but it's followers that are kind of more spread out among poker, among different factions of poker. So most people that learned about this learned about it through my tweet. So my tweet has been in all these articles ever since then and the places that are covering it, and they are portraying me as the one who investigated and discovered this situation, along with Snoop Dogg. But that's just not true. So I'm not going to take credit for this. This was Snoop Dogg's doing. Snoop Dogg brought him in, and then Snoop Dogg called him out. And Snoop Dogg did this because he felt bad. He legitimately felt bad that he promoted Rob and believed in him, and it turned out Rob was a scammer. So he put in the work to not only investigate it and come to his own conclusion, but also took the chance that when he was calling him out that he might get some shit for it. But he didn't get shit for it because it was was pretty strong by that point. And he felt that Rob was going to either not defend himself or disappear, and that's what happened. So Snoop Dogg's not getting shit for accusing Rob of faking because just about everybody thinks now that Rob was faking, given his behavior. But he is getting some shit for having promoted him in the first place, which I I don't agree with. I want to comment about Matt Berkey because something happened involving Matt Berkey, involving this that was very disappointing to me personally. And I'd like to tell you guys about it. So Matt Berkey and I were never friends. We were never enemies. Prior to about two years ago, we never talked. And I think he didn't care for me all that much. He didn't hate me, but I, I made a few jokes about his uh, Solve for Why training program, and I, I think he didn't appreciate it. So this wasn't someone who hated my guts by any means, but this is someone who kind of thought I was a little bit of an irritant. That, that's my guess. He didn't ever say that to me, but that was just kind of my guess from how he interacted and how he uh, discussed me when my name would come up. But as I said, we were never enemies, and I never really had a problem with him. 
Then that changed. In 2021, he and I had various reasons to talk about various subjects that we were interested in. And we started to get along a lot better. And we developed what seemed to be a mutual respect for one another. And I'm sure you've heard on this show that I've said a lot of positive things about him this year and last year and in the second half of 2021. I'm sure you heard these things that I've said about Matt Berkey, and it's almost always been positive. I've said very nice things about the guy. And he and I got along. There was even a tentative plan to have me appear on his Only Friends show this summer to discuss old school online poker. And I did appear on his show back in October to discuss the BetMGM scandal. So we got along well. And yet he had a show covering this whole thing with Rob Mercer. And some of the show was dedicated to criticizing me and Slay for what he felt was our role in this, which is insane because we had no role. Like, think about the story. How how are we involved in this? We didn't promote the guy, especially me, but really both of us. We didn't promote the guy. We didn't ask people to donate to him. We didn't donate ourselves. So how is this our fault? And so he doesn't directly say it's our fault, but I watched the show and it was very disappointing the tone he took regarding both me and Slay. He used the whole sexism allegation. He actually said that he hopes that the reason that we called out Jamie was for good reasons, but he can't be sure. What do you mean you can't be sure? I've been calling out scammers in poker and gambling for almost 20 years now. How can you not be sure? So all the way up until Jamie in February 2023, I was calling out scammers for, for what reason then? So suddenly with Jamie... You weren't around during Absolute Poker and all that other shit dropped. So, I mean, they're the Johnny-come-latelys. They don't even know how your whole site evolved and everything. Well, that's partially right? true, but, but, but he, you know, he went, made it deep in the 2010 main event, so he's not that new. I mean, he, it's true back in the like Absolute Poker days and stuff, I think he was just kind of a nobody and he was just a, like a rec player then or something, but he's been around for uh, more than a decade as someone who's yeah, in the middle high stakes scene so i he, there's really no excuse like he knows my history because we had a long time talking back and forth for the last two years he definitely got to know me we did not become friends he doesn't know me super well but he was very aware of the fact that i've been calling out scams in poker for a very long time and that i'm not doing this with any kind of uh, personal gain in mind so the fact that he could even say that he hopes this is for a good reason, like, what would the reason be? I just felt like picking on a girl? Like, what the hell? Where's he even coming up with this? So this was so disappointing to hear where our names are even mentioned at all, other than maybe the very beginning of how Mercer got involved in this whole thing in the first place because it was about Jamie. If he wants to introduce that backstory, it totally makes sense. Now, knowing this might happen, I actually went to him privately, and I messaged him explaining everything about this. And the reason I suspected this might happen was because of a tweet he made promoting that episode and was saying something along the lines of, 
that there were others who were very vocal about uh, a previous GoFundMe that is an interesting story here. Or something along those lines that made me think that uh, this is going to be discussed and not in a very flattering way. So I went to him in a very polite fashion. Because remember, we've had a good relationship for the last uh, two plus years. And, and I discussed it with him. And I could already tell from his responses to me that this was not going to be positive coverage. Now, I want to be accurate here. He wasn't spending the whole show bashing me. He didn't say anything directly that was bad about me. But it was like a lot of sort of passive-aggressive and implied stuff. Such as, well, you know, the people calling out Jamie there, I, I, I hope that was for good reasons, but you know, we can't be sure. Like, things like that. That I just found to be, honestly, very insulting and very disappointing. Now, let's say uh, Sean Deeb said this stuff. Well, Sean Deeb doesn't like me. So, I wouldn't be disappointed. I'd be a little bit pissed, but uh, you know, I, I would not be disappointed because I would expect Sean Deeb to talk shit about me because he doesn't like me. But Matt Berkey wasn't in that category. I was just on his show in October. We will talk every so often on, on DM about things. We've gotten along for more than two years now. I thought we had a good enough relationship where he wouldn't do this. Now, if I were actually responsible for this, if I had some wrongdoing in the situation, I'm not saying that he should cover it up because we had been getting along. I'm not making that point at all. But I had no wrongdoing in this. What the hell did I do wrong? If I were never born, the only way this could have been different is maybe there would have been less focus on Jamie and then Rob couldn't have jumped in. But aside from that, let's say it wasn't that I was never born, but let's just say uh, on uh, April 1st, I died. April 1st, 2023, I died. April Fool's joke went wrong and I died. The same thing would happen with Rob Mercer. Exact same thing. So how could I be blamed for this? It doesn't make any sense. I didn't promote it. I didn't retweet it. I didn't mention it. I didn't hit the like button. Didn't give money to it. How is it my fault? Nor did I ever come out and say, I'm sure this guy really has cancer. I'm sure he's not lying. I never said that because I wasn't sure. I had no idea. I just had no reason to question it. And then once he did come forward with the money where I did have a reason to question it, then I'm thinking, oh shit, I I can't get involved in this shit again. And Berkey knew this because I told him, before the show and he responded to me we had some back and forth so he definitely understood and the sad thing about this is that i know this wasn't because berkey was confused or he was tricked he's a smart guy so he should have totally been able to see what was going on here and not jump to the sexism card not jump to the, well, once you've uh, made your name calling out people for suspected wrongdoing, then you, you have to be consistent. I don't have to do anything. I'm not compelled to throw myself into controversial situations where I'm calling out a sympathetic person and might get all kinds of shit for it. This is up to me because I'm doing it voluntarily. So I tried this once. It was hell for me. And I said, I'm not doing it again. So Berkey... Solve for why. Solve for why I did not do this. Hint, it's not sexism. So very disappointing. You know when someone says, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed? That was really how I felt when I watched that show. I really thought better of him. I thought we had a better relationship. 
I thought that he would not be one to put out that narrative about me. If I deserved it, if I had really done something wrong, and he felt he had to discuss it, even though he had been getting along with me, okay, that'd be more understandable. But there wasn't. There was no reason for this. So I want to discuss uh, Cody Daniels, because he's the last element of this whole thing, and it's a sad story. Cody Daniels was the other guy who got staked through Vertucci's drive. And from all I can see here, he is what everybody was hoping Rob Mercer would actually have been. Cody Daniels seems like a good guy. Cody Daniels does not have cancer, but did not claim he has cancer. But he has another bad health condition, which has plagued him his entire life. And if we get him on here, he can tell us about it. But it's it's something that he's had since childhood, I think, like an intestinal problem. And he's been in the hospital over and over. And eventually, both he and Rob Mercer came to the attention of Nick Vertucci, who made them both part of this drive. So both of them played the main event. The way that Cody Daniels was kind of discovered at all goes back a little bit. He was playing poker with Lexi Gavin, who then got him on Poker Night in America. And then this led to his story becoming better known. And then that kind of led to Vertucci getting to know who he was. And then they held that drive for uh, both uh, Daniels and for Mercer. However, unlike Mercer, there's been no red flags with Cody Daniels. He's been known in the community for a longer time than Mercer. Seems like a good guy. I believe some people have even seen proof of his condition. And he even agrees that proof does need to be seen with these type of things. And unlike Mercer, he actually did well at the main event. He didn't bust day one, day two, or day three. He made it all the way to mid to late day four and busted just a little bit before I did this year. So he got 30K. He got 635th place out of 10,041 players. So he and I had very similar results. I finished 568th. I got 32.5K. So, you know, very similar. But here's the sad part. Uh, up till now, this sounds very, very inspiring and very, very good. And it was. I will agree with that. But here's the sad part. Daniels really kind of identified with Mercer, even though they had different conditions because they were both basically in the same boat, or at least so Daniels thought. He said, we're two guys who are in very bad health, who are getting to live at our dream and play the World Series of Poker main event for the first time, thanks to the promotion of this by Nick Vertucci, thanks to the generous people who gave. Cody was extremely grateful for this, and unlike Mercer, who was very uh, obnoxious and acting like an ingrate, uh, Cody Daniels just was, was very thankful that this happened at all. And Mercer talked to him in some way. We'll ask him about it if we get him on here. But Mercer talked to him in some way and was just expressing how depressed he was that he busted the main event. Now, by the way, uh, supposedly he was so depressed that he was in the pits firing off <laughs> that same day when he claimed he's just going to go to his room and uh, have a good cry. So even that seems to be a lie. But anyway... What Daniels was picturing, and Daniels, of course, is still in the main at this point, doing well. He's picturing that uh, Rob blew his one chance, just you know, didn't run well, and is just super depressed, and that his dream of playing the main event, yeah, he got to, but he, 
busted day one. He's unhappy with how it all went. He's just even more depressed now. And Daniels, being a good guy, offered to give Mercer 10% of whatever he cashes. And this was not a swap because Mercer was already out by this point. I don't know if Daniels was in the money yet, but uh, he was doing well, obviously, and uh, he was still in, and Mercer was out, and he said, hey, I'll give you 10%. And apparently, Mercer said back to him that he appreciated it and that had the tables been turned, uh, he had planned to do the same thing. (laughs) Right. Very low chance that's true. So when Daniels cashed 30K... Mercer then met him at the cage. He was right there at the cage to get the money. And we'll ask Daniels about this because he gave him $2,500. i am not sure why it was $2,500 instead of 3000 but it was 2500 more than Mercer deserved in such a situation. And that was that. So the reason this was a scam is that Mercer only got this money because he portrayed himself to Daniels as a terminal cancer patient. He didn't ask for this money, but uh, Daniels only offered it believing this lie. So unless Mercer really has terminal cancer and just for whatever reason just isn't coming forward with a very easy-to-obtain proof, then Daniels got scammed as well for trying to be a nice guy. Because Daniels would not have just given this to just any random main event player who's depressed. Like Everybody who busts the main is depressed for a little bit. But they don't get 10% of people's winnings. <laughs> you know, like, what if Daniels won the whole thing? He promised 10% to Mercer. I mean, it's very, very generous when you're already doing well in the event. It's, it's very generous to promise it before you start. But when you're already doing well, then it's worth a lot more. He probably gave him 2500 drop just because he couldn't, like, 1099 him or whatever, you know, since he had to eat all the taxes. Maybe. That's, that's actually a good theory. So we will ask him about that. I messaged him on Twitter, ask if he's uh, if he can come on. Oh yeah, he gave me the number. Let me call him up. We'll let him tell us in his own words. But that's unbelievable, this scumbag. What does this guy do for a living before he got involved in this? Does anybody know? I'm not sure. This Mercer guy. It's possible they knew. See, I wasn't paying much attention to him until mid June when when he got this stake for like the next three months after March or maybe almost four months, I was just kind of not paying attention because I wasn't involved in the whole Lafay thing anymore. I just got, I just kind of checked out of the whole thing. All right, let's connect on Cody Daniels. Very nice guy from what I've heard in spaces. <phone rings> Cody Daniels, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Hi, how are you? Very happy to have you on the show here. I know you weren't feeling well recently, but I'm glad you're feeling well enough to come on and talk tonight. I just told the whole story, all the sort of details of Rob Mercer from beginning to end, and I just got to the part involving you. But uh, before, yeah. we, before we get to that whole sad situation, why don't you tell people, uh, what is the medical condition you have? Okay, so um, when I was young I ruptured my small bowel uh, or small intestines and I ended up spending 10 years in the hospital um, from complication after complication I have a uh, g-tube basically I get fed through a tube in my stomach I have a ileostomy bag um, and short gut syndrome is just exactly what it 
sounds like. Um, and so I can't lose one more piece of intestine or it's, you know, um, I, I get fed through, you know, I don't know if you know what TPN is, um, but anyways, yeah. So it's all, it's all stomach stuff. Yeah. Well, it sounds, it sounds very bad. And so what age did this start? Uh, 14. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. You've, so you've been dealing with over 20 years. You're like uh, 35 now, right? Uh, younger, younger, but yeah, it's been, it's been just as horrific, but it's also made me the person I, um, I am today. So it's kind of, it's cliche, but it's so true. Yeah. Well, you know, I feel bad for anybody who's yeah, going, and, oh, sorry, go, sorry, go ahead. My brother has, my brother has Crohn's, uh, Cody, he had it since he was 12 and he's in his fifties now. So I totally feel a lot oh. of, uh, I know what a, what a challenge that is, brother. Oh yeah, and it's it's a hidden um, gastrointestinal issues are very uh, very hard to deal with. Yeah, uh, th- I mean it, it sounds like it, and I I feel for you with that. I feel for anybody who has uh, chronic health conditions that really uh, cause them trouble. And uh, according to this uh, review journal article I was reading, it says you you're in the hospital a whole lot to deal with this. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's um, let thank god the last like uh since covid was my last major major abdominal surgery um thank god i've stayed out uh i only spent about it sounds a lot but to me i only spent about a like a month and a half in the hospital the last couple years so we've been uh doing good on that respect but it's still day-to-day hour to hour it's it's uh uh, yeah, it's a big illness. Now, regarding uh, your poker play, would are you like a recreational player? I know it's probably hard to play as actively as other people, especially live because of uh, what you have going on. But what what was your background really in poker uh, prior to this? Yeah, so it's um, full on recreational. I uh, I was taught at the age of eight by my dad and my brother and I were on a ski trip and learned it that way. Started following all the, uh, you know, old classic world series broadcasts on ESPN. When I was in the children's hospital, my just watching anything I could do inside since I couldn't go outside instruments, whatever video games, it was, uh, just the main focus. So I, I, played poker at the dinner table until about you know i was 21 and then um just kind of yeah i've just been obsessed with the game since very very young i it has nothing to do with the money too which is weird it's just the strategy yeah i, I understand and have you played any world series of poker events prior to this year Yes, I had played, uh, I'm four for five. I had played, uh, the big 50 was my first event. And then, um, I was only able to do one like small buy-in event a year. And so uh, the big 50, I played, uh, the housewarming last year. And yeah, so nothing, no main though. I hadn't played the main. So you you basically played the small buy-in World Series events. You said, you said one each year, and you and and you were uh, prior to this year three for four. Yep, which was ex- extremely uh, lucky too. Yeah, well, that's good. And you know, I'll tell you, this isn't a bad choice actually, because I've said before many times in this show, 
the bigger the field, the easier it is to cash, though the harder it is to run super deep and make huge money. But if you're you're coming out as a recreational player and you'd like to cash in an event and you know, it's fun and exciting to cash, and uh, it's a lot easier on the big fields to do this if you play them right. And uh, so it sounds like you are playing them right to have done this well already and then to have done as well as you did this year in the main which I've already told people about. But uh, so that's that's great. So this was your first like big buy-in event this year, thanks to the donations that, that people put up for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I went to, uh, yeah, I, you kind of were telling the story before, but yeah, I, I sat next to uh, Lexi at the Colossus at the end of my day one last year. And that's pretty much how we are here today. I got in, and then earlier this summer, I got to the mansion where MJ Gonzalez and Casey Coughlin just generously threw down $5,000 a piece and said, play the main. Um, and I was in tears. I know the video's online, but, but it was, uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, it wasn't just them either too. Like uh, I, I met Nick, Nick Vertucci there, a lot of people that just really, I mean, it's an understatement, but they really did change my life. It was unbelievable. No, that's great. Still it, is. No, it's a very inspiring story. And as I said before, like, you're pretty much what everybody was hoping that Rob Mercer would be. And the, the first sign that he wasn't was he was kind of an ingrate, then this weird porn star story. And, like, uh, like we, we don't see any of this nonsense with you. Like, we didn't hear any story about uh, you being approached by a porn star at uh, the Paris and, and, and going up and having sex. Maybe you did and you haven't told us, but uh, we, have, we haven't heard that story uh, yet, which is good. So, Hey, man, I've, I've, I've ran good this summer, but I haven't ran that good. Come on. <laughs> okay, so, so as far as uh, Rob went, uh, how well did you get to know him? Because you two had something in common with you were both uh, getting money raised for you to play the main due to having a bad health condition. How well did you get to know him because of that? Yeah, so I had already known that I was uh, playing the main um, when I heard about Rob and heard about um, that Nick, you know, went in on that space and said it's booked. And uh, so I got to know him. I sent, you know, nothing behalf a few um messages before the main but when i was at the main the plan was to go meet him and his dad a day early um at his bellagio suite well when i showed up a day early um that you know never happened he said you can't come right now so i didn't see him didn't go to the suite didn't see his dad and then he i i don't know all the days are blur but he came he was already busted obviously. Um, and supposedly had 102 fever and, you know, was feeling awful. Um, so that's why I did the 10%, but I only interacted with them maybe 30 minutes worth of time. Once they were all on breaks of the main event. And, uh, yeah, the first time I sat with them, just kind of talked to him. My mom was asking about his health um, conditions and you know what he was going to do and he was just being very vague about you know like the you know I'm just going to do CBD and uh, go from here and so you know at first we didn't think much of it because it, it was almost like alright well I, I know you don't want to feel shitty on your last days doing chemo so I can respect 
expect it. But this wasn't that. He busted the main day one. At what point in the main did you talk to him when you made this decision about giving him the 10%? So he had played the same, I think the same starting flight as me. I'm not sure. It was either at the very, very late day 1D or like sometime on my day off in between, you know. So it was before day two or at the very start of day two. So it was just a 10%. You know, he had my worst fear, which was, you know, the vacation ruiner when you wake up feeling like garbage and like it's just, you know. And so hearing that he had a fever and he busted and it was like, it was just so sad to me where I'm, you know, because I was, and thinking, man, like, I know how big of an opportunity this is, and he just busted right off the start. He well, he technically could have played day two and started day two, but he, um, you know, at the time, I thought it was, like, the last flight, and I didn't know you could buy in day two. So I, I just was like, man, here's a 10% free roll. Obviously, I never expected that I'd go on to cash that much, but... Uh, yeah, and so he just was around. I think I met, he was in my presence twice, I think. Just kind of showed up, gave me support, and yeah. Now, when he told you, uh, or when you told him you were giving the 2500 he was already busted by that point, though, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he was out. Yeah, so, I mean, then the twenty five. I mean, 10%, which ended up, being the 2500 but yeah so so he was already out and uh so you felt bad that uh you had thought that this was basically his last chance to do a starting day with uh the 102 fever you had forgotten that you could still register day two and that uh that he kind of just played with a fever didn't you know, may not have played that great because he was feeling terrible and then uh and then busted and you felt bad for him so you gave him a 10 percent free roll even though you know he was out and you were still in is that basically the uh the story yep that's that's correct. And um, about the 2,500, that's kind of the weirdest um, weirdest issue in my brain is like, why would he take... So basically, we were at the cage. I, had, I cashed for 30K, so I owned 3,000. And he said, uh, my mom and I were there, and, and I think it, it's my theory that I think he got... Um, when my mom goes, you got to pay taxes on gambling i think he maybe had a little bit of guilt lingering where he's like oh i'll just take 2500 i'm like you sure yeah oh weird okay so um, yeah it was him who took it yeah so that's i think it was my mom going you have to pay tax and like freaking out like oh what and so i and also was like you had mentioned earlier we had had this like bond you know um and so it was nice. It was a joyous moment to give it to him, uh, and off we went. And that money was supposed to be his money out to Hustler in the next two weeks. Oh, I didn't know and that. Then, <laughs> yeah, that was supposed to be set aside just so he could come uh, support me at that event, but he sent me a long message before the event literally the day as we're going to la and he's like hey i this is why i don't have the money basically told me the story of his dad um you know here's the real truth and yeah 
So, you know, that 2500 instead of going to the hustler, it may have gone to a, a different kind of hustler. It may have gone to a, a certain porn star who supposedly wasn't a well, prostitute. Uh, <laughs> well, for what it's worth, for what it's worth, I, when we walked to the parking lot, we went to the parking lot, he went towards the pit. So it might have been gone before I left the, the casino. Yeah, there's a good chance it was. Uh, that's what people kept saying. They saw him in the pits. This this just seemed like a degenerate gambler who just did whatever he could there to not only play the main event, but also just to shoot off in Vegas. I mean, it looks like from what people are saying, he got between 30 and 40K, and I really believe all of it's gone. And like people were saying, oh, you know, why didn't you sue him to get the money back? I said, yeah, good luck with that. What money? <laughs> I think the money's all gone. I think, yeah. I think he really is yeah. broke. I think that's the one thing that's true. I don't think he went home with anything. So... Yeah, that's that's really too bad. And yeah, there was there were a few idiots I saw saying, "Oh, this wasn't a scam. You you willingly gave the twenty five hundred. It's like, no, that's it is because you were believing something about him that wasn't true, and and that's the only reason he yeah. got it. So so that was it, it, in, as I said, unless he has terminal cancer and we're all somehow wrong about this, then then it was definitely a scam. Even if he didn't uh, ask for it, if he had nothing to hide. That's the one thing I'm caught up about is if he had nothing to hide, why not just bring it up? And if he is, if he actually has um, terminal cancer and is telling the truth, well, the way he's acting doesn't make much sense because it's like, it's almost like he's going to be like, go pass away and then make us all feel bad for not, you know, right. doubting him or something. That's the only reason he would not provide if he was innocent it just doesn't add up well that's and that's what i said someone brought up i think it was you actually someone brought up on twitter like how should we feel if it turns out he really has terminal cancer and does pass away within two yep. or three months like he's claiming and i said well you know of course uh, it's, it's never good when somebody passes away of cancer but we can't feel regretful that we called this out because he is causing all the suspicion it's his own actions that are causing this suspicion because yeah. at any point he can clear this up and he doesn't even have to clear this up by going into the lion's den of Twitter and fighting with trolls. All he has to do is yeah. take someone in the community that is respected and is believed will tell the truth and say, Hey, I would like to go with you to show you all the proof. And then you can go yep. to Twitter and tell everybody what you saw. He doesn't have to come back to Twitter. He can just go with somebody who everybody trusts to be able to get the proof, do a good job analyzing it, etc. Yeah, and and never have to deal with Twitter, and he won't do it because I think he probably can't do it. Yeah, I mean he he can't do it, or he's choosing not to do it, and choosing not to do it doesn't make much sense if he has terminal cancer. I just I don't know. I, I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> He's either lying or dying. Right, you know? <laughs> right. That's a good way of putting it. It makes no sense because when you've spent all the time in the community that he has and has become as important to him as he claims it was, and these people are supposedly important to him, if if there's a wrong belief about him doing something awful, just prove you didn't do it. That's 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 what you do. Yeah. You if if you run off, then it's your own fault if they continue to think it when it's not true. It means at the very least, he can see why this looks suspicious. At the very least, he should be able to see that. So if by the slight chance he's telling the truth if, if, is the case, then it's his fault for then not 
proving this in some way because the suspicion is beyond reasonable for everybody to have here. So uh, truthfully, if if he does pass away from cancer, I'm not going to say, oh, man, we should have never said this. That's fucked up. No, this is his fault. He, he would have caused it anyway, even if he really does have cancer. But I, I think we know yeah. that uh, we're, we're not going to see that happening. I think he's never going to appear again. I think that stupid statement he put out was his, his one shot at trying to convince people. And when that flopped badly, he's not going to uh, – we're not going to hear from him again. Uh, Calwatt, we have you on here. We have another co-host. Uh, Calwatt, Welcome. Hey, Dreth, how you doing, man? Well, yeah, I'm making it work here. I'm in the secret location. I've got cell phone internet broadcasting this thing. Yeah, I'm trying to get by. We have uh, oh Cody, Cody Daniels yeah, on I here. Have- he cashed 30 k and uh, the only unfortunate part of this lovely story is that he gave Rob Mercer 2500 because he felt bad for him. So <laughs> that's, that's where we yeah. stand right here. Uh, you learned a $2,500 lesson, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he's... Uh, you know, for what it's worth, I had a little feeling it was get- heading to the pits anyway. That's true. I think Caesars Entertainment is enjoying 8% of your win. It was, yep. it, it was kind of an additional rake for Caesars. <laughs> but, you know, that's great. I, I didn't know you were 4 for 5 in the World Series. That's, that's a really good record, especially one being the main. That's... Uh, and yeah, playing the main. Yeah, I that's just that's just divine intervention. I don't know. I don't know. It was just to to go out there and the 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 few opportunities they gave me, and to feel like I hit a home run on every bat was good. Obviously, I ran probably so good, and um, it was just yeah, like that's you know, like you were saying, I had the experience that. I thought Rob and I both were going to have. Yeah. It's 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 really too bad when this happens because the community tries to be generous. The community has a number of people who have empathy for others and they, they want to help those who are among us that, that don't get as many opportunities as they might have because they, you know, they have a lot of money and they're, and they're, they're in good health. And so they see people who are in situations that you can look at and feel bad for the person and say, I want to do something nice. I want to take some of my money and do something nice with it. And that's what a lot of people are doing here. And then it sucks when one of those people ends up being a scammer because this makes people not even want to do it. Then they think next time, you know, I don't want, I don't want to help strangers because they may scam me. So it, that's, it's, yeah. it's really lousy and it's, uh, it's not a good look for poker itself. And uh, as I said at the time, the, the only good thing that came of this whole thing was that it did bring some more attention to your story and that uh, yeah, everything, everything with you was legit. And uh, now just to ask you, I, I hate to bring this up, but I have to, uh, have you shown anyone any proof of, of your ailments? Yeah. So um, not only that, but I had some naysayers that had contacted Nick and uh, you know, within 30 minutes I had, you know, every piece, paperwork he needed you know um and so it was you know they he did his due diligence on that one okay that that's good you know i i know from he's i'm not a i'm not a young guy here none of none of the hosts on this show are very young we're all over 50 but i i've i've had uh health issues nothing like yours but i've i've had uh kind of minor health issues and i always have paperwork if someone asked me to prove 
any of these things, I could easily yeah. go back and get, and get the stuff to prove it. It would be very simple. And I don't have anything like cancer or any kind of a recurring major issue like you do. But I still could get this yeah. stuff if, if necessary. Easy. Yeah, especially in these days. With, with the, he's on my chart. I mean, <laughs> it, it's crazy that he yeah. couldn't come up with any of this. So, so when someone can't come up with these things or says, I don't have to, I have nothing to prove to you, or I'm insulted you're even asking me, that, that's almost always a scam. And I, I think everybody knows it. There is a possibility that he does have something like stage one colon cancer. I know somebody in Vegas, not a poker player, but someone I knew from L.A. that then moved to Vegas. And he went to a checkup, and when they noticed some bleeding that's suspicious of uh, colon cancer, the doctor said, hey, I, I'm afraid you may have colon cancer because of this bleeding that's going on here. And they yeah. gave him a colonoscopy, and yes, he had colon cancer at the age of 44. It was stage one. Uh, obviously, it wasn't pleasant, but now here we are eight years later, and he doesn't have cancer anymore, and it, it's gone. Yep. And he caught it in time, fortunately. So... Did they take his colon? No, no. He's actually living out uh, normally, good. fortunately. Yeah. So, so he he, he had a good uh, a good outcome here, but it's possible that maybe they discovered this in Rob, and it was a similar story, or maybe they found a, a cancerous polyp in there, and then took it out, and he doesn't actually have colon cancer. So it's possible that this whole thing about the colon cancer sprung from some grain of truth, but he exaggerated yeah. it in order to uh, get this stake. Because if you say, well, I've got, I've got stage one colon cancer and, uh, you know, they're, they're treating it, hopefully the thing will be good. Yeah. People are less likely to donate for the main event than if you have terminal cancer. So he may, and in fact, he may have made up the terminal part early on, not even with any kind of plans to scam. It's possible this was a long con because, of course, the question is, why did he not take those stakes at the beginning? So one answer is this was a long con and he was ready to ask for the main event after acting like he didn't care about any stakes for four months. The other one was he really just was kind of going out there to troll Jamie and to kind of be involved in the situation, get some attention, and then was watching all these people with their main event updates. Is like, hmm, you know, I could kind of parlay my story that everybody believes into a main event stake. Yeah, let's do it. So it may have been like a crime of opportunity. It may have been something that was was preplanned. It may be something that was uh, completely just made up where he just decided to make up the story, or it could be based upon some truth, even as much as having some sort of uh, stage one type cancer, and then he's afraid to show any proof because it'll give away it wasn't terminal, and it'll still give him a lot of, get him a lot of shit. But I, I think it's more likely he doesn't have cancer, at least at the moment, because I think if he could even show any kind of colon cancer, then that would quiet a lot of the naysayers, even if he couldn't show it's yeah. terminal. So That's the thing. How does he not... I just don't understand how he didn't realize it was going to get this much press. And it's like, I get like finances, health, they're all, all the, the most private aspects of someone's life. And I can feel him being like, you know, I don't have to prove, but you made it public. You know, you put, you put yourself in the public spotlight. So like, it's no longer business any, you know, yeah, when he took that stake, it was it was public, right? And that's that, that's been my point the whole way with all these things with with the Jamie LaFay stuff and all that is just once you go ask the public for money, you ask strangers for money based upon a certain diagnosis, then you do have to show it. You do have to prove it if people have questions because you're using this diagnosis to ask strangers for money. So then it's their business. Whereas if you're not asking for money, well, then you could say I'm not showing you my health records, f you. So it's uh, two very different things, yeah. and. Uh, 
like it, it just to me I would think if he could show any kind of cancer that he presently has you now maybe he had stage one colon cancer years ago and it's now gone and he can't show you know he's afraid to show that I but I think if he could show yeah. any kind of active cancer at the moment even if not close to terminal even if like what my friend had eight years ago I think he would show it because that would still at least it's, quiet some of the naysayers rough. if he has colon cancer please I don't don't show it I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what, uh, Calwat? Uh, I'll tell you though, Calwat. I have uh, a colonoscopy coming up in about a month and a half, and so uh, yeah, about, that video to yourself. I was gonna say I, I can send I can send it to you if you like. Calwat's yellowtail story at the dinner table. I don't think oh, that, yeah. that's right. Calwat went to dinner with all of us and told us a really gross story at dinner, and he doesn't want now. He doesn't want to hear about colonoscopies on the radio show. That's not fair. He, he already no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm saying I don't want to see the video of your colonoscopy. Oh, okay. Keep it to yourself. Not interested. Don't need to see this guy's colon cancer either. Don't need to see that. So you don't want to see them cutting out the polyps from me? Because there probably will be polyps. No. There were polyps three years ago. There's probably going to be polyps again. You, I could actually request the video of them just you know cutting the polyps out of my colon. You don't want to no, see it? I, I don't want to see the okay. polyp collection that you okay. put on your mantle either. You're yeah. probably going to suspend it in liquid and leave them floating <laughs> around there like well, little sea monkeys or something. Maybe I already have. I, I, I had the one back in 21, oh. and they, they found four polyps. Good. So, yeah. All right, well. Thank you. Pass. Cody, I, I thank you for coming on here and uh, telling your story. That's uh, unfortunate that you had to be... Uh, probably victimized this way by someone who was misrepresenting themselves but it is fortunate that you got the stake and that you got uh the 30k cash a very good job especially i'll say this the main event is something that you kind of need to get used to the way it plays because it plays different than any other tournament and i always tell this to people when they ask uh, for advice about the main or if they don't ask like i try to explain to them from my observations of it what the a good strategy is to to cash in this and to do this on the first try when you you haven't had uh, previous experience yeah. with it is, is very good. It's, it's a lot harder to do on the first time than after you've played it and realize the, the slow structure and what this means and the, and the best ways to handle that. But it looks looks like you did. Were you? Did you ever have a very large stack at any point, or are you just kind of surviving? Yeah, I um, I came in just purely to conserve energy. I had a day in between my one and twos. And I came in after dinner break, day 1D. So I was just going to play four hours to conserve energy. And I shot it up to like 134. So that was like a good day one. And then at the end of day three going, uh, day three, I was on crumbs all day, but finally back 290 and knew I was going to cash. Wow. You know what? We, we had incredibly similar end of day results because I had, I had like one. Th- 32 at the end of day one and like 260 at the end of day three so and, and we had very similar end results that's that's funny yeah yeah it is i saw i saw you got just above me that's that it's so, such a cool experience it really was yeah well uh, ho- hopefully uh you'll get a chance to play again sometime in in the future and uh do even better than you did there and i'm glad at least you you got the positive experience out of this minus the scamming that occurred and i'm glad everybody got to know you in poker there's one silver lining to this whole thing and thank you for coming on the show to tell your story oh, i appreciate it yeah everyone's it's yeah, i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all the gracious you know from lexi gavin on just i mean everyone was absolute 
just bomb. I loved it. It makes me tear up thinking about it. It's just, yeah, I'm just so thankful. That's great. Okay, well, it's an inspiring story. We had a frustrating story and an inspiring story from the same fundraising effort from the main event. So funny how that works. Okay, well, we'll uh, yeah. talk to you later, Cody, and th- thanks for coming on. All right, no problem. All right, good night. Thanks, Cody. Yeah, Trader Ruski, I take offense that my yellowtail story was disgusting. It was an <laughs> informative <laughs> discussion, and it made sense in the context of the dinner that we were having. I was next trying time, to explain to you why I wouldn't order the yellowtail. It's next, very simple. Next time I'm at dinner with Cal Watt, I'm just going to say no. I'm just going to say any story I don't want to hear. <laughs> No matter how innocent it sounds, it's just a big no. Oh, come on. All right. This is one story. I want to move on to talk about the change in the law regarding bans from Nevada casinos. This is a, a very important piece of information for anybody who has ever been banned from Nevada casinos or even ones who might get banned in the future. Now, I assume neither of you have ever been banned from a casino. Am I correct? Not me. What about you, Calwatt? No, sir, I have not. Okay. See, I have been uh, multiple times. So I, I can speak to this. And in fact, this change in the law actually does affect me. So most of you probably know that in the state of Nevada, any casino can ban you for any reason at any time. The only reason they can't use is something that's federally protected. So they can't ban you for being gay or for being black or for being old. That they can't do. But anything aside from a discriminatory reason, they can ban you, including, we just don't like you. That's all. We just don't like you. So they don't even have to provide any kind of concrete reason why they don't want you there anymore. And furthermore, you have no legal right to challenge it. So even if you think that ban is super unfair... I've had people say, well, I'm going to get a lawyer and get back in and say, yeah, good luck. You know, the lawyer can maybe try to negotiate with them on your behalf, but they cannot sue them or compel them to uh, let you back, even if you're falsely accused of something or whatever it might be. There, there's no way to sue them to force them to do business with you again, basically. Again, the only way would be is if it was a discriminatory matter and you could prove it. And once you were banned, this ban is supposed to last indefinitely. So even if you were banned in uh, 1985, you're still banned. Now, maybe they won't recognize you anymore. Maybe even the facial recognition machines that are used in a lot of these casinos won't recognize you anymore because your face structure will have changed since 1985. So if you don't get a card there, then you can probably evade that ban that way. But uh, you're still technically banned. And in fact, if you got a card there, there's a good chance they would catch that you're the same person and and uh, at the very least throw you out, even possibly arrest you. So the way these bans work is they it's called the trespass, where they tell you that you're not allowed back on their property or any other properties they own. They'll tell you the properties that they own. And if you then come back anyway, then they will detain you and often you will be arrested. It's not an automatic that you get arrested, but it easily can be. And the jurisdiction does have a right to actually arrest you for coming back to a place where you've been told you're banned and cannot come back. There are lesser forms of banning, like there's just being uh, thrown out where they don't tell you you can't come back, but you're just uh, thrown out for the moment. They just escort you out, but they don't tell you you can't come back. Then you can come back at some point, like even like the next day. But a lot of times when they're actually 
throwing you out, they are actually uh, banning you permanently. So, I told you guys before, I had an issue at Venetian where I was banned and didn't know it. I only found out when I called up to book a reservation there and they gave me the bad news. And unfortunately, I was banned for something I didn't do. And in fact, I don't even fully understand what they think I did. They gave me two different stories what they thought I did, neither of which were even possible I did. One was I was trying to bribe someone for info about a slot machine, which was not true. And two, that I left a voicemail trying to get info about a slot machine and bribe someone. Neither were true. Neither had anything to do with me. I don't know anyone who did this. I don't know what they're talking about. I really have no clue what they're talking about. I'm not even just playing here. I really have no idea what they're talking about. I didn't do any of this. And I never had any kind of negative interactions with any employees ever at Venetian or Palazzo. I never argued with anybody. I never had to report anyone to their manager. I never caused any disruption. Of course, I, I don't drink, so I never got drunk. Like There's, there's no reason. I, I never had any interaction with anybody there that could justify a ban. I never even once went to security there for anything, nor did they ever come to me. So I was banned for this thing I didn't do, and I tried to get it reversed when I discovered this, uh, I think, you know, four or five years ago. I think it was four years ago. And they wouldn't do it. In fact, wouldn't even give me a, a good answer. The, the best I got was someone telling me that they'll look into it, check the videos, and it was kind of optimistic, like, uh, hey, just don't come to the property for a week. We're going to check into this. If you didn't do it, we'll undo it. And then the person never got back to me, and then I found out that they uh, were not going to get back to me. So, very weird. I told this story before. I was going to take a shot with the new ownership of Venetian to see if maybe they can override this. But I haven't yet. But guess what? I may not be in bad shape with Venetian as I thought, because in June, the law regarding banning people in Nevada casinos was changed. It was very quietly changed. The statute that covers this is called 207.200, NRS 207.200, which is what allows casinos to ban people. And I'm not going to read you the whole 207.200, but here's the important part. This is the original law that stood for a long time. Unless a greater penalty is provided pursuant to NRS 200.603, which is a different law, doesn't matter here, any person who under circumstances not amounting to burglary, meaning this is not about anyone who's there to steal, A, goes upon the land into any building of another with intent to vex or annoy the owner or occupant thereof, or to commit any unlawful act, or B, willfully goes or remains upon any land in any building after having been warned by the owner or occupant not to trespass, is guilty of a misdemeanor. That was the original law. It's just basically saying that if you're going onto the property not to steal, but to either vex or annoy the owner, which is kind of funny, or to commit any other offense, or you were told not to come back and you came back anyway, you were warned not to return and you came back anyway, then you're guilty of a misdemeanor. That's 207.200 in Nevada state law. So that was the old passage. And of course, it doesn't mention time. It just says you were told not to come back. And if you do, then you're trespassing and you're guilty of a misdemeanor. But here is the change. Remember that B part about willfully goes into any building? B, willfully goes or remains upon any land in any building after having been warned during the past 24 months by the owner or occupant thereof not to trespass is guilty of a misdemeanor. So it changed. 
to having been warned during the previous 24 months, which was not in there before. Now, this got very little fanfare. In fact, no fanfare. Nobody even noticed it until Vegas gambling attorney Bob Nerzian pointed this out on a YouTube show he did recently. That's really the only play this has gotten anywhere. The media in Las Vegas, the media everywhere else has not reported this. But this is very important, that the law has changed. And the law changed on June 13th, 2023. So it's fairly recent. This was part of a bill called SB 412. And then that bill was almost unanimously approved by the legislature on June 5th, and then signed by the governor on June 13th to become law. So that's it. The law has changed. It's done. And it has been the law now for about two and a half months. So does that mean you can just stroll into any casino where you've been previously banned and say, ha, 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 you can't ban me now because it's been more than two years? No, because they can reban you. There's nothing in there that prevents them from rebanning you. But what they can't do is arrest you if it's been more than two years since you were told that you can't come back. So while they can start the whole thing all over again and start the clock for another two years, and at that point, if you come back, you'd be arrested. If you come back and it's been more than two years, like in my case with a Venetian, then by this law, they cannot arrest you. Now, does that mean you should come rushing back? Not necessarily, because I have a feeling a lot of these casinos don't know this, and they might detain you, and they may not want to listen to you if you tell them the law changed on June 13th. They'll say, you're an idiot, we don't believe you. And it's even possible the police won't know this when they come down, and you may have to spend a night in the county jail before this is sorted out. Now, maybe at that point, you'll have a false arrest lawsuit on your hands. So if, that, if you want to test this and then try to sue the county for having you arrested, then, I mean, go right ahead, but that's not what I want. <laughs> I definitely don't want to spend a night in county jail just so maybe I can get a lawsuit out of it. So just know this, that it's not necessarily true that every casino knows about this, and you don't want to tell them before something happens because then they'll just reban you all over again. So it's one of these things where you won't find out whether they know or not until they detain you for it. And then you tell them, and then they may or may not believe you. I think at that point, the best play is if they don't believe you is to tell them to call gaming, because I have to imagine gaming either knows this or will be willing to look up the law and see that this has changed. So that's what I would do is say, uh, please call a gaming agent. Uh, They'll verify this law has changed. And if you want to ban me again, then go ahead, but you can't arrest me for this. So that's a very big change. And I'll tell you why. Because you may say, well, what good is this if they're just going to ban you all over again? So aside from not getting arrested, what does it really do for you? Well, there are various applications to this that it can be positive for players, especially advantage players who've previously had bans. Number one, let's say you physically changed a lot since you were banned. Let's say you were banned 20 years ago. Well, since you don't look like you did 20 years ago, presumably, now you can go to these properties again without fear of arrest. Now, before you could have just chanced it that they're not going to recognize you. But now at least you know that even if somehow they do, that you won't get arrested, that the worst case scenario is that they'll just reban you. Whereas before, the worst case scenario is that somehow they'll realize you're the same person and arrest you. This is especially true if you never gave your name to them. 
if they never knew exactly who you were, they just had you by face, and it's been a long time, then it's pretty unlikely that they will be able to connect you to that person anyway. And second, even if they do, you can't be arrested for it. In fact, in that case, you could probably even get a player's card because they won't know that you weren't allowed there in the first place. Another application for this is if you just simply desire to come back to a certain property where you're banned, but you don't want to gamble there anymore. So you're not looking to run advantage plays or to gamble or whatever it is. You, you just want to be able to come back. And this is the case for a lot of Las Vegas locals who want to socialize there. Because unfortunately, the casinos have a lot of the social scene in Las Vegas. So I'm talking about the high-end restaurants, the clubs, the concerts, whatever else takes place to them. If you're banned from the casino, you're banned from this stuff too. So now you can go to these properties where you've been previously banned more than two years ago and just not play anything and not fear being arrested. Then the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to ban you while you're there, but they're not going to arrest you. So you can feel a lot more comfortable about going back to one of these properties to do something other than gambling. And the truth is, if you're not hanging around in the casino, it's much less likely that they're going to find you anyway even if the facial recognition would otherwise capture you. Another application of this is if you did something stupid to get banned a while ago, and you just want to run kind of under-the-radar advantage plays and not use a card or anything, and now you can do this without a fear of arrest. So anything that makes it tougher for them to arrest you is a good thing. Now, is this unfair to the casinos that they have to keep uh, re-banning people every two years? Well, no, because the truth is most of the people who've been banned from these casinos have been banned for reasons that wouldn't even be allowed in jurisdictions like New Jersey. So I understand why the casinos probably wouldn't like this. But, you know, if if they really want to keep someone out after two years, then they can just reban them all over again. And if the person has changed and they're not going to cause any further trouble, then then it's fine. You know, then it's not hurting anyone for them to be there anyway. Given the casinos having so much of everything in Vegas, being that they're the center of the world in Vegas, it does become a problem for those, not only for those who live in Vegas, but even those who visit Vegas as a tourist, when they, they can't even go into these places to do anything. It's one thing to be banned from the games or the casino itself. Like, this would be a different story if they would ban you from the casino and or ban you from playing in the casino, but allowing you to be there. But the ban from the casino is lifetime. That would be more reasonable. But when you're just banned from the whole place, it can be a big burden on people. I'm not saying that they absolutely shouldn't have a right to do it. And there are people, you know, the ones who are threatening or violent or whatever, that it does kind of suck that they can come back. If I wrote this law, I would actually amend this to where the ban could be permanent if the person had previously committed a crime there or had uh, committed an act of violence or something like that but that it can't be permanent if it's for any other reason this way dangerous people would be kept out permanently but as far as advantage players being able to come back after two years i think that's totally fine maybe i'm biased but that's good news so how about the guy that stood on the poker table and took his took his doing take his pants off yeah, I, yeah, I think that guy would probably be best to keep him away. But yeah, it's been four years since that happened. So yes, he could come back too. He could come back too. With the, the guy taking his pants off, standing on top of the table. And if you do choose to come back to one of these places where you're banned, 
because it's been more than two years, I would recommend printing out a copy of the revised statute and keeping it in your pocket and then handing it to them and then telling them to check on it themselves. So I have the relevant text you can print out and the links to where people can read it if they don't believe your printout. You can find this on VegasCasinoTalk.com. I'm not even the one who started the thread. It was somebody else, but it's called Nevada Trespass Laws Amended to Two Years. If you scroll down to the third post, you can see I have links to everything. I have the actual text that's been changed to. I have the link to the bill, SB412, that changed the law. I have an official Nevada legislature site link showing that the law passed on June 13th. So I would keep all of this with you if you're going to go into one of these places just in case, and then you can speak to someone and show them and say, go go check for yourself. Don't take my word for it. And then get gaming down there if they don't believe you. So that's a good development. I'm happy to see that, and I'm glad that is the case. And a good catch by Bob Nerzian. I don't know how he found it, but that was a good catch. Bob Nerzian, by the way, is a well-known Vegas gaming attorney where if you're being unfairly treated by any casino in Vegas, he's been very good at handling those cases. I've never used him. I've never talked to him, but that's who people always talk about going to when things happen in Vegas casinos. So you may want to remember that name. A lot of Advantage players have used him over time. I want to talk about Sean Deeb and his maid, or his prospective maid. Sean Deeb is looking for a maid. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I would not want to clean Sean Deeb's house. I don't picture Sean Deeb as like a clean individual. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's, it's just, I don't know. I just kind of picture his house as a mess. That's, that's what I just picture from what I know of him. Well, he is looking for a maid, so that's a little suspicious right there, right? Well, yeah, but a lot of people have maids. But yeah, well, it'll get more suspicious that it may be dirty when you hear the rest of this. This is what he tweeted on August 31st. It's gotten some controversy. I want to lose my shit on this person, but wife is telling me to lay off. So I read that first sentence. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> Who does he, who's he going to lose his shit on that his wife is holding him back? So backstory is we tried to hire this cleaning lady before, just didn't match schedule. She comes to our house to give quote, asking Ashley questions about my bet clearly knows the details. Okay, before I continue, he, he writes so badly, I've got to translate this. He's basically saying that he's really, really mad and he wants to lose his shit on this person, referring to this cleaning lady, but his wife is telling him not to, that there's this cleaning lady they once tried to hire. She just couldn't fit them into the schedule. Now they're talking to her again, now that her schedule's open, and that she is giving a quote to his wife, Ashley. But while talking to Ashley, she is aware of Sean Deeb's weight loss bit with Bill Perkins, where he could win a million dollars. So Ashley supposedly didn't tell him, or didn't tell this woman anything about this bet. She's just aware of it because Sean Deeb is a known figure in poker. So that kind of plays into the rest of the story. So then he continues, then gives pricing of $80 an hour for just her cleaning. So that's why he's mad. He's mad that she quoted a price of $80 an hour to clean the house, and he's specifying that she's not doing this with a second maid, that it's just going to be her coming. So then a person named Aces Up responded, depends on location these days, can go between 50 to 100 an hour. 
And he said, we have current people at 15 to 30 per person, but don't have enough time at the moment for us. So I, I think this might indicate he does have a pretty dirty house because he, he actually has current people. Uh, they're like, yeah, we don't have enough time to clean your house, Sean. You're, you're so messy. You're such a slob, Sean, that uh, you need another maid to help clean here. <laughs> but regardless, let's go on. So he's saying he has people that for each one, he's paying 15 to 30 per hour. They just don't have much time. So he's trying to find a new maid. This one wants to charge him 80. He's going to, quote, lose his shit on her. Jay Farber, who I think was uh, like second at one of the main events some years ago, he said, it's not an unreasonable quote. It's unreasonable to want to, quote, lose your shit over being quoted a price that you don't like. Just move on to the next. Now, I don't exactly. I don't care for Jay Farber typically. He and I don't like each other. Uh, he, he's very much on the opposite political side. We've had our disagreements. But as Cal Watch has said, he's right here on this one. Jay Farber's correct here. So then Sean Deeb responded back, it's triple or higher the current rate in the area. But see, that doesn't matter, though. So she's charging too much. Then just say, okay, well, no thanks. Too much. Sorry. You don't lose your shit. You just say, okay, no thanks. That's, that's a lot more than others are charging, and we, we just don't want to pay it. I'm sorry. A person named Eugene Portland responded, my mate paints houses. Some people who obviously have money, he quotes much higher. They still usually accept the quote. And he said back, Sean said back, yeah, that's definitely what I think happened here, which is why I'm so annoyed. Okay, now, I will say this is a thing. This is definitely a thing where if the service person believes that the person that they are doing the work for has money, or the whole area has money, then they will quote a higher price than they would for someone who has less money. And not because they're doing a form of charity for the ones who have less money, where they're just feeling bad about taking their money. They're charging what they think is a fair price to those who don't have a lot of money. And the rich people are like, you know what, they, they can afford more, so I'm just going to hit them for more and see if they're dumb enough to pay it. And I, I see that. I've seen it personally. That's called value pricing, and it's done in lots of businesses, actually. Yes. So yep. it's annoying when that occurs for the consumer, but... The fact is, as Calwatt says, it just happens. So I think there is a good chance that since she was aware of who he is, knew about the weight loss bet, obviously knows he's a high-stakes poker pro who's won a lot of money, that she decided to quote a high rate and thought that he may just say, oh, yeah, sure, okay, well, $80 an hour, okay, go ahead and start. And she Can I propose an alternative, uh, Druff? Yes. Maybe his house is such a fucking pigsty. She's like, you're going to have to pay me 80 bucks an hour to clean your shit up. People yeah. brought that up. Some people brought up in the responses. You got a lot of angry responses to this. So some people said this is a reasonable price, which I don't agree with, and I'll, I'll get to shortly. Some people said it that... It does seem a little high. It, yeah. It's a lot high. And then some people said that she was just purposely quoting something super high so he doesn't hire her because she just didn't want to work for him for some reason. Maybe because the house was I've, filthy. I've done that, man. I've had people that have wanted me to hire me to do something, and either I don't really want to do it or I, I'm so busy that I'd have to make extra time to do it, and I quote them a very high price, a price to the point of, you know, that I won't feel bad if I take it on, uh, and if they walk away, I'm perfectly happy with that, you know? I had a car dealership do that to me once over the phone where I got a salesman on the phone and I told him what I was looking for. I told him I was price shopping. And as soon as he realized what I was trying to do, he knew his commission was going to be very small. So he didn't want me as a customer. He just did not want to go through the trouble of selling me a car 
when he could spend that time selling someone else a car and getting better commission, which he's not supposed to do. That's, that's against the policy there, but he just didn't want to waste his time on me. So he gave me a very high price, acted super inflexible, and even just told me some nonsensical things about the options that made no sense. He just wanted me to like be pissed off and not come back to that dealership. So I found this out because I called back the dealership because I what he the mistake he made was that I had bought a car there before. So I was so put off by this, I, I called back the dealership and got the sales manager and told him. And the sales manager was like, oh, my God, he, he, he violated several policies here. I'm really pissed off. And uh, I could tell the guy was sincere, too. And he, that guy got in trouble for this. But I wasn't trying to get in trouble. I just wanted to, like, it was just so bizarre to me that a dealership that was so flexible dealing with me before was, uh, I, I raged such an unflexible person, give me the worst price of anybody. So that was because he was trying to make me go away because he didn't like the commission he'd be making. So, yeah, it could have been something like that. And as far as his place being just really dirty, let's say she came in there, she's like, oh my God, Sean Deeb is an incredible slob, and I, I don't want to clean this place, but if I, if I do, it's going to have to be $80 an hour. Well, there is a middle ground to this, and that is charging more for an initial cleaning if the place is very dirty, and then charging something that's the going rate for a maintenance cleaning that you come every week. Because there's only so dirty you can get every week. I mean, maybe he's so much of a slob that it'll get like, terrible after a week. But most people are not going to make a place look terrible after a week. So usually the terrible jobs are where someone hasn't hired a maid in a long time and hasn't cleaned it themselves in a long time. And there's just this you know, thick layers of dirt and ground in dirt everywhere. And it's just, it's just very hard to clean it's it's a lot of effort it's uh even if you're paid by the hour it's a very tough hour you're doing just scrubbing really really hard to get things out and that's a lot harder than doing light cleaning so if she were to say this place is so dirty i'm going to need 80 dollars an hour to bring this to looking good again and then on the second visit when we're not going to have this problem anymore we're going to go down to 40 dollars an hour that would be fine but she just wanted 80 dollars an hour the whole way which makes me think that probably wasn't the case but you never know i still think it is more likely she just thought he could afford it because she knew who he was but i that that's the response i have back to people saying well maybe he was just very dirty and she just felt that uh, this it's only worth cleaning for 80 dollars an hour and nothing less than that because of how bad it is. But again, the, the job is not going to be terrible after you do the first one, and you can just charge more for the first one. And that's, that's a real thing, by the way. Sometimes there will be cleaners that will inspect and, and quote a higher price for the first visit and then lower price for subsequent visits. In fact, some even have an automatic higher price for the first visit, just knowing that's the case a lot of times. When people hire a maid, they haven't had one in a while, so sometimes that they will do that. Uh, I've actually had it where I've been in that situation where I've hired a, a cleaning lady when I haven't cleaned in a while and it's dirty, and I actually will pay them more voluntarily. I'll even I'll just start off saying I know it's very dirty here. I'll pay you extra for the first time, and then after that, you know, let's, let's have a rate going forward. So I've I, I've even put that out there myself, knowing they're going to see it, and I, I don't want them thinking they're going to have to put this level of effort out every time, and or or that I want them to do this for a going rate price for the as bad as it looks right now because next week it's not going to look as bad. So anyway, I'm kind of in the middle here. I think the price was way too high. I think the people who are saying this is reasonable don't know what they're talking about. They may be paying it themselves because they're also kind of gullible. Also, it does have to do with the market somewhat. If you're in a place that there are very few available cleaning people and a lot of people who need them, then yeah, supply and demand, of course. But I don't think that's the case in Vegas. And in most markets, that's not the case. And... 
the truth is a lot, a lot of people will clean for a lot less and you can't explain this type of price for inflation. I have also have people saying, oh, well, you know, they have to get licensed and bonded and insured and buy their own supplies and the transportation and blah, blah. I'm like, okay, look, this has always been cooked into the price that they charge. This is not a new thing. And also a lot of them are not licensed and bonded and insured. Like a, a lot of them are just people who just do this as, as gig work, don't even report the income. That's what most of these clean ladies do. I have a feeling there's, there's a good chance she wasn't even licensed and insured and all that, but these expenses are nothing new. So every other cleaning lady he hires is the same thing. So it still doesn't explain why they can clean for 15 to 30 per person and she wants 80. So these are just people making excuses. There are some people on Twitter who just always jump to the side of the working person. So if it's like rich person versus working person, it's always rich person's wrong, which isn't true. Sometimes uh, working person's wrong. Sometimes they're both wrong. Sometimes it is rich person who's wrong. But you, you can't just jump to that conclusion because it looks better to be defending the, the poor maid than, uh, than Sean Deeb, who has all this money. The other thing is, if you look at $80 an hour, if she were to work 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, she'd make $166,000 cleaning houses. Now, yeah, there's some expenses, and yeah, she wouldn't be working eight hours a week because there's time in between jobs, and maybe she doesn't have a full schedule like that, but still, she could probably make 100 after everything if she's got a pretty full schedule of cleaning. So that's more than someone who cleans houses uh, should be making by market rates. Yeah, ask the people who are cleaning the hotel rooms in Vegas how they'd like a hundred thousand dollars a year, or even something in that neighborhood. They would, they'd be thrilled. So I don't think people realize how little cleaners typically make, and how high this is. Now, at the same time, he doesn't have a right to be angry at her. She's quoting a high price. He just has to say no. So I don't understand this. I, I want to lose my shit. I could understand if the tone was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. I just got quoted $80 an hour, and I think it's because she knows who I am. And that's one thing that's kind of a downside of being a known poker player is some people try to overcharge you. That would have been fine. But to say I'm about to lose my shit on her, why? You just say no. And in fact, we just had this discussion here about that poker dyke person who was on Twitter, and that was her name on Twitter. She's changed it, but it used to be Poker Dyke, so it's not a slur I'm using. But Poker Dyke was going off about Alex Torelli, that he wasn't paying what she was asking for, and she ended up taking a much lower rate that she felt she was worth more, and she had other stupid criticisms of him. But I'm thinking, what? What's her problem here? So they negotiated the rate, and he paid her what he wanted to pay, and then she resented it and was mad at him? She didn't have to take the job. Like, how can, how can you take a job? How can you take a contract job and then resent the person because they're not paying you as much as you hoped you'd make? It was your choice to take it. So this is the reverse situation. The, the person who is receiving a high quote as the customer can just say no. They don't have to be mad about that. I had a service person come. This wasn't anything to do with cleaning. It's a lot more expensive. It was about getting something replaced in my house. And I had two different companies come, and one quoted way higher than the other. And the one that was quoting way higher, they had all kinds of ridiculous surcharges for bullshit. And I knew it was one of these situations where they're charging a lot more, figuring that people are dumb enough to pay it. And the one that I ended up hiring, which was much, much cheaper, we're talking about probably like 60% of the price. They were in line with another company that had done something almost identical in an area about 60 miles away from me that was very similar to mine. So I had a point of reference. So the, the price I got quoted for what I ended up taking was fair. 
the price I got quoted by this other company was exorbitant. But they must get away with it because people probably pay it and don't think about it. They think it must be the price. So it's a very real thing that you're, it'll get marked up if they think you'll be dumb enough to pay it. But that's just business. You know, that's just how business works. You can't ever be insulted about price quotes. And you also can't be insulted when people won't accept your high price quote. It goes both ways. Like, so if the maid was pissed off that Sean Deeb said no and walked away saying, oh, this cheap asshole, you know, look how much money he makes and he might make a million dollars for losing weight and he won't give me $80 an hour. How much is that to him? Come on. What a cheapskate. Like she would have no right to think that either. She could think that, but that wouldn't be a fair way to think here. So neither of them should be angry here, actually. Some people have quoted the situation that, well, it depends how fast she cleans. That's kind of a good point, and I just don't like ever paying for maids by the hour for that reason. Whenever I've hired cleaning people, it's always by the job. I have them come take a look at it, and then I have them give me a rate. And if I don't like it, I may negotiate, but I don't like the by the hour thing because it it encourages slow cleaning. So you don't want to encourage people to clean especially slow so they can make more money. You want them to go at their normal pace. You want them to just do the job. This is one of these things where a job just needs to be done. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I I don't care if it takes four hours or an hour and a half to clean my house as long as I can see it's really clean. That's all that matters if it's really clean. Some people work faster than others, so it shouldn't be by the hour. But if it's going to be Unless that person is really blazing fast and so much faster than the others that you get the same job done in shorter time for about the same money when it all breaks down, then you can't charge that type of money. So if she said, look, I know it seems high, but I clean about twice as fast as everybody and do just as good of a job. Okay, you may want to try it out once and see. I'd probably still say no, but at least if that's true, then fine. So that's how I feel about it. Calwatt, if you were quoted $80 an hour to clean your house, what would be your reaction to this? Calwatt stepped away, I think. Oh, okay. Well, Trader Ruski, I was going to ask um, you next. But yeah, but I think that, uh, look, I agree. If you don't like it, say no. I mean, I think I pay, you know, I have a housekeeper come a couple times a month. She usually has somebody with her. I pay her 80 bucks, and they're there about two hours. Yeah, that's, that's totally fine. So, Yeah. I've never paid anywhere near that nor even close to that. And I know prices have gone up everything recently, so you can't be mad if you can't find anyone to clean for the same price as four years ago because there's, there's actually been some substantial inflation since then. It's like, a, it's like everything is 25% more, and that's even if you believe what they claim is the inflation rate, which I, I think in, in reality the cost to consumers is, is much higher than they're even letting on with the inflation we've had for the last three years. So if things get more expensive for that reason, it makes sense. And you have to kind of forget what you remember of of those type of prices from back then. But things shouldn't be double or more than double. So I I definitely think she was gouging him here, but he doesn't have to accept it. She's not the only cleaning person in the world. He even has other cleaners. They they just don't have as much time to do it. So just say... What's he going to do? Yell at at the poor cleaning woman? (laughs) I, it, it seems like he was about to. That, that he, he said himself he was about to lose his shit, but then his wife asked him not to. I could just picture he's like getting pissed, and she's seeing him like he's about to start yelling, and his wife's probably like, Sean, just, just, 
just let it go. Just let it go. <laughs> what a weird thing to get pissed about. Like I, There's many other things to lose your shit about in the world. You know, this poor woman is going around trying to, you know, get the stains out of his underwear. <laughs> you know, some may argue that's not enough. I would say if you actually have to wash Sean Deeb's underwear, then yes, uh, $80 an hour is the minimum you should be paid. I agree with that one. That's, I, I wouldn't do it for $80 an hour to wash Sean Deeb's underwear. So maybe laundry's not involved, though. Like, I've, I've never once hired anyone to do my laundry, ever. I've always done my own laundry since I've been an adult. So some people do it. I, I just am not one who, one, just likes to even ask people to do it. And just, I just do my own, honestly. I, I just feel like it's a personal thing. And I just do my own laundry. Actually, it's not true. I, I've been forced to let others do my laundry on cruise ships. You you can't access the washing machines usually, so if you need it done, then you do need to give it to them to do it. But that, that that's because I have no other choice. I actually have done my own laundry on other cruise ships where they they actually have machines, and I prefer that because I know a good job is being done, and I know my stuff doesn't get lost. I guess if you have to wash Sean Deeb's underwear, that is kind of gross. So that's that's the point for her. All right, moving on. Another controversy on Hustler Casino Live, which. They like. They like when there's controversies. Even the Robbie J. Lou thing was kind of good for them because it got them attention. Some of it was negative attention, but, you know, any publicity is good publicity. So the recent controversy is one that definitely doesn't make them look bad because it's nothing that Hustler Casino Live could be said to have done wrong. It's just an interesting thing that developed between two players, and it brings up an ethical question about poker play and mistakes during poker play for a lot of money and what should be done about it. So here's what happened. There is a hand between two players on Hustler Casino Live and someone called a $20,000 river bet with six high. And obviously the person wasn't calling with six high because they thought six high was good. And it wasn't even six high where there's like a double paired board and you have pocket sixes and you're, you're now you have six high and you think maybe your opponent has pocket fives or fours. This was a case where six high not only was no good, but it, you'd have to play the board. And this wasn't even a spot where playing the board would make sense. It was just a total nonsensical call where someone mis- misread the hand. So I'm going to play you the clip of this that Hustler Casino Live itself posted. This is on August 24th. It says, what just happened? Imagine misreading your hand for $20,000. Let's listen to this. Get a raise from Nick. Dr. H has got queens. Just calls. So we got ace-king versus queens. And then a lot of stragglers coming along for the ride as well. We look at a 10-9-5 flop. Dr. H's queens are still good. So a lot of players in this hand. Six players in because the queens decided not to three-bet from the opener who had ace-king suited. It was actually Nick Vertucci who had uh, ace-king suited, who I, I still think shouldn't be playing in that game. That's not what this is about. I'm just commenting on that. But Nick opened with ace-king suited. Then this Dr. H person had queens and just flatted them, and then this allowed uh, four other people to come in with 6-4, ace-3, ace-3, and four deuce. And the flop comes 10-5-9. Uh, so that flop missed everybody except for the queens. 
So the guy with a queen bets the 1500. Nick decided he's just not even going to try to fire at this, which, which is the correct play. When you have ace-king suited and you've missed the board and you have five opponents, you know someone hit something here. It's funny that only one person has a playable hand at that point, and that's the guy with the queens. Everybody else totally missed this. But Nick checked. The guy with the queens then fired, figuring he's probably good. And it's continuing here. The ace-three folds. The ace-three folds. Nick folds. bet. By Dr. H. Oh, whoa. Okay. Sandman is calling. So then what was kind of weird was that this guy who goes by Sandman called with 6-4 offsuit on a 10-5-9 rainbow board. <laughs> I don't know where he thinks he's going with this. Like, I guess he's got three consecutive cards to a straight, but <laughs> that is some attempt there. Maybe he's hoping he can steal it if this guy with the queens is just betting with crap. Because remember, he just flatted. But you know what? You have to look at this. When Nick the early raiser checks and then the first flatter bets into four other people, the first flatter almost always has something. The only way you're going to get that first flatter off is if you're willing to put a big bluff on him or if uh, they have a draw and miss. Other than that, uh, they're usually not just betting shit there because that's, that's a bluff that's very hard to make work on a board like uh, 10-9-5 with six players. So it's a very bad call. Six high? To set something up. So now is the second five. So now the 6-4 is really in trouble. The 6-4, the best hand it could possibly make is a, a pair of sixes at this point. So it's actually, it's actually drawing dead. And Dr. H is not going to slow down. 4,500. So this Dr. H guy with the Queens bets 4,500. Sandman is now drawing dead. Now, for whatever reason, Sandman still calls here. I have no idea what he thinks he's going to get. He can't even backdoor to a straight anymore. He has no flush draw, no straight draw. He's got six high. The best he's going to make is a pair of sixes, which is drawing dead to any pair sevens or better. What is going on here? Do we have Sandman's hand wrong? The commentator's wondering if may maybe they, uh, they're not reading the hand right. Position. What's the play here? Check. So now it says Jack. So he still has six high. And he checks. And then this Dr. H fires 20 into a 15K pot. 25,000? Oh, my. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Okay, so there we go. There's the point where... Dr. H fires, I thought it was 20. They said 25. I don't know. What, what, 20 or 25,000. It doesn't really matter that much for this discussion. And then Sandman snap calls it. He didn't think. Snap calls the six high, <laughs> which, of course, is playing the board at this point because uh, there's jack 10, 9, and two fives on the board. So the, the six wouldn't play. So he actually says yes and turns over the hand, thinking he has trips. And then he goes, oh, my God, and slaps his hand when he sees what he really has. So he probably thought he had 5-4, not 6-4, and was playing this conservatively on the turn. So when the second 5 hit, he decided he doesn't want to go all in in case what if Dr. H flatted with 10s or 9s and has him beat, or even with Ace-5 suited or something. So he's thinking, with 5-4, I'll just let him barrel into me, and this way... I'm not going to lose the maximum if, if, if I'm behind. 
and if I'm ahead, I won't run him off. So that that's probably what he was thinking here, thinking he's calling trip fives, and when he saw the queens, he's like, yes! And he's like, oh, shit! I actually have six high. So let's hear the rest of this. I don't have a five. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, uh. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. What the fuck just happened? Oh my. Well, that explains it. Sandman thought he had 5 4, or maybe 6 5, either way. He Holy thought he shit. had a 5. I was thinking about the, the Mirage. Bears, <laughs> you did that last week, right? What the? A smaller pot, but he called playing the board too. <laughs> he did? Oh my. Thank you. No, I'm saying he did the same thing. Sandman couldn't beat the board. Snap calls. Clearly thought he had a five. I thought maybe we had the cards wrong, but he had the card wrong. We did not. Brutal. Oh, that is brutal. That is brutal. I don't know. You want to be dealt out, Sam? Yeah, I'll give him a few minutes. Yeah, he has no money in front of him, so asking if he wants to be dealt out. I mean, it's one thing this to guy. lose a big hand <laughs> in a cooler or something, but to lose it like that, that's he knows that's tough. That's really tough. By the way, I have dreams like this sometimes. I've actually had poker dreams where I think I have a certain hand. And then at the end, I look down, and it's a totally different hand, and I've just shot off my chips. Sometimes it's a tournament, sometimes it's cash, and it's just so devastating. Fortunately, that hasn't happened to me in live poker. It has happened online when I've gotten really tired, and I remember the previous hand I'm holding, even though it's right in front of me. I'm still believing I have the other hand, and I've sometimes called bets. But because I'm playing limit there, it doesn't cost me like this. But yeah, that's brutal. Now, I believe the Sandman guy really did think he was calling with trips. I don't think that he believed he was calling to play the board and then pretended it. You could, his reaction was so quick. And the yes, and like it was just, it was very authentic looking. So I believe this is what really happened. But then a question came up regarding whether you should give back any money to your opponent when this happens. So the river is really the question. If someone calls the flop and turn, then they really should never get the money back because they can always still make something and they don't know what you have. So on the flop and turn, it could be rationalized that maybe he's just calling because he thinks that the other guy doesn't have a pair and if he hits the six or the four, that he's good. That wouldn't be a good play, but you can't prove to your opponent that you had misread your hand on those first two streets. You really could just be calling because he's the only one betting and you think maybe he's just firing with a draw and that he, he doesn't have a pair or maybe you could run him off later depending on what falls. So the flop and turn, it's very clear that you're never do a refund even ethically or morally. But what about the river? The river, clearly nobody's going to snap call that all-in bet. I, I guess it was technically 14,300 because he didn't have more than that on the table at that point. So what Dr. H bet didn't matter. It only mattered what he could call. But he would never call a 14,300 bet 
in a $15,000 pot with six high that is actually playing the board. There's no chance. The way this action went down, it looks like 100% this was a hand misread. And he's calling something with no showdown value. So what is the right thing to do at this point? Especially because there's not many hands that would be chopping here. It's not like there's various holdings Dr. H could have where they might chop the pot, even if he misreads his hand. So let's say he did think he had trips, but then also Dr. H had crap. There aren't that many hands that Dr. H would be holding, even if he didn't have a pair, that wouldn't at least have one card play. Because remember, the board's 5, 5, 9, 10, jack. So there aren't many hands you can hold there that won't beat 6-4. That won't beat the board. So it's not even like he's accidentally calling but still could have gotten half the pot. It's very unlikely he would have gotten half the pot no matter what. So at that point, provided you believe the person that they misread their hand, should you give them back anything? Should you give them back the river bet that they called? Or should you give them back part of the river bet? Or should you give them back nothing? There's a lot of debate about this within poker spaces. And I have been in situations before where there was some kind of hand misreading and where nobody gives anything to anyone. The most recent one was a hand which was in my favor that got misread. And that was, I bet the river with only a pair with four cards to the flush on the board because the way the guy had played it, I really believed that my pair was good and that he may actually call with a lower pair. It was just me and him. Neither of us had played it strongly. I actually thought there was some chance my pair was good. I also thought there was little chance he would be raising me. And I also thought if he raised me that I could let it go. So I felt that rather than check call a bet, I I, I felt if he had the flush, the one card flush, I think it was a spade, that he was going to bet anyway if I checked to him. So I might as well do the betting here because there's a chance he'll call with worse. And if I check, if he's got a spade, he's going to bet and I have to call. And even if he doesn't have a spade, any bets I have to call. So I figured I might as well just bet here. So this is limit hold'em. So I bet and he called and I turned over my pair and I've, I've, I thought, obviously, I'm not going to win this one. But it's a small chance I'll win. And he mucks his hand. I'm thinking, oh, sweet. I didn't expect that, but all right. I and mean, that's kind of why I did this. I thought there was some chance I'll call with, with a worse pair. I think I had a pair of 10s, and uh, you know there were lower cards on the board. So I thought, yeah, maybe he'll call with that, given the way the action went. And he did. Okay, great, I win. Well, no, because it turned out that he misread. I think my 10 was the 10 of clubs. He misread it as the 10 of spades. He had a lower spade than that, and he threw it away. Now, I didn't get to see this, but he threw it away, and then he goes, wait a minute, you had a spade there, didn't you? And I said, no. He said, oh, shit. Shit, I had a spade. I won that pot. Damn it. The guy was frustrated. Now, he never asked me to give him any money back. But he actually should have won the whole pot there. But he mucked his hand because he misread what I tabled. And I didn't pull any angles. I didn't say, oh, I got a flush and then really not have one. I, I just put my cards down there and he misread it. And I really believed I beat him. I really believed he didn't have a spade. But then he did have a spade and just misread it and thought I had a higher spade than him and threw it away. So even though I believed what he said and I could see his emotion was genuine... The amount of money I gave back to him in that hand was zero point zero. Because it's part of the game. It's part of the game to read your hand properly. So if he misread what I tabled and mucked it, 
even if I believed him, which I did, he didn't deserve any money back, nor would I expect money back if I made the same mistake. And I have made mistakes before. In fact, not too long before that, a few months prior to that, I was playing Omaha High, Limit Omaha High, and I misread my hand, and I tossed it. And as the card flew out of my hand, as the four cards left my hand, I thought, shit, I just misread that. I can beat what this guy tabled. And before it actually hit the muck to where it was retrievable, it kind of landed in front of the rest of the muck, face down. I snatched it back. (laughs) And the dealer's hand was reaching for it. And I snatched it back before the dealer could get it. Tabled my hand, said, sorry, I wasn't trying to slow roll. This was an accidental misread. Everybody said, no problem. We do it all the time, too. (laughs) Don't worry about it. And nobody objected. And even the guy who lost the pot understood. And nobody was mad. And I, I legitimately won the pot, of course. And I was, by the rules of commerce, allowed to grab it back because it was still retrievable. In fact, it hadn't even hit the other cards yet. It was just like in front of the muck. And I grabbed it before the dealer could grab it. So... By the rules there, I won the pot, and nobody objected. But had the dealer grabbed it, it would have been like a $2,000 mistake. I would have kicked myself big time, but I would not have asked for anything back. I would have been very mad at myself, but I wouldn't have asked for anything back. Now, I don't believe the Sandman asked for anything back, but that is part of poker. However, there's an exception here. And I don't know much about the Sandman because I don't watch... Hustler Casino Live much, but in the case that it's a recreational player that you want to keep around, you sometimes might want to do it just to keep a good atmosphere of the game and keep that person coming back. Now, at no limit, it can be tougher because they can have very large bets, so it's hard to just hand someone back 14K. But you could say, hey, here, I'll give you a few K back because you, you messed this up. There were some people saying, oh, if you don't give back that entire river bet, you're a piece of shit. That's not true, because it's part of the game. But there is an argument to give at least some of that back to a recreational player. Just because you want to keep them around, and just because you're trying to be nice to someone who has a much lesser skill level than the pros in the game. If another pro does this, or even a good recreational player, then... 0% chance I give anyone anything back. Nor would I expect them to give me anything back. So I'm not being a hypocrite here. There's a reason on this show you've never heard me once complain, oh, I didn't get any money back when I misread my hand. And I've misread my hand before, but I've never asked nor expected money back. So that's really on you. But it's not one of these things where you should never do it. I, I see people on both extremes. You must do this or you're a terrible person or... You never give back money in poker, ever, ever. No, that's not true either, because it's situational. So let's say this guy who uh, had the spade in the hand against me. This was Limit Hold'em. It was uh, at 61.20. So it was a $120 bet that I made and he called. But the truth was, he wasn't just the river. He won the whole pot. But he didn't win it because he mucked his hand when he shouldn't have. So let's say I believed him that he really had that spade. And let's say he was a wreck and someone I wanted to be in the game, someone who I wanted to have a good experience there. Then I I might say, you know, I'll give you your last bet back. I wouldn't give him the whole pot, but I might give him some of it back just to keep the proper atmosphere over there. But if it was anyone who was like a decent player, which this guy was, then the answer is a big no. And I would expect the answer to me would be a big no, 
And in fact, I wouldn't even ask. Nor did he ask. He had like the reaction I would. He was mad at himself and never asked me to give a penny back. And had he asked me, the answer would have been no. And I'm sure if it was reversed, it would have been the same thing. But there was a lot of controversy about this. And a lot of times people will say this because they're not in the situation. It's not their 14K to have to give back. So, of course, you can say, oh, I would give it back because I'm a good person. Well, yeah, let's see you when you actually win 14K off someone who misreads their hand if you're going to give it back to them. A lot of people saying that they would are not telling the truth. Some comments about this. Bill Moran, I don't really know him, but he made a comment in relation to uh, Mike Mattisau's comment that it's an embarrassment to poker to keep the money and that anyone who would keep the money is a piece of shit, Mike said. Bill Moran said back, keeping a friendly environment for Rex and long-term game preservation. I think Mike is a little over the top here. I wouldn't fault anyone for not doing it, but a top pro should probably do it versus an amateur. Because it's 14K, that's where it starts to get tougher. If this is a smaller bet than that, I, I could see giving this back to an amateur in full. If it's a bet like this, it's, it's hard to just hand that back, even to an amateur. I think to a rec player, I would probably hand some of it back, but, but by no means all of it. A person named Lim Risky on Twitter wrote, No bet in poker should ever be returned unless someone cheats. It's the person's responsibility to know his hand, even though he lost his part of the game. You don't return money when I'm playing a competitive game like poker. Another person named Dwayne wrote, Would they do it for me? If no, then no way. If yes, return the river bet. Now, that's an interesting point by Dwayne. Because if you do know the person, and you know that person would have done it for you, and you know this for sure from knowing their personality, then you might want to do it. If you don't know them, then you can't make that decision. Or if you know they wouldn't, then you can decide the other way. But that is a good reason to return it if you know they would have done it if it were reversed. But there's very few players that would do this for like another pro or decent rec. Another person named Brandon, who's at the B Suite on Twitter, wrote, I'd give him his river call back, but that's just me. And a person named Terry Cruz said back, I'm taking it all and gloating in the man's face. <laughs> that's pretty harsh. That is pretty harsh. Poker News took a poll on this, and with the anonymity of the poll, we get more of an accurate representation of what people would really do than on Twitter, where there's a lot of virtue signaling. In this poll, only 15% said they would refund the full river bet, only 9% said they would give part of the river bet, and 75% said not give him a penny, it's his fault for misreading his hand, and that's out of 866 votes. So pretty decent sample size. And about three-quarters said, no way, they're getting a big zero. They're getting nothing out of this. So that is the most recent controversy on Hustler Casino Live. And definitely Mattisau is being very extreme about, oh, you're a piece of shit if you don't give it back. And I don't know if Mattisau would really do this. I, I, I'm not sure if Mattisau would actually return that if he were in that spot. If it was someone he really liked, maybe yes, but just some random he's in the game with, I think he probably wouldn't. That's actually my guess. It is an interesting question, though. Interesting question, interesting situation. But, yeah, I, I'm more in the it's part of the game school. Well, here's a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. Jungle Man sent a nude picture to somebody. I'm talking about Daniel Cates, Jungle Man. He sent a nude picture to somebody... And uh, now he's getting blackmailed. 
All right. I don't want to see that one either, Drew. I, I agree with you on that one. In, in addition to your colonoscopy and your polyps, I, I also don't want to see the naked pictures of Jungle Man. I don't agree about my colon, but I do agree regarding Jungle Man that I don't want to see that nude. But Jungle Man did tweet out about this. That's how we know about this. He tweeted, and I saw this within minutes of when he tweeted. I happened to just be looking at Twitter and it popped up. The tweet was deleted, but I was able to recover part of the tweet. And the beginning of it said, Well, today I woke up to some idiot trying to blackmail me over a nude photo I sent to someone. And then there was some second sentence, which was less consequential, which I can't recover. But those were the exact words of his first sentence, of the two-sentence tweet. This was on August 26th in the early morning that he put up this tweet. So I'll tell you the important thing we can get from this, and that is that he really did send a nude picture to somebody. He's not saying that someone photoshopped a a picture or falsified a picture. Nothing like that. He said, I woke up to some idiot trying to blackmail me over a nude photo I sent to someone. So he sent the nude photo. I don't know to whom. Maybe to a girl. 2023. Is this like a a scandal worthy thing? Well, it's it's just it's because it's Jungle Man. He's being blackmailed. The fact that he sent a nude photo is not a scandal. That's what I mean. No, right. So so whatever it was, the person who was trying to blackmail him probably felt that he probably just doesn't want a nude picture of himself out there. Not so much that it's shameful that he sent it, but just he just doesn't want a nude of him out there that people uh, are going to be in possession of. So. Presumably, they it also probably, means that the person he sent it to probably sent it to a bunch of other people. Well, so that but brings it, up I'm the other question. That brings yeah. up the important question. The important second question is, who did he send it to? So did he send it to a girl who he just uh, couldn't trust and sent this to other people? Or did he send this to a catfish who was pretending to be a girl and then got this nude photo and then blackmailed him? So was this a premeditated thing where someone pretended to be a pretty girl and chatted him up and convinced him to send a new photo. And then he did. And now that person is uh, blackmailing him saying, ha ha ha, you know what? Uh, you really sent this to me. There was no girl. And uh, now you better pay up or I'm going to uh, expose this literally. Now, no pun intended. He deleted the tweet pretty quickly. So it looks like he woke up, he got that. He kind of just emotionally went and, ran to Twitter about it to say what's happening and then thought better of it and decided to delete the tweet. Maybe because he didn't want to give satisfaction to that person and maybe because he just decided he didn't want that story out there. But uh, I saw it. When I saw it, I almost screenshotted it thinking that maybe he's going to delete it and then I didn't and then it turned out he did delete it. But I, I was able to recover part of it. So what I read you really was his exact words in that first sentence. I do wonder, like, if he did send this, regardless of whether it was to a real girl or someone pretending to be a girl, why is he doing this? Like, Unless this is some ex-girlfriend who's trying to get back at him, why is he sending nude photos to someone he can't trust on the internet when he's a known person? If he was just some total random, it wouldn't matter. But uh, when you're a known person in poker or in anything, you should not be sending nude photos to anyone unless you have tremendous trust for them. Because this is exactly what could happen. And if he did it, not even knowing if it was a girl, that's really bad, because he's been around online for many, many years. This is not a new guy to the online space. 
nor is he old to where you'd think, okay, well, you know, he doesn't know about the whole catfishing thing. Like, this is a younger guy. He's not young anymore because he's been around a long time, but he's not old. He's a lot younger than me. Yeah, but he, but Truff, he's also never been the most uh, socially aware person. Let's put it that way. Well, yeah, that's that's, you know? that's so some people are kind of you know thinking about this. It's not getting much discussion on Twitter because it was deleted pretty quickly. I just happened to catch it when it was dropped there. But yes, there's some people that think that Jungle Man just wasn't uh, thinking rationally and just kind of reacted when some girl was chatting him up and then he's oh this girl's pretty oh she's a fan of mine oh yeah she wants to see a new picture of me okay i'll send it <laughs> i i just wondered like was this also accompanied with like a, a sexting session or like how did how did they get she the new picture the jungle love drop yeah she wanted to see his his jungle banana well know? was she just asking for that or was this part of like when he was jerking off to her who knows what this was like he just had a new picture i sent to someone i now it kind of sounds like this was just a picture not a, a video session that they captured. So it just kind of seems like that she, they, they probably had some kind of sexting conversation. Then he probably said, Oh, I'm so hard right now. And she's like, Oh, well, can I see it? Oh, let me sure. Sure. And he takes a picture and sends it to this girl that may not really be a girl, but that that's uh, pretty naive at this point to fall for. You got to really trust the person, especially in his position. So I have to imagine that maybe he went to the police on this, or maybe they told him to delete the tweet. They're probably not because he, he deleted it very fast. I think he just thought better of the tweet. Maybe he just decided to ignore it and said, screw it. If they're going to put out my nude picture, let him. So I, I, I would love to know what really happened out of this. I was disappointed. He deleted the tweet because I figured if he kept the tweet up, we would get updates of what's going on. But now we're, we're you know what, Druff? I think we should get everyone together, everyone in the poker community together, to contribute a little bit of money so we can all pay to not see it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep, that that might actually be wise. But yeah, Jungle Man, he's he's getting the blackmail here. And you know what? There was one that was not too different than this, except it wasn't blackmail; it's just a scam. This is on Neverwin Poker, and this guy's not in poker anymore. But it was well-known at the time. I'm not giving away any secrets. Gavin Griffin was tricked by a dude pretending to be a girl. And he sent this person like $6,000 and a nude picture. Looks like Jungle Man only lost a nude picture out of this. one. <laughs> Gavin sent a $6,000 and a nude picture. And then the guy who did it came to Neverwind Poker to brag about it. And then shared the picture. And then the guy eventually posted a real picture of himself, too which is surprising, but he, he shared a real picture of himself. And I will say this was like the least feminine looking guy possible. It wasn't even like a, a, a an effeminate guy who was trying to be a girl because he's gay. And then there's the only way Gavin would have a hot chat with him. It wasn't like the, this was like the, the most, uh, this guy had like a square jaw and a beard. It's just like, if you picture a guy who you'd say like would be the ugliest woman, if he tried to be a woman, this, this guy would probably be it. So it was funny of all, looks for this guy to have <laughs> that's what it was and uh, eventually he was run off the site people were amused by this at first but they and then eventually he was uh run off the site shortly after that but yeah but he really did scam gavin griffin out of this and gavin admitted it gavin admitted that yes he sent six thousand dollars to this person and yes that was really his penis haven't there been a whole bunch of uh penises floating around the poker world i seem to remember vaguely yeah, well, there's been th- there's three of, three prominent penises. Yeah, yes, yeah, Seabach actually became an FBI case, though. 
Uh, so Seabach oh. was another one. That was the best known one. Joe Seabach, this was after the whole UB scandal. and Some people were bitter about this. And the person who did it made it seem like this was revenge for the UB stuff, for the uh, UB uh, super using. So this was before the Black Friday happened, but this was after the UB super user scandal. So the person who was blackmailing Joe Seabach was emailing him from an address, UB poker is a scam at whatever.com. And that was kind of the justification for what they were doing. But in reality, they were just trying to make money. They were eventually caught. Yeah, Joe Seabach went to law enforcement. This actually got to the FBI's hands. And because this picture appeared on Dockdown, the FBI contacted me and Brian Mikon, who were the administrators of the site. And we told them the truth. I said, we don't know who this person is. They came and chatted with Mikon, asked to speak to him on some messenger, and then posted the picture. So we don't know who it is. It's funny because they said they were just trying to find out what we know, if it adds to their evidence. They said they already knew who did it, but they're just trying to get further verification. So towards the end of the call, I said, well, what's the FBI's position on the picture? Like, are you guys telling us we need to take it down? And the woman investigating the case said, no, we're not telling you to take down the picture. We just wanted to know what you know about it. <laughs> so they were, which surprised me. I thought they were going to say, take it down. But they said, no, no, we're, we're not telling you to do that. They, they didn't tell me to leave it up, but they, they said, we're not telling you to leave it down. Like just, you know, the, we're not taking a position on this, basically. We just want to know what you know about the person who did it. And we said, well, we don't know anything. It's just some anonymous person who showed up and posted it. So that was Joe Seabach. You know your dicks. Yeah. So Joe Seabach then, uh, you know, eventually they, they caught this person. There's actually two people involved with this. And uh, one older, one younger. And the funny thing is they were both blaming it on each other. But it was clear this was something that was not about avenging UB and all this shit. It was really just about them trying to extort people for money. I guess they had done other things that were similar to other people. So they, and they both blamed it on each other. It was so funny. Like the older guy was saying that the, this is all the younger guy's idea. He kind of went along with it. The younger guy said, oh, the older guy, he's, he was older and sophisticated. He intimidated me. He threatened me if I don't go through with it that, uh, you know, he's going to hurt me. It, it seems like bullshit. It seems like they're both very willingly in on it. And uh, we're splitting the money. So that was the Joe Seabach one. And then uh, the first dick, or actually the second, I think the Gavin Griffin was the first one. The second one, but very close to the time the Gavin Griffin thing happened, is someone who's still in poker. And that is... David Williams. And David Williams didn't actually send his dick anywhere, but he was in a foot porn film with an older woman. And he was in this before was he was... His, oh, okay. Yeah, he it was before he was... I was about to was ask in, why his dick was in this, but I just figured it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about that. So, okay. so that, uh, that was also found by some member on the site. I don't know how they found that. <laughs> it's a pretty obscure foot porn movie. But it was found... And it was uh, then posted on Neverwin Poker. And it was him. It, it looked just like him. I mean, yeah, it possibly could have been a lookalike. But later on, uh, David Williams' agent actually told Mikon that it was him and that he was going to come on our show and finally admit to it. Before, he was just like wouldn't comment on it, which also kind of meant it was him. But then he, he was going to come on our show and admit to it and then decided he's not going to do that. <laughs> he just decided against yeah. it and it never happened. He's not going to gain anything by claiming ownership of that dick. Yeah. 
So, so that was the other uh, well-known one that was a big deal in the early to mid two thousands. Most people don't remember that at this point because they weren't around back then. So that's that's the one thing in David Williams' favor is that it's been so long since that happened. A lot of people who were around in poker back then are gone, and a lot of people who are around today were not around back then. So he is fortunate that a lot of the people don't know about this, though anyone who was around back then was pretty aware of it because it was a pretty big story and that all happened on Neverwin Poker. And again, this was not done by, by me or MyCon or Neverwin. It was, it was just users just bringing this and just people would just see this stuff. Like poker was so big that even if you appeared in an obscure foot porn, like some dude is going to be watching foot porn and find it and then post it. That's exactly what happened. So I guess, uh, David Williams did this when he was like a college student and hadn't yet uh, had any poker success and thought no one would ever see it. But uh, always that chance. Always that chance. Uh, I mean, look, look at Christopher Mitchell, who, the, you know, the gambling scammer on YouTube. There's all this footage of him and gay porn. Not having gay sex, but he's uh, jerking off in a lot of gay videos and even telling a story about getting a blowjob by a trucker to, to get a ride to California. I was like, all this footage is out there from years ago that he wishes wasn't there anymore, but there's nothing he can do. So, of course, of course, all the people calling out Christopher Mitchell for his recent scams like to keep throwing that in his face. And he hates it, but there's nothing he can do. So he's not in poker, but we've talked about him on the show, of course. At the moment, though, I don't want to confuse anybody. At the moment, to my knowledge, Jungle Man's dick has not been distributed anywhere. And it may not be. Hopefully he doesn't pay the ransom here. I, I hope he didn't delete the tweet because he's decided to pay the hush money. I hope he stands firm here. Pun intended. Off. <laughs> I hope he's really hard in his negotiating. No. And I hope that he will erect not to give anyone any money. Dear God. All right, let's move on. Jason Mercier kind of threw himself into an old controversy and then thought he was clearing everything up for someone else. And then it turned out that it really isn't very clear. But for whatever reason, no one's talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it. We talked about Sean Perry back in 2021. This is one of the bigger alleged thefts in poker that got pretty little attention. Sean Perry is a young poker pro who has played very high stakes, both cash and tournaments. He is the son of Russian-born poker pro Ralph Perry and gimmicky Vegas area realtor Mary Perry. Mary Perry used to like friend every poker player on Facebook in order to like get real estate clients. I've never met Sean, but I did play with his dad. In fact, his dad was at the final table of the bracelet event I won. I think he went out like ninth or something, but he was at the table. Daniel Coleman, in 2021, accused Sean of scamming him for, quote, seven figures in daily fantasy sports betting. And there was a whole scandal related to that that also involved Sam Severell, where Sam Severell was either a victim or an accomplice. It was kind of hard to tell. Aaron Jones, also known as A.E. Jones, analyzed the entire thing and said that it really looked like that Coleman was being cheated. Now, I don't want to go through that whole story again. But it basically had to do with a high-stakes 
daily fantasy sports competition, and it looked like that uh, there were ghost accounts that were also in that competition that may have actually been Sean Perry, which, of course, changes the whole thing. During the statement that uh, Daniel Coleman made on May 7th, 2021, he said there were two accounts that were legitimate regulars in the game who Sean Perry always uh, drafted with second and third picks, and then the remaining three players turned out to be totally random accounts that had no playing history before these bets took place. These accounts switched ownership frequently between Sam Severell's side and Sean Perry's side. After becoming alarmed at how differently these three random accounts set their lineups depending on who owned them, I had Aaron Jones take a look at nine days of lineups. He ran an analysis based on the projections. He concluded that there is an incredibly high chance that th- these three accounts were controlled by Sean and that he would lay 10,000 to one odds to it. So basically it was like daily sports, daily fantasy sports multi-accounting. And without going into all the explanations, if the allegations here were true, then yeah, Daniel Coleman was scammed for a lot of money. He claims over a million dollars. Yeah, I actually remember that. Yeah. And we talked about it on the show. I was on the the radio with you when uh, we were covering that story initially. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You probably were. And there was some suspicion that Sam Several was involved that was never really fleshed out. Sean Perry has Twitter, and at the time had Twitter. He wasn't super active, but he would not comment on it, even though he was aware that these allegations were being publicly made about him, which, of course, doesn't look good, as we were saying earlier about Rob Mercer. Then we didn't hear anything further. And on June 1st, 2021, almost a month later, Jeff Dime asked on the forum, is there anything new on this? My guess is Sean and Sam made a deal to make Coleman whole in exchange for no further public comment on the matter from Coleman. PSA my ass. It's all about the money. Someone please correct me if I'm wrong. I've heard nothing new on this. So basically, Jeff suspected that the only reason Coleman was, was exposing this to get paid himself. He wasn't trying to protect other people and that he probably made some deal behind the scenes to keep quiet about this further. That was Jeff's theory. I said at the time, I have a feeling Coleman lost enthusiasm to keep pushing this publicly because guys like Haralabob are making fun of him for falling for a super obvious con. My guess is that nobody's been made whole because there's so much money involved and because the cat's out of the bag already. And it's been a month since Perry last tweeted, which I imagine is not a coincidence. So my thinking in June 2021 was that Coleman just didn't get anything back, but that he put it out there and... The info's there. Nothing further to do. And that Coleman stopped pressing this because people were mocking him for being so stupid to fall for this. Anyway, there is an update to this whole thing. I'd kind of forgotten about this, but there's an update to this whole thing. I, I would think about it like when Perry's name would come up. But aside from that, I wouldn't really think about it much. Jason Mercier, who to my knowledge has no involvement in this whole thing, And I played with him during the main event on day four, and he busted in the money. He busted set over set, kind of brutal, but not as bad as it sounds, because it was sevens against threes, and he had the threes, and then was all in pre, flopped the three, and then the seven hit the river. So, shitty way to go out, but uh, they were all in pre, and the best hand that was in pre won. So that's another way to look at it. Anyway, Mercier put this out on August 25th. Poker announcement. It's my understanding that after the Triton live stream, Sean Perry resolved all outstanding figures and owes no one else money. 
at Real Kid Poker, which is Daniel Negreanu. So let me stop there. In addition to this whole scandal with Coleman, Sean Perry apparently was also accused of owing people money for a long time, borrowing money and owing it. There's been various characterizations of Sean Perry. Some say that he's a good high-stakes pro, and others say he's kind of a fish in these games, and they just kind of tolerate all his antics because he is a donator. I don't know which one is true, but I've heard both. Mercier went on to tweet, More poker players with bad debts, regardless of the reason, should use this as an example and be willing to come forward after the fact and try to make good. It'll make our community stronger, and Sean did step up here under circumstances which most don't. Now, I don't know why he did the at Real Kid Poker, which is Daniel Negreanu. I don't know if Perry owed Negreanu, and he's hoping to get some kind of uh, acknowledgement, or maybe Negreanu had previously called out Perry, and he's just kind of letting him know. I don't know how that fit in there. That was the only person he did the at to in his tweet. And Mercier was basically praising him, saying, well, this is a good example for someone who owes a ton of money, then goes and fully pays it off after he has a score. And if more people could do this, it would set a good example and more people would probably follow in their footsteps. That's what Mercier is trying to say. Well, Daniel Coleman was none too pleased with that tweet. He said... Before making this stupid statement, how about you wait until Perry restarts our arbitration with Tom Marchese that he previously backed out of? So, of course, the arbitration is about whether this whole matter was ever settled with this Daily Fantasy Sports allegation. So, basically, Coleman wants him to go to arbitration where Tom Marchese decides if Perry has to pay Coleman back. And according to Coleman, Perry agreed and then backed out of it. Then Daniel Coleman said to Mercier, and answer honestly, did he pay you in full? So what Coleman's saying here is that it seems like Mercier was owed money by Perry also, and that maybe as a condition to get paid, or even partially paid, that he put out this statement. Maybe it wasn't just uh, Mercier putting it out because he was impressed by Sean. Maybe he's been owed by Sean for a long time. And Sean said, hey, I've paid you. I've paid this person. I've paid this person. So I've paid everybody back now. So I'll pay you if you put out this statement that I've paid everybody back so you can clear my name. And then maybe Mercier did it. This is just a possibility. But Coleman said, did he pay you in full? So that seems to indicate that Coleman believes or maybe even knows that Perry owed Mercier the money, and that's why he has an interest in this. And then he wrote another tweet saying, LMAO, what about the million plus that he scammed me for? So, Coleman definitely not happy with Perry, feels like this has not been solved. He's still out the million plus, so my theory about him never being paid is correct. And apparently, there's almost an arbitration, but for whatever reason, Perry backed out of it, according to Daniel Coleman, and he's mad that Mercier is giving Perry any kind of praise when this is not completed. He called it a stupid statement. Which I understand from Coleman's point of view that with this story being pretty well known, I have to imagine Mercier is aware of it, especially having dealt with Sean Perry himself, that he would have checked with Coleman before making a statement praising Perry for turning over a new leaf. Like, why not message Coleman and say, hey, uh, did he ever solve that whole thing about the Daily Fantasy Sports accused scam? Like, where does that stand today? Like, that would be a smart thing to put out 
privately to Coleman before praising Perry publicly. Maybe it slipped Mercier's mind. Maybe all he was thinking about was the debts and that he knew that Perry had paid them. And as I said, maybe Perry tied the repayment to Mercier to making this statement once Mercier really knew that anyone he owed got paid back. So it is possible right now that it sits where Perry has paid everybody back he owes, except for Coleman, who he doesn't agree he owes. But still, yeah, Mercier putting this out doesn't look very good when that whole Coleman thing is not solved yet. And is he trying to do it right before uh, football season so he can scam other people? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Timing. That's a good question. I don't think Mercier is like trying to do anything bad here, but it's possible this is a little bit selfish. It's possible he did this like as a condition to get paid back, or it's possible he just completely had an oversight and forgot about the Coleman thing. I can't imagine he thinks that Perry is innocent in the Coleman thing, because while I don't have any proof, just looking at everything that was put out there, it really looks like Coleman's in the right in that one, and he probably was ripped off, but it's one of these things where there's not quite the smoking gun, but there's close to it. So that's why he really wants to go to arbitration, Coleman. Also, it's a free roll for him because he's already out the money. But I think he's pretty confident if it goes to arbitration, he'll win. And I think he's probably right. Jeff Dime responded to my update on the situation. He said, I just checked Mercier's Twitter, and after putting out the initial tweets, which were clearly part of the deal he made with Perry, he has not made a single tweet or even replied to anything. He got his money, posted what he negotiated, and disappeared. That's pretty shitty, in my opinion. Think it shows that there was nothing of substance in the tweet, and he really didn't give a shit about anything beyond his self-interest. We've seen this time and time again, people posting things as a public service announcement not to fall for a scammer, but it's really only about the fact that they got scammed. Once they make a deal with a scammer, they will then vouch for them in some way. We know scammers never stop scamming, especially if they keep getting away with it. They could be financially set and are still just wired to fuck everyone in some way. That last sentence is definitely true, because a lot of these scammers just are kind of pathologically driven to do it. It's not even about need for the money. Some of them just enjoy the scam itself. That guy, uh, Peter DC, who he had in the Donkdown community a long time ago, was like that. Much better known, Billy McFarland of Firefest, definitely like that. Just someone who scams for the enjoyment of scamming. Even scammed after he was busted for the Firefest and was running some ticket scam from jail. I mean, the guy just loves to scam. He's even trying to say he's going to start Firefest 2 now. The guy is just addicted to scamming. So it is true that some are, are pathologically motivated to scam. And I also get his point that a lot of these people, when they put out a message of, hey, it's good now, you know, thanks to this person for paying his debts, are just doing it because they have to as it's part of the deal. Now, I will say at the same time, it is easy to sit on your computer or on your phone and look at this and judge someone like Mercier when it's not your big money on the line. I don't think that if Mercier was owned money, I, I think it was probably big money. I don't think it was small money. So if Mercier was owed a lot of money and then Perry hit some score at the Triton event and then Mercier said, hey, can you pay me back finally? And Perry's like, yeah, well, I don't know. I've just, I've kind of started feeling like my rep is such shit. If everyone thinks this, I owe everyone money, like, why should I even pay people? Because I'm still going to have the rep of a guy who owes a ton of money and has bad debts. And, you know, here I've paid everybody back. And if I pay you, that'll be it. It'll be the final one. And, you know, I, I just, I don't see how this does me any good. So, you know, c could you at least put out there that I've 
finished paying my debts if I pay you? And then it's tough for Mercier to say no at that point because then Perry may not give him back the money, which could be substantial. It's probably six figures. So Mercier probably had to look at this and say, well, do I do this or do I give up the money? And it's nice if you can say, you know, F you, I'm not going to put out something I don't believe, so screw you. I'm just going to put out that you're making this demand of me when you have the money. But when you're owed that much money, it can be tough. If it's $500, yeah, it's easy to have a principal and say, hey, you know what? Keep my 500 I'm going to expose you. But for hundreds of thousands, maybe even more, it can be tough. So I can understand. And maybe Mercier felt that he's not saying anything which isn't true. If he really believed that Perry had paid everyone back and just wasn't thinking of Coleman. And he was the last one that was owed money. And he was going to get paid back as long as he put out this stupid statement. He's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll praise him for paying me back, even though I don't think this is generous to pay back money he's owed for a long time. But whatever, I'll, I'll put it out here praising him if this is what it takes to get the money back. And people can read between the lines. Maybe he did think about Coleman as like, well, you know, that's a dispute. That's not really owing money. I, just, you know, I, I guess I can still put it out. Who knows? I, I do think it's probably selfishly motivated to some extent. But there is a lot of money at stake. So I do keep that in mind when people have to say something to, in order to get the money back. They have to make a public statement, which they don't entirely believe. Now, if Jason Mercier said, you know what? We've misjudged Sean Perry. He's a wonderful guy. Everything that's being said about him that's negative is not deserved. You can completely trust him. I completely trust him. I want you guys to know that uh, Sean Perry is someone you can always make deals with, and he'll always keep to his end of the bargain. If he had to put something like that out in order to get paid back, that's much more unethical because you're just putting out things you totally don't believe. You believe the complete opposite and are encouraging people to trust a person you don't trust. But to just say, okay, well, he's paid people back, that's a good thing, and if more people paid back, that would be a great thing for poker, and it would encourage more people to settle their debts, well, you can say, okay, well, that's that's true. You know, I am happy he's paying people back. But yeah, I do agree this is probably motivated by getting paid himself, and probably a condition of the deal. Probably wasn't Mercier being very uh, excited about being paid back to where he wants to pray Sean Perry. I have had people owe me money for a long time. Nothing like that type of money. But, you know, some people I knew that for whatever reason or another owed me money. Never more than four figures. I'm not talking about Master Scaler. He's a whole different matter. And he always eventually pays. But uh, I'm talking about people in poker. Not many of them. But there's been some cases over the years where people have owed me money. And when they pay me back, I'm happy to have the money back. And in some cases, I'm kind of doubtful if I'm going to ever receive it. But when they pay me back, I'm happy. But believe me, I don't have the emotion like, oh my God, I got to go on the internet and I'll praise this person for how great they were for paying me the money back. I kind of think, well, I'm glad this is done. I'm glad I have the money now. And I'm kind of annoyed this happened in the first place. That's, that's what I think to myself. I don't think, oh, this is a great person for paying. Now, I think it's good that they paid, especially if they're not doing really, really well. It's, it's easier to pay when you've hit a huge score. But, you know, people who vote me, it wasn't like a scam, but it was like where they borrowed money from me for something and then degend it all off and then just didn't have it to pay back and then they were just perpetually broke and then they just weren't putting a lot of effort into paying me. 
and then yeah, eventually they kind of get back on their feet, still don't have much money, but then start making payments and, and, and pay it off. Like I've had that before. So on one hand, I'm, I'm happy they're at least ethical to do that. They, they could just say, well, screw you until I'm, uh, until I'm rich. I'm not paying you. And if they never become rich again, then I'm screwed. So it's good they didn't take that line. But am I thrilled they allowed that to happen in the first place and it took a long time to get me the money back? No. Sometimes I've even gotten annoyed with Master Scaler, even though he always ends up paying me. Sometimes he takes too long, and I see him wasting the money on bullshit, and I say, look, you, you, you borrowed a bunch of money from me when you were in really bad shape with something, and I gave it right away, and I always give it right away, and you know, it's a, make more of an effort here. So I've sometimes gotten on him to, to speed it up. And I'm, and I'm very... I'm not someone who's a hard-ass about this. I, I, I let long periods of time go by before I say anything. Now, usually he just pays back on his own. I don't have to say anything. But, you know, once in a while it starts to take too long, and I have to say, uh, you got to speed this up, or I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't expect he would ever screw me. I think the only way I get screwed by Master Scaler is if he owed me money and he just died before paying it back. But, you know, he's, he's someone who always uh, pays back. It's just sometimes uh, a little slower than I like. But I've, I've been friends with him for over 30 years, so he's a different story. All right, well, I, we're, we're making pretty good time here because I, I have a, a dinner Andrew, reservation. Can I borrow 10K? <clears throat> if you can prove the need to me, if you can prove that, that uh, you're in, in financial dire straits, I'll consider it. I, I just really, you know, there's a couple poker tournaments I want to buy into, and I think I'm uh, plus EV, and I would just like to, you know, miss a little, a little short right now. You know what I'm saying? I have an idea. All right. Get stage four colon cancer. <laughs> wow well it wow, works you just told me to get cancer well it works nice. i mean we, we learned it works you don't have to really get cancer you just make people think you have the cancer that's even good enough you the, don't need... the only way you're going to loan me 10k is if i get colon cancer or if people believe it if, if you can get people believing and you don't really have it then maybe i'll give you the 10k also wow that's fucked up Trump. well that's, that's right. a little easier you know like you just have to do a convincing job faking it. I'm sure you can do better than this Rob Mercer guy who can't even write a paragraph without using a period. <laughs> oh, man. By the way, someone asked, what is Rob Mercer's relation to Jason Mercier? And they were serious. They actually thought they were related. I'm like, no, it's, it's a different spelling of the last name. Just because it's a similar spelling doesn't mean they're related. Like, wherever they even get that idea. Even if it's the same last name, why would they be related? But at least there you could ask, like, are they related? But how would Mercier and Mercer be related? That wasn't a very smart question. I'll be nice and not say who asked that question. It's like when I'm on vacation in a foreign country and people ask me, uh, hey, where are you from? I say, New York. And they're like, hey, do you know uh, my cousin, you know, such and such lives in New York? <laughs> and I'm like, listen, no. It's impossible. Like, first of all, I don't live in New York City. I live, you know, five or six hours from New York City. And even if I lived in New York City, there's not a fucking chance that I would know your your cousin that happens to live there. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in Asia, this is many years ago, like 30 years ago, but I noticed a weird thing that they knew San Francisco much better in these Asian countries than they did Los Angeles. And I saw all these San Francisco t-shirts. They were obsessed with San Francisco and New York there. So when I would mention Los Angeles of where I was from, I got so many questions of, is it near San Francisco? So many of them wanted to know how close it was to San Francisco. It was very strange. And then it wasn't just these individuals. As I said, I saw San Francisco t-shirts you could buy there and people were wearing 
but no L.A. shirts. Just, I don't know what the San Francisco obsession was. Maybe it's changed, but anyway, final topic here. The final topic is about a bat out of hell. Yes. There is a bat out of hell that came to New York, New York. Not the city of New York, but the hotel. And there's no doubt about that. There was a bat in New York, New York. And apparently the customer who was in that hotel, the guest, heard rustling in the curtains and then actually killed the bat with an object in the room. So they killed the bat and they got a jar somehow, which seems like where you'd put a dead bat. But how do you get a jar when you're at a Vegas hotel? Like if I killed a bat, in any hotel I stayed at, I wouldn't have access to a jar. But somehow they, they had access to a like a, a pickle jar or something where they put the bat and they took a picture of it. They then notified a hotel personnel. This has led to a lawsuit. Now, Calwatt, what do you think the lawsuit was about, given that the bat did not bite anybody, the guest killed the bat, somehow obtained a jar and put it in there, why do you think there is a lawsuit? It was a rare albino midget uh, Empire State bat, and it was a protected species and could not be killed. That's actually not a bad theory. But the actual reason there's a lawsuit is because of the stress that everybody who got exposed to the bat had to go through regarding fearing they had rabies and having to get a rabies shot. Oh, come on. So, eight people from Arizona said that they received preventative rabies treatments when a bat was in the room. Now, I don't know why there were eight people in the room, but I guess they were uh, trying to save money. So, eight people were in the room. Did this bat bite any of them? How the fuck do no. they think they're going to get rabies so, from them? So, so, what happened was uh, there were three families crammed into this room, four adults and four children. And uh, every, everybody fell asleep. And then early in the morning, on April 11th, 2023, Marcus Rucker claimed that he was awakened by the curtains rustling. And then got up to think, what the hell's going on in this room? Why are the curtains rustling in the middle of the night? And noticed that a bat was flying like within the curtains. So I guess he actually killed it with a shoe. I thought he did it with an object in the room, but I guess he took a shoe, hopefully his shoe, and then he placed it in a cup. I guess it wasn't a jar, it was a cup. And then he went to the front desk later that morning with the dead bat in there and said, hey, uh, there was a bat in this room and I killed it. He took a picture of the bat. I'm looking at the bat right now. Actually, it was in April 2022, not 23. The lawsuit's in 23. The incident was April 2022. Got to be accurate here. Where were these people from again, Drew? Arizona. So then they went back to Arizona, contacted the local health department, and the officials there said they need to test the bat for rabies, or otherwise everybody in that room would need to get rabies exposure treatment. Now, believe it or not, rabies causes 59,000 deaths every year in the world, but in the U.S., not very common. Usually there's about 
two deaths from rabies each year in the U.S. I'm not sure if because we have fewer bats or just better treatments or whatever, but probably more of a third world problem. From bats. bats get a bad rap. You, you don't think it's from bats? No, no, not those numbers. Because I, I just sent you, there's a guy, uh, Merlin Tuttle, who studies bats. And bats have like gotten a bad rap. Oh. They save us billions of dollars in protecting uh, agriculture and things like that. So... You know what? That's a good point. It's I, interesting. What I'm reading here, yeah, it doesn't say that it's 59,000 deaths from bat rabies. It's just 59,000 deaths total. Yeah, so it could be from dogs or other animals. It's interesting it's only two deaths in the U.S. So uh, I guess the problem with rabies is once you're getting symptomatic rabies, you're screwed. Then there's a good chance you're going to die. But if... Uh, if you have been infected by rabies and ha- are not showing symptoms yet, then you can get uh, treatment that tends to be pretty effective. So that's probably why the U.S. doesn't have many rabies deaths. Anyway. I, I think this whole thing was a scam, Druff. I think it needs to be exposed. <laughs> I think these people brought this fucking bat in uh, from, maybe. Uh, from Arizona, and they staged the whole thing. They got all the people there in the room so they could have additional people suing. It's staged. You got to investigate. That's story. a possibility. That's a good. Fu- I didn't think about that, but there's actually a possibility. Did they have a GoFundMe? Get him, trust. <laughs> so the New York, New York front desk then told them that they threw the bat out already. That the, the New York, New York was given the bat, and then apparently threw it out without testing the bat. Now that part, if true, was the fault of New York, New York because. They are supposed to test the bat when it had exposure to people. And I they guarantee pr- you it was an Arizona bat, the species that doesn't even live there, bro. <laughs> Go after them. You know what? If, if they served you the wrong pickle on the side of your dish, you'd be going after them. Come on, get them. The problem is New York, New York lost the bat. If New York, New York didn't lose the bat, then they could prove it was a species that wasn't in Vegas, and then there could have been yeah. some trouble. But anyway, uh, they, they apparently threw away the bat, and... They're claiming that they not only had to uh, go through the stress of wondering if they had any kind of rabies exposure because they were all sleeping, but they also had to get these treatments for rabies exposure because the bat had not been tested for rabies. And the shots they got for the rabies put them in pain and they need to be compensated. I don't know, like, how much does a rabies shot hurt? This does seem kind of frivolous. The plaintiffs say that they should have known to preserve the bat for rabies testing. They are suing for $15,000, and they're not going after big money here. I guess they realize that when none of them had rabies, and their entire damage was having to get some shots because of rabies exposure, potentially, that there's only so much they can claim damage them. They are not alleging that these shots did any harm to them. All they're alleging that it was painful to get the shots and that it was kind of unnerving for them. Is there any history of lawsuits involving bats in hotels? Actually, yes. In 2017 in Wyoming, in a town called Moose, Wyoming. Have you heard of Moose, Wyoming before? I bet you haven't. Never. Doesn't surprise me that it exists, though. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me either. Moose, Wyoming, 
is near a fairly well-known lake, a scenic lake in the Grand Teton National Park called Jenny Lake. And if you drive south from Yellowstone into Grand Teton National Park, if you go off the main road and start going uh, southwest instead of southeast, you will pass by Jenny Lake. But there's nowhere to stay there because it's in the Grand Teton National Park area. So you have to get near the interstate again south from there to get to Moose. And that's where you can stay. So you, apparently uh, in 2017, someone staying at the Jenny Lake Lodge in Moose, Wyoming was bitten by a bat. And then a hotel staff member promised that the hotel was going to cover all the medical expenses, and then the hotel apparently decided just not to pay. So the guest then sued the Jenny Lake Lodge and also sued the Grand Teton Lodge Company and Vail Resorts. I don't know if they might possibly own a piece of Jenny Lake Lodge. I don't know why they were part of the suit as well. But four years later, in 2021, that suit was settled. So according to this article... That was the only other known recent lawsuit regarding bats in a hotel. But that one, at least someone really got bit. This one, nobody got bit. So I really don't see why there should be a lawsuit here. I mean, yeah, they lost the bat, but whatever. Like, you can't really blame the hotel for the bat getting in there. That can just happen. It's not like the maid cleaning has to check every nook and cranny of every room and see if there's bats hanging out there. If it's a fluke that a bat got into the room somehow, then the hotel can't really be held liable. Yeah, they threw away the bat. Ended with the hanging in there? (laughs) Them throwing away the bat was stupid, but I mean, the the good thing was that all they had to do was get some additional shots. So I I think that really the proper way to have handled this was just to MGM, who owns New York, New York, so they just said, okay, you know, we'll give you some comps going forward for this or giving them a small settlement, something along those lines, just for the little bit of trouble and minor pain of getting these rabies shots. I would be annoyed if this happened, if a bat was in the room and then I bring the bat down to them and they throw away the bat and then I find out, oh, you know, they should have been testing that. Now you have to get a rabies treatment because we don't know if the bat had rabies. I'd be annoyed. I'd call up. I'd complain. I would ask, can you give me something for this? But I wouldn't sue them for 15k, and I wouldn't expect a whole lot. So, this really shouldn't have gotten to a, a lawsuit, but it, apparently it did. So, there we are. That's with the, the bat out of hell. Jeff, I've got a, a friend of mine that plays poker, and she asked me what I was doing uh, you know, maybe half hour, hour ago, something like that. And I said I was, uh, you know, sitting in on this show. And she said, what show? So I gave her a link so she could listen to it. Just got a message from her. Uh-oh. And she said, is, is the show usually about dick pics and bats? <laughs> what? <laughs> is what she said. I, I'd say yes and no. I'd say yes to the dick pics and no to the bats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she said, I thought it was supposed to be about poker. I'm like, um... Usually, well, it was you, earlier. You we know, just we, we veered away. You know, the, at, at the end, well, we, the dicks were from people that were. That's true. There, it there, was about the poker. Picture of dicks for, of of poker players, and then also poker players that were being dicks. So it's you know, yeah, it all fits. Yeah, yeah. For for this uh, new listener, we, the the show we do cover 
issues in poker and gambling in Las Vegas. And I put the more important and serious topics up front. And t- towards the end, we, we start talking about bats and dick pics. That's usually the way it goes. <laughs> and unfortunately, I missed the beginning of the show. Yeah. What does the bat have to do with poker? It happened in a Vegas hotel in New York, New York. Oh, okay. It's not about right, poker. Right. It's about okay. Vegas. It's a Vegas story. Uh, what if she want, want to eat up her data? Well, uh, we, we've we've had that speech already. She's. Uh, I'm sure Calwa can. He can tell her about the call to listen line. She'll learn about all of its. No, wonders. that's what she actually ended up using. Oh, really? Oh, go. I guess she's yeah, learned about it already. I gave, I gave her the link, and I guess the only way she could figure out to do it was to call the number to listen. Oh, wow! See, it works you again. Be thrilled. I am thrilled. It's, wow, it's getting yeah. use. Well, I'll I'll say this: the the one knock against the call to listen line that's fair is the sound quality is not as good. So you get much better sound quality listening over the internet through regular streaming than the call to listen line. But that's by design because it never buffers and never freezes. So if she has one bar on her cell phone, she's she should be thankful. That it's not buffering or freezing. And I bet she's not even thinking about that. She's not even thinking like, hey, when I listen to streaming media, I'm getting buffers and freezes all the time. And this hasn't happened once here. Wow. This is a really great line I'm calling. I bet she hasn't thought that until right now. I want to say a few more things before we shut this down. The rain that was projected for that hurricane that came to Southern California and by extension to Nevada didn't really turn out to be what was feared and what was expected. It was a lesser storm than people thought it would be. So when I said that I think it's going to be kind of like a winter storm, except not cold, that's exactly what it was. There was really nothing spectacular about that storm by the time it came to landfall in California and by the time it moved inland and got to places like Las Vegas. So, yeah, there was some flooding here and there, but it wasn't really a huge deal. However, the worst problems have happened since. So there was a thunderstorm since that caused major problems in Death Valley and also caused some leaking and flooding in Las Vegas. And then these past two days... There was a thunderstorm that came in to Las Vegas that really nobody was talking about beforehand. And this one pretty much did what they were afraid the hurricane was going to do. This one has punched through some ceilings of casinos. This one has caused massive flooding in parts of the city. I see some pretty crazy-looking videos of this. You can see on uh, Poker Fraud Alert, there's actually a thread started by Sonatine about it called LOL Vegas Mints. That's what it's about. You can see some videos there. And also, people who are currently at Burning Man cannot leave and are completely trapped in what seems to be a combination of mud and clay. It's like the front page article on CNN right now. It's the top story. I saw that. All the people at Burning Man, they're told to shelter in place. Yeah, and, and to preserve water and food, and yeah. they can't leave, and it looks awful there. It's just, just this thick layer of mud, and apparently people had to like either put Ziploc bags around their shoes or walk barefoot there in the 
mud because that's the only way to get around without getting stuck. Like people's shoes were actually just getting stuck in the mud. And there's no way cars can get out of there. So that's that same storm that's, that's pounding Vegas, even though they're about 500 miles from each other. So this storm has been yep. the, the real problem, not, not the one that was associated with the hurricane that everyone was fearing. So it's funny, everyone was laughing at the hurricane. Oh, a big hurricane. Oh, wow, what a, what a big deal. Wow, look, how are we going to survive this? And, the, and then this thunderstorm that's supposed to, be, supposed to be like a nothing storm just comes in and just decimates Burning Man and, and parts of Vegas. Also, unrelated to the storm, Burning Man had two issues, actually. One was from the storm, but then before Burning Man, I don't know if you saw this, there was an environmental protest that was blocking the only road in and out of Burning Man. Did you see this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so so uh, the mistake that the protesters made is the same mistake that some gamblers make when they try to screw around at Indian casinos. Because this tribal land, they can basically do what they want. And when I say they, I mean the tribe. So... What happened was these protesters were, it was stupid. They were like, oh, Burning Man is, they're, they're just trying to be neutral. They're, they're trying to not harm the environment, but they're also not trying to help the environment. And whatever they're doing is negated by the fact that some people fly there on private jets. They should ban private jets of people who go to Burning Man. It's, it's, it's stupid stuff. Like, I, I don't know what they're thinking. And the funny thing is like, most people who go to Burning Man are, are pretty left-wing anyway. So who, who are they even protesting against? Like, who, who do they think they're blaming here? But anyway, they blocked the only highway into Burning Man before it started. And it's like State Route 443 or something. So it's technically a state route in Nevada, but it's part of the Paiute Indian tribe. It goes through Paiute land. So they blocked it. They caused a 10-mile backup of cars because they just put a bunch of stuff in the road and then chained themselves to it. They didn't chain themselves until people started getting out of their cars and trying to move the debris. So then these people chained themselves to it so it's harder to move the debris. So there's this huge line of traffic. The protesters were very obnoxious about it. They were refusing to move. And it was funny, some of the justifications they were trying to give, like... uh, one of them was trying to say, hey, look, we're doing this for you. We're doing this for everybody. We're doing this for the working class. And one of the guys says, yeah, well, I'm working class and I'm trying to get to work. Because he, he had to, was working at Burning Man. <laughs> He's right. Like, what the hell? We're doing this for the working class. Except the working class who work there, we're just blocking them from getting to work. And except the people who, who paid to go there that are working class. Uh, tough luck on them, too. But uh, we're doing it for the working class, guys. So anyway, they wouldn't move. They hey, just, but they... But then climate change came and zapped them right in the ass, and they're all stuck there. <laughs> Actually, those people are gone. So, <laughs> so what ha- that would have been funny. But what, what uh, the protesters, what happened to them was the police were called. And the funny thing is they wanted the police to come. They were telling the people who were trying to like forcefully move the stuff out of the way, don't touch this, wait for the police, wait for the police. Well, they got what they wished for. The police came, and this was the... Paiute tribal police. And so they pulled up and said, this is a state route. You need to get the fuck off the road, is what they said. That's actually what they said. You have they 30 seconds. They were having none of that bullshit. Yeah. Right, Ruff? I mean- <laughs> yeah, they, they, that's exactly it. They said, you have 30 seconds to get the fuck off the road, or otherwise we're arresting everyone. So 
they kind of moved to the side, but they didn't take the stuff off the road. So, like, they got off, but they didn't move the stuff. And I think the police didn't realize someone that were chained to it. So then they also asked for the leader of the group to come talk to them. So I guess the leader came over and started talking. But they still weren't moving the stuff. They just were moving themselves. So then one of the other police cars went around. They kind of went up the hill to go around the the blockade. And then announced that we're going to be pushing right through this. And you better get out of the way or we're going to mow you over. So they were all ready to just run over anybody who was not going to get out of the way. So they started driving forward to ram the debris out of the way. And two of them didn't move. Two of them kind of sort of moved to the side, but didn't completely move. I think one of them was chained to it and one of them wasn't, but they didn't completely move. So then rather than hit them, the guy stopped the car, jumped out and threw the first person down very aggressively. It was a woman. So he threw her down very aggressively and started screaming, stop resisting, stop resisting, and put her in handcuffs. It was like a, a pretty rough arrest. Nobody was like seriously hurt, but it was a pretty rough arrest. But when I watched this whole thing, and I watched them all get arrested, and I watched them very aggressively doing it, it was funny. One guy there who was clearly part of this whole blockade and protest, he was kind of just off to the side, and they went to go arrest him, and he's like, I have nothing to do with this. I'm not part of this. I'm not part of this. And they just threw him on the ground and arrested him. <laughs> he was so clearly part of this. Like, how can he not be part of this? Why is he there then? Why is he there in the middle of the desert with these people of the blockade? How are you not part of this? You're either a driver who got stopped by this or, so, or you're part of this. There's, there's no way you're not part of this. So they arrested him too. They arrested everybody. They put him in the back of a pickup truck and drove him to the tribe. I thought they might be stuck there for who knows how long because they, they have their own justice system there, but they actually only cited and released them. But it was satisfying for me to see this aggressive and a little bit rough arrest because they deserved it. Because I absolutely hate yeah. people who block roads. I, I hate the, walk, the road blockades. and find out, right? Yeah, I hate the road blockades. It's the most selfish thing you can do. It's forcing others to be not only severely inconvenienced, but also placed in danger by your cause. Because what if someone needs to get through for an emergency reason? They can't. They're stuck. So you're causing a 10-mile backup because you're trying to make everybody else listen to you and what you think is important. And if they don't want to listen too bad, you're going to force them to. You're going to force them to be stuck. And it's not like they can just turn around and go back to their house either. They're in the middle of nowhere. So it's either go all the way back where they came from or sit and wait until this is over. And they were, they were not giving an end time they're going to leave either. So this was insane. This is a very selfish thing that one can do is blocking the road. And this just absolutely should not be allowed. It's not a form of protest. It's not a form of speech. It's a, it, sh- it should be completely illegal. It's impeding people's movement. And it's, a, it's an action you're taking to stop people from moving. And that's never what speech is about. Speech is about, I can say whatever I want to say, and you can't stop me from saying it because this is my freedom of speech. It's not, I'm going to compel you to listen to me. I'm going to force you. I'm going to trap you to listen to me. That's not freedom of speech, but that's what, that's what they're doing there. Blocking roads is trapping people to listen to you. And that's, that's never been part of freedom of speech. So unfortunately, in the last several years, this has become more and more common, and I felt that these people are let off way too easily for what they do when it could easily be forcefully dispersed. 
like when I first started seeing it happening, I'm like, okay, I can't wait till the police come and throw all these people into the car and arrest them. And then nothing happens. <laughs> like what? Why are they letting these people do this? Why don't they just force them off the road? So I was happy to see this, but the tribal police at least knew that because they're tribal police, there's only so much that can be done to them. Because if you sue them, it would have to be in their own tribal courts. So yeah, there's the optics of the whole thing, but they really just don't have to give a shit. Whereas like the Nevada Highway Patrol, who knows what they would have done. I'm usually not a big fan of this whole Indian sovereignty thing where they have their own justice system because there can be a lot of abuses and there have been a lot of abuses, especially casinos. But this is one case I was happy that this was on Indian land and they could do what really needed to be done, really needs to be done everywhere where these protests block the road. I I think it's fine to have protests on the side of the road and you can say what you want there, but not block the road. But it's, it's, I've just found over the years that people are bastardizing what free speech is supposed to be about. And I've always been a very big proponent of free speech. In fact, when I, when I was a proponent of free speech 30 years ago, a lot of people in my political party didn't agree with me on that. And I used to argue with them about it. Now, now they've come around. Now they see it the way I did 30 years ago. So I don't want to suppress speech I disagree with. I just, I, I, I picture myself, like I think if I'm on that highway, I'm trying to get somewhere and there's a 10 mile backup because some assholes are just blocking the road to compel everybody to listen to their protests. Like that's just awful. I would just be so furious. So it was satisfying well, to watch. The thing is all they, all they end up doing is pissing people off. They're not really bringing attention. I mean, they're in a way they're bringing attention to their cause because they were in the news and all that kind of stuff, but. Mostly they're just making people angry. Yeah. And then I I saw these takes on Twitter. Oh, my God, this, you know, the police are supposed to be protecting us. Look what they're doing. The police are trying to clear clear the freaking road here and stop this shit. And when they came, they even gave everybody a chance to get all this stuff out of there and get out of the way and, and presumably not face much of a consequence. And they still didn't. They just left the stuff and they moved themselves off. Like, it just... They they seem to believe from watching all these other protests that they can get away with this stuff. And and also, by the way, these were not even locals. These weren't even people around there. And so, something I found interesting also is there is actually a woman, a, a Native American woman, who was part of the Paiute tribe that lived around there that was trying to reason with one of the protesters, who was a white woman, who was trying to... So the Native American woman was trying to reason with her that she needs to get through and that she, she needed to go somewhere. She wasn't even going to uh, Burning Man. She was going from the tribe trying to get to Reno. So she was trying to say she needs to get to Reno and, and to please stop this. And this white woman was having none of it and lecturing her. And I'm looking at this and going, you know, here you have these left-wing protesters, and yet, what is this? This is actually a, a white woman who's lecturing a Native American woman on her own land why she's not allowed to travel through her own land to get to where she needs to go. Like, how hypocritical is that? So, Adreth, I got a question for you. Yeah. Do you think with, with all of those people that are trapped at Burning Man, so basically they're, they're trapped in there with lots of drugs. Like, let's be honest, right? I bet you there are going to be a lot of Burning Man babies. Oh, that's a good point. You know, they, they got nothing to do. They're all just trapped in there. They're all, you know, and, and most of them are... 
you know, kind of uh, of the age where they're going to be having fun and all that, and they got drugs and everything. They got nothing to do. They're probably just fucking all over the place. That's a know? good point. I didn't even think of that. But that is a good point because there really isn't much else to do unless people just kind of feel gross because of all the mud and just kind of aren't in the mood. Uh, it's going to turn into a mud orgy. Man. I, <laughs> yeah. I guess if they want to do mud wrestling, it's right there now. It's, it's pretty easy to do. They won't have the water to wash but, themselves off after, but... But seriously, all those people of that age with drugs trapped in one place with nothing to do. Well, well, of course, you know, we know what they're going right, to do. But what do, right? you, but what do you think they've been doing during Burning Man to begin with? Yeah, I, I know right. that they're doing that to begin with, but this is <laughs> even more yeah, extended. Extra you know what I mean? Extended, exactly. Yeah. And did you hear about the, uh, did you hear about the uh, UC Fullerton professor that had to resign because she was a pretendian? Oh, is another one of those? Who, what the hell is a pretend? It's, it's like uh, Elizabeth Warren, just these fake Indians. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, gotcha. I don't know why it's 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 always white women that seems to be doing this. Like it seems like I don't see anyone else besides white women who are the ones pretending to be other races for what they perceive to be some kind of privilege or attention. Like you just don't see white men doing it. You don't see other races at all doing it. It just seems to always be white women. I don't think I've seen one that's... Actually, no, I have seen one. What was this guy's name? He was very obnoxious, too. It was uh, Sean something. He was involved with BLM. I'm forgetting now. He's kind of fa- faded to the background. Well, who was it? Ray oh, Sean King. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, she was the one who's best known. Yeah, Sean King. Sean King is he was involved with BLM and it, it seems from every indication that he's actually a white guy. He tried to eventually claim that his mom cheated on his dad with a black guy because it, it came out both of his parents are totally white. Old pictures were found of him as a kid where he looks totally white, and even now it kind of looks like he's just trying to modify his looks as well as he can to to have like a half black look. But it it, it seems. All indications seem to be that this guy's just a total fraud and he's white. So he is he is one. That is the one male I've seen who has done this as well. It's never been 100% proven, but uh, he had that weak excuse that his mom cheated on his dad with a black man, which I, I just don't believe. He doesn't look like he's black at all in his uh, old pictures. He looks super white. Well, it kind of has to work that way, though, right, Truff? Like, you, you couldn't have a black person that claim they were entitled to a free pumpkin spice latte from Starbucks because they've got some, you know, 10% white or something like that, right? Yeah, it's just, but it just seems like it's more often women than men, except for Sean King. It's just, from what I've seen, just at least the cases I've seen when I hear such and such person was pretending to be some minority race, and then it turns out that they're yeah. not and they're really white, it just always seems to be a woman, except with Sean King. That's what I've always seen. The whole concept is strange to me. Like, why Why does that give you any cred anyway? You know, who your ancestors decide to screw around with. Whatever. Well, it shouldn't. This is a problem where there's just this whole thing that uh, if you can claim you're part of some victim class, then then you get attention and people feel bad for you and you can claim about how your people struggled. And just some people say, oh, I wish I could be part of that. Too bad I'm white. Oh, I know. I'll just pretend to be some other race. And then they do it. And then eventually it catches up with them. It's, it's very stupid. And they're, they're really... I agree. You shouldn't look at people like that and judge them for their ancestry. If they, if they had a hard life uh, growing up and then they overcame it and then they were successful, that's something you can 
give them credit for personally and say, I'm glad you rose above that and, and were successful despite the odds being against you. But uh, these, these people that make their whole identity being a victim of some sort because their entire group, they say, is victimized, I, th- I think that shouldn't be done. It's just stupid. You can, you can acknowledge in history that some bad things happened that, that shouldn't have occurred to people who were not white, but uh, p- modern people who didn't actually go through it themselves should not be exploiting this for personal gain. Unfortunately, some people do, including white people who pretend to be those races, which is, of course, the worst. because <laughs> you, you don't even really have that identity. That's, that's where it's the absolute worst. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's, that's the way it is these days. And uh, I'll give Elizabeth Warren credit, though. She was ahead of her time with this. She was doing this in the mid-70s. She was the first Native American professor at, at uh, was it Sanford, I think. Then they came out with 23 and me, and she's like, oh, shit. Yeah. No, the funny thing is... She, the, she, <laughs> this is not good. The funny thing is she, she published it at first like she was so proud of it. Like, oh, look, I'm Native American. And, one, and then you look at it. I remember when I first read that thing, I'm like, wait a minute. Is this really saying she's like one 1,024th Native American? <laughs> like, am I reading this wrong? Like, why is she publishing this? I, if, in, if, in all serious, like that that's a perfect example of how it just does not fucking matter. Like, if you are... If you have that little of that, like, what what does it matter that your great great grandfather hooked up with a Indian, or American Indian, or something like no, that? No, it doesn't. That, that is no bearing on her life whatsoever. Zero. But, but she was milking that whole identity dating back to the mid seventies. She she just didn't expect it to be scrutinized like it is. I I don't know why she didn't think it would come back at her once she became a national political figure. I can see just being a professor getting away with it, but how how can she think that she's going to get away with this? like trying to run for president that all, everything comes out then you better have a real clean history unless you're donald trump then somehow you get away with everything you've done anyway uh, i guess biden too though truthfully um the call you're on the air hey crystal mistle here the goat <laughs> okay greatest gambler of all time yes number one gambling consultant of all time yes what would you like to say <laughs> yep Hey, go ahead. What would you like to say to us? Oh, I want to thank you. What do you want to thank me for? <laughs> oh, for leaving my YouTube channel up. Oh, and I bring in thousands and thousands of, of dollars and suckers with that. Oh, thank you. Well, <laughs> I, I hate to tell, tell you, Christopher, I, I'm not leaving it up. I, I've made attempts. Just YouTube is. Uh, they're they're not the easiest to deal with or always uh, reach. So sometimes these things take time. I, I wish I could just call up YouTube and have a frank discussion with them about your channel, but uh, unfortunately they don't make it quite so easy. So that's that's what allows you to keep operating. So I just want to let you know that. But if you want to thank me, you still can. Yeah, I want, I want to thank you for. I made many many thousands of dollars today on sport on college football, but. <laughs> I wish I did. I I lost my first two bets. Yeah, I faded. I faded all your bets. Well, that was actually, that was actually <laughs> smart. To... <laughs> all right. Well, thank thank you for calling. It's a good good way to end the show here. Is and, it though? Well, it, it's a way to end the show. <laughs> it's it's a way to end. Okay. Thank you, uh, Christopher. Okay, that was a bizarre call. All right, well, 
I'm actually done a little bit early. I was going to go all the way till about uh, 9.20. But I don't really have much more unless one of you has something to say. I got nothing, man. I'm just here for the ride. I like the, I like the early uh, show timing, Jeff. Right, Cal Watt? Works for you too, right? Yeah, it would have been even better if I was able to, to be here when he actually started. I was going out to dinner when he first went on, which was surprised the hell out of me. Well, what I will say, though, is that th- this show got the worst live ratings I've seen in a long time. So it's, I know it wasn't announced much in advance, but many other times it happened. So it's like I can just throw the thing on at 2 in the morning Pacific time, and I get better ratings than this show got at 4 p.m. I'm very surprised. Maybe people are away for Labor Day weekend. Could be. Yeah. Well, at least most of the listenership comes in the archives. So thank you to Cody Daniels for coming on. Thank you to both of you for appearing on this show. It's good to not have to do the solo, and uh, thank you to my cell phone company for being able to carry this entire show when this hotel internet has failed. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to hear more. It'll be interesting to hear more about the uh, the scammer guy with the cancer. If it was fake, if it wasn't, what does he do? I mean, no, we'll, we'll never find. I don't think we'll ever find out further, right? Other than just seeing he doesn't die. I don't think we're going to find out further because he's just he made his attempt to give a statement through somebody else. Everybody thought it was terrible. It just made things worse. So he made his kind of one weak shot at explaining himself, and then everybody said, nope, we don't buy any of this. You're a scammer. (laughs) So he's done. Because short of being able to show up with a terminal cancer diagnosis that people can verify as legit, no one's going to accept him, and rightfully so. So he's just, I assume, never going to come back. And, and no, no one knows what he does for work, or no. Does, I mean, it's and the dad that was there in Vegas with him. It must have met a bunch of people. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? Well, the, the dad is kind of a mystery as to what he knew. I, I do think there's a good chance the dad found out while he was there what was going on and was mad, and that's why they were fighting. Even Rob said they were fighting, so he wouldn't say what about, right. but. Uh, no, I- Maybe now about that all this went down, you think somebody maybe would call the dad, the men of him, and say, hey, you know, what's going on? Well, I think uh, the dad knows what's going on. I think he learned. He probably learned during the, 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 the trip and was mad. I think that's what happened, and then he probably just left. He probably didn't want to call his son out yeah. and, and, and uh, really rile everybody up, but he probably said, I'm not going to be part of this. So I'm leaving. Goodbye. That's, uh, that's what I think is ha- what happened. But I mean, what, he's, yes. prob- he's probably scamming his dad. He probably said, oh, I'm taking you for your birthday. Little does he know he's doing it on other people's dime. Yeah, I do you wonder know? what he told his dad. I do wonder if he told his dad something like, oh, you know, I, I, people in the poker community like me so much that they they decided to donate and and give me some money to play the main event and give me some money to play other things here. You know, they, they just really like me. They, they love me so much in the community. I, all these generous people. You can come too, Dad. I don't know what he's thinking. Did he like think his dad was not going to find out? Like, Didn't he think people would approach him? Like, Maybe he didn't think he was going to be as high profile as he was. That, that part was kind of weird. Because yeah. if I'm pulling that scam, I'm not bringing my dad with me. But apparently he did. Well, the, the good news, Druff, is that most people that are criminals are, are not criminals because they're, they're giving up some, you know, high-profile career or anything. Most of them are, don't have a whole lot going on, and probably he didn't really think too much about it. You know, he's just trying to get away with it. Yeah, as I said, this was kind of like a crime of opportunity, very possibly, because, uh, remember, he didn't ask for anything for four months, and maybe he just saw everybody playing the World Series on Twitter and was like, ah, I want to do that, too. Well, let me take my shot yep. at it. It could have been as simple as that with, like, no forethought. Well, thank you guys for joining. I'm going to go uh, get myself ready for 
my meal and hopefully I don't get washed away by a flash flood and thankfully I'm not a burning man. If you were, you might be having a really good time about now, Drew. Oh, that's true. true. If, if, if your theory is correct, maybe I would be. So maybe it's not as bad as it appears. What else are they going to be doing? They're all stranded there in the mud. Come on. That's kind of a good point. I guess, I guess we'll find out about this. I guess stories will emerge of all the wild sex that went on at Burning Man. And it, well, it may not be, well, it, it could be, there may be some Burning Man babies, but there's also probably going to be some massive STD outbreaks. Yeah, that's the problem. Originating from there. That's the problem. <laughs> some burning other things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, there'll be some real Burning Men after yeah. this. <laughs> My hmm. little man's burning after Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right, well, thank guys for coming on. I'm going to end this here. All right. Good night. Okay, so I'll throw this in the archives when I can. Won't be too long. Got some time coming up, I think. Not sure if I can do it tonight. There's a good chance I can't do it tonight, but tomorrow, possibility. If there's any topic you'd like me to cover, you're always welcome to text me at 775-372-8355, and I will cover it if I think it's interesting and it fits in our schedule. Sometimes the topics I cover are ones which are suggested to me. So it always helps when I have listeners kind of acting as producers in some way. Otherwise, all the work's on me. And that's kind of the point a lot of people were missing with the whole Rob Mercer thing in my part. I'm not compelled to do anything. Why is this all on me? I don't care if I run poker fraud alert and if I try to call out these scams. I'm not compelled to call out every single one of them, especially at great personal stress and expense when the reaction is going to have so much vitriol. With everything that I see, I have to make the decision... Do I get involved? If I just got involved in everything I see, then I would have no time for anything else. And maybe it'd be good for the community, it'd be bad for my life. So I'm not getting paid for any of this. And a lot of people criticizing me are running for-profit operations in poker, which is fine. Great they're making money, but I'm not doing this for money. This is a non-profit organization that loses money. So how I'm compelled to be the call out of cancer GoFundMe's guy is beyond me. Makes no sense, but you know, it seems like this is passing and that's dying down. Just my first time on radio since it all happened, so I wanted to vent. Thank you for listening to me and thank you for listening to this show from a secret location broadcast from a cell phone. Shalom. Shalom.